Hey, what's up everybody? You are about to listen to episode 15 of These Spaces. This episode features a bunch of friends with Kat Samard, John Knopf, Elise Swopes, David Johnston, Steve Wallace-Savage, Eric Rubens, along with many other members from the community. The gang talks about the general state of the market and what they think is to come in the near future for all things NFTs. Please make sure to subscribe to iTunes and Spotify to catch all future episodes of These Spaces. And without further ado, thank you for listening and enjoy the show. GM, I'm rolling some uh, generated art uh, from Eponym. Oh, I have to finish mine. Good call. Yeah, it's tomorrow. GM. Yeah, I haven't found what I liked, and I probably GM, GM, GM. Fifty. GM. GM. Such a good morning. It really is. (laughs) It's always a good morning. Beautiful morning. GM, my friends. Oh, GM. Hey, Sam. So happy to be here with you guys. What a wonderful treat. Hi, Kath. Hey, John. What's up, Dees? Lots of homies up in this. Lee. Sheesh. Hello, bonjour. Hello, bonjour. 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 Comment y'a? Ça va? Ça va bien, toi? Bien, bien. Gracias. Mm. Bien, bien. Do you like, like four years of Spanish? That's about it. <laughs> I think we're mixing the French and the Spanish. Yeah, we mixed right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oye, como va? Ça va. Burritos. Burritos. Baguette? Oye, como va? All right, so this is everybody we had planned to come up on stage, and then there may or may not be. Is Ravi? We planned for Ravi too, right? I I lost track. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. Send yeah. him up not anymore. Send him up. Send him up. Send him up. I know we wanted to leave a space for a few collectors who might stop by at some point here. GM, y'all. How are you doing, Ravi? What's sir? up, Ravi? How is good it here. going? Good to see you all. GM, GM, good, sir. With quite a audience already. Was, I guess when you tweet it out and people join ahead of time, it, it fills up a lot quicker than when you just pull out your phone at 9 p.m. and decide you're going to do a space. It's a lesson in there. A valuable but, one. It's a hot topic. It yeah, is. it is a hot topic. We had a lot of people excited to talk about this. Um, for me, it's hard as a, a collector to have a really strong opinion on this because uh, I can just like buy what I like and not buy what I don't like. But for creators, I think it's like a, a great discussion to have. And everybody joining us is like super successful in their own right, in their own way with pricing and volume. And I'm excited to talk about this. We have a, a pretty great stage of legends here. So thank you, first and foremost, for making the time out of your day to stop by and talk to us. And then thank you to everybody in the audience who set the reminder and joined immediately. You are all appreciated. Um, to jump right in to this, does anybody have a strong opinion they want to share off the bat? Or do we want to... Uh, just kind of see where the conversation goes as we all talk about, you know, how we feel about pricing NFTs. 
I mean, I think kind of some of this started with, um, and I don't know if it did necessarily, but like, I think some of this started with the tweet that I had put out previously about just, um, just pricing and valuing your artwork. And, um, you know, I had been in NFT NYC and there was a guy on stage who was like, Hey, you know, you guys need to like lower your prices down to like, you know, $25 so that you can increase volume of sales. And obviously I'm not, uh, approaching it to that extreme, but, um, my tweet was kind of more centered around the idea that, um, collectors nor photographers nor anybody can dictate your prices obviously like you're going to dictate your own and i think like in this conversation i think we just need to maybe not establish but just discuss you know the longevity of being in the art scene and being in the art world and then you know the sustainability of pricing and where we want to uh i don't know just kind of where we want to discuss that that's huge um i have uh definitely some thoughts on this and i feel uh, it's definitely important to speak about this, and I'm I'm so happy that you asked me to join John um, and Dee's. Like, uh, I really am always like artist, artist first, you know. So I have like this great love for artists and really uh, want to to protect them and and you know give them like a full spectrum view of you know what is going on. Uh, like as far as like now in this digital space, as well as, you know, long longevity and sustainability as far as pricing goes. Um, and I've talked to, to John about this, but it's, I think it's really good that we, we speak about this to, to everybody and all the artists in here to, you know, best benefit them as well. I, I see that uh, at least wanted to say something, but I'm happy to like get into this even deeper with you guys. Absolutely. And I appreciate the pass off. I mean, this is a really, really important conversation for everybody. And and what I do want to make most known is that I'm, I'm mostly speaking for myself, you know, when I'm speaking about pricing, when I'm talking about experience, when I'm talking about, you know, a lot of my future planning, because pricing matters from from our perspective, what we see in, in our vision of, of how we share our story, of what we plan, of accessibility, of, of events, of social, of posting, of sharing, of crowdfunding, of, you know, capital needs for our plans. It's like, <clears throat> excuse me, I just ripped a bong before this. I'm sure Dee's understands my perspective. Let's go. But, um, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I get a little scratchy throat around here. But, um, uh, no, I mean, you yeah. know, we're talking about a lot of stuff right now. And and so when, when I'm speaking on a lot of these things, I might share a bit here about, you know, who I am and where I'm coming from, because I think that matters. And I think we all should kind of share, um, you know, where we're coming from, because the story is really what the pricing comes from. You know what I'm saying? We run the numbers by our worth and where we're headed. And, you know, we research our peers and we research our buyers and we understand our value and our uniqueness and, you know, what we promise and our brand and our community. And, you know, we share resilience and drive and unconventionalness. I mean, we can, I can go on for quite a bit, but, you know, I think it's, it's less about our ideas and more about our execution as, as individuals. I think that's I like that. uh, some some really amazing points. Like, and I feel that like in this like Web three zone, it gives artists this new freedom of building their own consensus of what like their value is. Um, you know, I, I kind of would like to like take this like a little bit of you know almost comparing like like how the traditional world like has worked in the past and like you know use it almost as like 
a place for us to like break the rules and you know really like understand that so like we can really like be not only you know taking care of each other but being very conscious of our lifelong sellability so like like some artists like you know when let, let me go back to like you know the secondary market and like the auctions used to be like a dirty little secret of the fine art world like people didn't talk about the prices of things we were concerned about you know what art was doing for culture and how it was changing like the living dialogue of art like art was at the center of the conversation cut to like the last 10 years where auctions became so prevalent and important was because like the price consensus started to become like very real like the art market is something that's very real like if you watch these these like auctions and stuff you see you know depending on the rarity of an artist and the amount of pieces that they made their prices will go for different things so like a Banksy on one day will sell for like $20 million where a Banksy that is like, you know, like there's a bunch of them made or it's like more prevalent could maybe not even like reach its, you know, basic, like basic price to like be sold or like start the auction, you know? So it's like a very, very strange thing, but now it's like at the center of the conversation. And what started to happen was, is, a lot of like art advisors and people trying to help artists or help their own selves would, would go to artists and they would inflate their prices at auction. And it would oftentimes leave the artists like really fucked. And this is something like really important that I wanted to like speak to you about that. It's like, they would take these young kids and, you know, especially like people like this dude, Stefan Simkowitz. I, I don't know if he still does this as much, but in the past he had done this. I think he's become a good collector. But in the past, he would take, you know, an artist and get a bunch of people to buy it and manipulate this thing like at auction. And what would happen was the artist wasn't able to sell it that again. So if they, they came out the gate and they were like at $10,000 and then all of a sudden their auction goes for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And there's only a few people in the world that were like willing to like pay that money for your art again. So it's like, really really important to make a slow and considerate like value change it's not like let's change our prices so that they're this much and then this much and then this much it's like a very very dangerous game for an artist because like how many people can afford your work at a million dollars how many people can afford your work at hundreds of thousands of dollars like it's something to be thinking about as we grow and want to sustain our art making for our entire lives. So it's just like a very, very important thing. And I, I won't continue now, but I just wanted to like, really like start the conversation of uh, around this type of thinking is like, I'm, I want every artist to win. So I'm thinking about your longevity of your creation, your power to be creating like your entire life. So it's like very important to make something sustainable, but you know, what is sustainable in this new space? And what is the value of this, this new type of art and where it is and maybe there's like some art that has never had you know certain value that's getting all types of different traction in web3 so it's like there's no rules now but these are kind of like the things that we need to like be careful and watch out for so i just wanted to start off a little bit like that but i wanted to hand it to whoever 
has anything that they want to say or any questions or anything uh, that they think could be helpful. I'll jump in and add something. Um, I think it's, it's so it's really interesting because we all want to be sustainable when we come to our pricing and that is really an important factor. But so I, I think where I'm coming from is a different approach because I think we were kind of discussed this in the background, like between me and Dee's and Kath and Eric and like we were kind of figuring out pricing, like where we all come from because Eric, Kath and Dee's, like we all kind of like started this little conversation and like a small conversation and then it kind of like grew into what we're, we're talking about now. So when I got into photography, um, I think maybe I come from a different background because I immediately jumped into selling my pieces for a higher price line. I, I basically put myself in like a luxury brand of photography. I didn't want to sell my items for $500. I wanted to sell them for 5000 So my idea was is that that was my price tag and that's pretty much what I was just going to leave it at. When I entered the gallery world, uh, the galleries laughed at me and they said there was just no way I was going to be able to sell my art for that much. And I think that fueled me even more and um, pushed me in more of a direction of wanting to be able to sell it for those prices. So after about five years of doing my photography and selling a couple prints for those prices, I was able to open my own gallery with that money. Um, when I opened my own gallery, I immediately put my prices at those, at that at those tags and they sold. And when I lowered my prices during that time, when things got like into a bear market, um, it, it made no difference. It, it didn't change anything for me. And I know that's kind of like very taboo to be able to play with your prices. But at the time, I was new in the photography world and I wasn't established and I could pretty much do what I wanted and experiment, kind of like what we're doing on the blockchain. Because photography, there weren't a lot of galleries when I was doing it. It was just kind of a taboo art. It wasn't even really considered art. Galleries would laugh at us. So when I was playing with my pricing and lowering it, it didn't matter how much I lowered it to, it mattered about the demand for my photography. So the pricing never really affected the structure or the sales of my photography in my world. So when I came into the NFT game, I saw what was happening and saw the photography was not selling. There was no photography really even available on the blockchain, um, especially with landscapes. And that's when I immediately put my work up and put them up for higher prices. And I got a lot of criticism and I got a lot of anger because, you know, um, Collectors and photographers reached out to me and said I was destroying the photography market because we needed to lower our prices to get more people in and increase the volume. And this was kind of the same shit that I had heard 15 years ago when I was trying to sell my photography in galleries. So I think when I was approaching my NFT photography, I wanted to kind of come at it with the same approach, which is, is that no one really can dictate your prices. You have to do what you feel is right. So when I'm looking at my photography, and I think Kath can even resonate with this a little bit because we've literally had like hours of conversations about how the extremes that you go to as a landscape photographer to get your pictures. And it's not necessarily just like how hard it was, but it's what you put into it, the equipment, the hours, the experience, the time, the, re uh, the, uh, the research that you go into, and then getting there and getting the correct image and waiting till the right season and just really getting everything perfect. There's so much value that goes into that one photograph that I think um, when people walk through a gallery, they look at it and they go, well, anyone can take that. I have an iPhone. Why is that guy selling that for $10,000 or $20,000? That's shit. I can do that with my phone. Well, I think when people understand the dedication and the process that goes into creating an image um, while traveling the world and living out of your car, doing whatever you have to do to sacrifice to make that image, there's, um, I think there creates a lot of value within yourself as an artist. And therefore, when I hear like 
and and this was growing up in photography from my family to my friends like dude you, you're not surviving like you barely can make it and yet you won't lower your prices you have too much pride and that shit ate me alive because it was really a question that i had to question myself do i have too much pride am i just overvaluing myself but over the years i had to kind of discover my intention well why am i creating photography Am I creating it because I want to sell it? Is it about creating it for the validation? And once I realized that I create photography because I love photography, I create it because I love the stuff that I make and I put it on my walls regardless of what anybody else thinks. And then I realized, well, shit, I don't create photography for the collectors. I create it for myself. So it doesn't really matter where I consider my value as long as I always value my own work and value myself for what I'm creating it for. And so when I look at pride and I look at the, the fine line between pride and self-value, it's, it's a very fine line. However, it's, it's hard um, when you're trying to sell your art and trying to be mindful of pride. However, I think that when you are selling your art and you are pricing it, and I don't think that anybody should do what I've done because it isn't exactly successful. I wouldn't recommend my strategy whatsoever because it isn't successful. It's literally just how I price my artwork. Um, I think you have to price it and approach it, not necessarily from a prideful point, from how you value yourself and what you will regret if you sell it for that price. Because you can only sell something once when it's a one of one. And so when you're selling something as a one of one and you see somebody flip it for more, it sometimes does get to you and you sometimes will regret this. And that's why when I try to approach my pricing and I saw how the secondary market works, I decided to approach my pricing was the artist was going to collect the money for my price. The artist was going to win when they sold my work, not the person who collected my art. Because at no point did I ever get into my art or creating my art to get my friends or my collectors rich. That was just never a concept in my mind. It was never... I'm creating this piece so I can get all my friends and collectors to make a bunch of money. It just never, never hit me that way. So when I make art, I'm literally just making it for myself and then selling it for what I think it's worth. And again, I don't think everybody should do it this way. This is just how I've always approached it. I don't know if this is sustainable. I don't know if it's for, you know, uh, I know I'm long term, so I, I really don't give a shit if it's sustainable. This is just how I'm literally doing it. And again, I don't think everyone should do that. I just want to preface that. This is just how I've always approached my art, and this is where all my tweets come from, and this is, yeah, this is where it's coming from. So thank you for letting me speak, Deez, and thanks for holding down this room. Hell yeah. Elise, I think you had your hand up first. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying, especially John. I, I respect where your head's at. I think our main priority is to experiment, you know, and to see, you know, what works for us. And I reference Keith Haring quite a bit with art because I think Keith Haring had the right idea about, you know, accessibility and scarcity and value and the way that you respect your art and still care about community because he didn't care about playing with the amount of work that he gave out. I mean, I know this is a different time, but I just felt like he had the mentality of community and accessibility. And, you know, a lot of us may have high prices in certain places, but we also have lower prices and plans in different places. And so, you know, with that being said, I think there's a lot of ways that these higher prices can be sold based on certain signals. You know, these signals can be collectors, these can be museums, they be can be curator impressions that really deciding these certain factors of sales for each of us. And, you know, it's, it's a playing field that it's, it's, it's a game that we're all really playing at the end of the day. And, 
you know, like John said, we're we're experimenting and what works for me, what works for John, what works for Cass, what works for everybody else on the, on this panel right now, you know, doesn't doesn't have to work for everybody else. But I think that we just have to trust. We have to trust and trust and trust in our love for what we do because that's what speaks for everything. Uh, I just want to, I, I love that you said that, at least, and you brought on a few topics, but I think it goes beyond like, like the love thing. Like, like, let's say that we're all in the same place of making like experimental art that we love with all of our hearts. I think that what we're talking about here is just like the sustainability of what we're pricing these things at. Like, like, I have no doubt that, like, I love John's work. I don't know about your work, like, but I know that you're coming in here doing this with all your love or you wouldn't be speaking about it. It's just about like, like, how do we make artists be like the most successful that they can be? And you touched on something really good, at least I wanted to like, like talk about. And it's diversification. Now, diversification for artists is the most important thing for now. So it really solves the problem of like what we're actually facing and talking about, that you can have a very high end and a very low end that's like accessible. I like you and like Keith Herring, I'm about like reaching everybody on earth. But also I like to sell works for, you know, high prices to like collectors that, you know, collect some of the best art that's ever been made in the world. Like to be like in like the biggest Magritte collection is a huge honor for me to have that in like one of my paintings be in that. But to those collectors, you can have a certain pricing and that doesn't mean that you can't make a sticker, a t-shirt, like an installation, you know, that people can go to for free, you know, like um, a print that people can afford, you know? So it's like, like artists need to be looking at exactly what you're saying, at least. And like, I think it's really, really important, like what you said, but, you know, I just wanted to like be focused on, you know, pricing is hard and it's not just about like pricing something because you love it and you feel it belongs like at this price which i believe in like artists being like the their own directors of what their value is but there is something to be said for sustainable like pricing for your life like if you're to say that you know in your popular moment that like everything that you have is a hundred thousand dollars it's just how many people are you leaving off of the table and out of the conversation of collecting your work? And does that hurt your entrance into society, culture, and the actual historical art dialogue? Are you including the people that you want to be in with you? You know what I'm saying? Like, so those are just some things that I wanted to mention, like on to what John and Elise had talked about, which is like very, very good and amazing points. And I think we're off to like a really good start, but I'll, 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 pass my mic off to whoever hands were up but i don't remember I think, who's next. I think you're making some really good points and and running off what john and elise both said like i think the beautiful thing that i've found through meeting all of you uh collectors included is we i feel like all have our own story and all have our own personality and background that's kind of coming to light in all of these discussions that we're having topics that we're having. And I think especially for the differences in artists that's starting to really come out. And like me and John and Elise, we all have different journeys. I was listening to what John was saying about pricing, like coming in at a high price. That in it of itself is a specific underdog mentality. I took it a little bit of a different route because I had always felt 
undervalued as myself as an artist until as a photographer until the nft space and coming into it like i took that underdog mentality and seeing you know john sell for what 23 eth cast sell for 30 eth which is a beautiful thing it's amazing but i thought you know i i can't compete with that just coming in by myself like no nobody in this space really knows who i am so i started out small point two on everything and sold until i was in the top 20 of the foundation all-time sellers and then worked with my collectors and started to communicate with them build deeper relationships and say hey i'm i'm upping my price after all of these sell out and this is kind of based off of what i've seen like other projects do whether it be pfp projects or other art projects or how i've seen other artists you know excel in the space so after point two goes to one and then you kind of see what happens and you feel it out but the sustainability part and having different price points on certain images like your best or, or absolutely your best you're one of ones those are however you want to price them. But also, I'm a huge believer in zero friction across the board, right? I want everybody, including other artists and photographers who may not have sold very much, to have access to my photography, other people's photography. So that's where, like, you know, additions come in of 0.05, and, you know, there are 25 of them, something like that, and trying to work out different levels of collectors so that there's zero friction across the space 100% whether you're an underdog mentality like I am and saying hey you know this is like my shining moment of making myself as an artist believing in myself and having other people's believe in me too but also the people who have been in it like John like Kath, like Elise, like so many other photographers on stage and so many other photographers listening down in the audience, you know, whatever it is, whatever your journey is, you kind of do have to have that plan of what is my pricing going to be? And, and friends, you made a great point. How do I make this sustainable? Because this is long term, right? We're not here for a few months and then ducking out. If you're here and you're committed to it, you're going for long-term value, you're going for long-term sustainability, and you're going for a price point and community friendships with your collectors and that communication back and forth that builds on that sustainability and helps you as an artist reach that point. Very well said. We have hands raised. You guys could just go freeform and talk. I think we're we're all just here hanging, Ravi vibing, <laughs> vibing. Eric. Go ahead, Eric. <laughs> or not? Um, all right, I'll jump in then. Yeah. So I I have a little bit of a different story probably than uh, than John does and uh, quite a few other photographers, but I kind of started in the commercial space. Um, social media, like super early on Instagram. And then my first commercial client was Nike, where I charged, uh, I think $1,000 for the day, you know, huge, huge money at the time for uh, a starting artist. Um, and I delivered, you know, way too many photos. And then I grew my career from basically there to uh, being able to do six figure shoots, 
like pretty regularly. Things just change really quickly over like the next few years. So the sustainability of a career and then being able to transition into fine art NFT space um, is really fascinating seeing how the value of each piece and each kind of individual uh, journey, because your entire story, like uh, so many people have said on stage, your story is what matters long term, who you are as an artist, what you've put into the community, why you've been here for years, because it's not a cash grab. It's not something you're going to come in and out of because you care so much over a long period of time that you're willing to sacrifice. And if your own sales dry up and you're sitting there, you're still going to create no matter what, because that's just who you are as an artist. And that's the most important thing that collectors can a lot of times see. So basically, when you have these pieces that go out and you don't know what to price them at, it's it's really at the beginning, um, it can go, you can start with John's kind of mentality of pricing high, or you can go with a lot of other people's, which is pricing low, but then eventually you get provable market value. And that's where the market kind of dictates and says, yes, this is the, the value I'm willing to uh, put on this piece and things will naturally kind of evolve from there. And then from there, you start to understand what the value is short term and you can divide it up into additions and everything else. Um, and it is really interesting doing like market discovering what your price point is as an artist because you don't know until you put it out there. So that's something that a lot of people are just scared to even put anything out there. And I always say to artists, just do it you know, work really hard on the piece, be proud of it, put it out there and then see what the market starts to give you. And you can always adjust. Um, it's always better to like ask for forgiveness, right? So you can you can look at it that way. And another another interesting thing is that uh, I was walking around Christie's last week in, in New York with, you know, 10 other artists that were, in my opinion, blue chip, really talented, amazing creators, you know, selling all over the place in the NFT world. Um, and we all had this discussion looking at like the Basquiat's and the, you know, the people piece and all these pieces. And then we'd walk by a photograph and the photograph would be priced at one tenth the cost of every other piece we just walked past in the same room. And that just like blew me. I mean, obviously I know that from photography, but it still blows my mind every time that they're in the same gallery right next to each other, same size, uh, but it's one's a photography print and the other is a picture uh, or a painting of uh, almost exactly the same thing. Literally, it was a black and white seascape, black and white, just two tones of gray. And then next to it was a painting that was almost all black uh, with like a little bit of gray, almost identical for one tenth the cost. So when we think about that, this is the the NFT space is one of the first times that photography has had the opportunity to change that narrative and actually be in the spotlight and realize the value of all the photographers and all of the work that we put into it and the mountains we hike or the stories we tell or the people and the places that we put ourselves in in order to create that value. So being able to do that, we, ha we have the narrative in our control as artists to say, this is what it's worth. This is the kind of value that it brings and the stories that we capture um, in this ephemeral nature. So we have to stay strong to what we believe and then uh, adjust as the market adjusts because it, the market isn't always ahead. It's just with us while we're figuring things out while well, a new medium comes along. And if people are saying, no, painting's still more valuable, it's the same thing as saying like digital art isn't real art. It's not, it's just not even an argument in most of our minds that are in this space right now because we get it. So uh, just, yeah, really focus on um, your, your story and bring that to light through your art. And I think that a lot of us will start to discover uh, price points that are sustainable long-term. 
I totally agree with that, Ravi. Um, I think like when you're looking at the NFT space, it is a little bit different um, because, you know, like when you're working with collectors, like they're, you know, a lot of them are, are they reaching out to you? Uh, it's, it's a lot different telling your story in the NFT space. And um, so when you're in like a gallery setting or you're selling your own work, it's easy to talk about your work because you're walking around your gallery, you're telling people about your art, you're explaining your story and people fall in love with your story. I mean, 99% of my art has been sold based on the fact that I told the story behind it. I uh, told them how I got into it. I told them, you know, I've traveled the world with my dog by my side. Like everything that I tell them, they they love the energy of it. And then you take your white gloves out and you put the you put the print up in a frame and you show them the image and you turn the lighting down and you, you seat them down on the couch. Like everything that plays into it is like such an experience when it comes to uh, doing the fine art photography. So... When you're looking at like the NFT space, it's a whole different paradigm. It's like it's a different dynamic on how you're approaching your art sales because when you're putting it up there, every single person in the world can see it's not selling. Everybody can see what the price is at and where it's moving and the transparency of the blockchain. And it's almost scary for a, uh, an artist to put their work up there because everybody can see that you suck. That's how I feel. Like it's like I'm not selling my work. I feel like a fraud. I feel like. Um, you know, my shit's not worth it. I mean, if you go to my foundation page, I really have one big collector and that guy has collected most of my work and has supported the prices that I put them at. But there's this, like, what do we do? You know, how do we move through the space? How do we navigate? And I remember when I entered the space, um, I didn't want to price based on the market because I was like, there really is no market in the first place. There was like no landscape photography. And everyone was telling me like, maybe put it up for like 0.5, maybe one ETH. And that was when ETH was like a grand. So it was, it, it was really hard for me to be able to do that. Cause I was like, this is like a one of one piece that I've like worked my ass off for. And then when I put it up for like, I think like five ETH or something, everyone said like, dude, you can't do that. Like, don't think you're famous because you've had a gallery and you've got a check mark next to your name. <laughs> and, and it wasn't that. It had nothing to do with that. Like my following on Twitter was not based on photography. My following was based on music and the concert that I had done before. So my following wouldn't have supported these prices anyway. I was never getting into it because of some type of quasi fame or, or galleries or anything like that and putting my prices higher than anybody else. That had nothing to do with it. It was literally based on the idea that, look, this is what I put into this. This is how much I've put into this. And this is why I'm valuing at this price. And um, I'm going to throw this to Kath because Kath really had an amazing breakdown on why she put her pieces up at a higher price in the beginning when we were talking in like March on why she was valuing her pieces at I think it was like six East at the time when we were discussing it. And I'm going to kind of throw it to her because I think she had a really good explanation on her value system. What's up? Thanks, John. Um, bonjour. Hey, bonjour, bonjour. Um, yeah. Tika buta. <laughs> John, we're um, being recorded. Don't forget that. Oh, 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 okay, okay. <laughs> that only makes us act worse, Keith. Yeah, seriously, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> I had so many John Knopf jokes coming into this, and then I saw recorded. And I'm like, I'll just sit here in silence. <laughs> no, you have to. You have to use them, please. We love it. Please, I love it. Um, it's so funny because I remember some of the clubhouse conversations like back in the days, like in March, where it was like the one ETH club where we were sort of like all coming to the conclusion that like, don't underprice yourself, minimum one ETH. And it's it's interesting because I would look back at myself uh, 
you know, back in the days. And I would be like, you know what, Kat, you don't know anything. We're all trying to figure it out. There's some people that, you know, it's okay if they want to price their stuff at 0.05 and it's okay if you want to price your stuff at 100, 100 ETH. I think at the end of the day, it just depends on, you know, how you want to price yourself as an individual. And there's just so many different factors. And uh, for, for my Genesis piece, actually, I waited probably like four months before, four to five months before dropping anything because I just really wanted to take my time. And I had no idea what to price myself. And I basically uh, took that Genesis piece um, image, which was a photo from Iceland. And I calculated all of the expenses related to that. Plus uh, all of the time that I spend, maybe like, you know, at, at a cost per hour, maybe around 30 bucks or whatever, not even. And that, that gave me a minimum of six ETH just to, you know, arrive flush with with uh, with what it cost me to produce that specific image because uh, I spend around like two weeks around there coming back and you know it, it also Iceland is pretty expensive so um, I think that sometimes maybe when you're a little bit lost coming from a logical perspective might might help um, and, uh, and and that's how I, I decided to to price my uh, my Genesis piece at 6.33 but I have to say that I also, so basically I sold my piece uh, within two days at 7th, but after that I didn't sell anything for two months, you know? And I was like, well, did I overprice myself? Was it the wrong strategy? Um, and at the time also I didn't have any other jobs. So like I kind of needed the money. Um, so I think that that's, that's also a factor to take in consideration, right? Like, do you have another job that you can sustain yourself and afford to leave a piece for one month, two months, whatever, six months? Uh, or like, do you know, do you need to pay the bills and put some food on the table? So what I decided to do when I saw that I was not selling was, you know, instead of just sitting down and complaining about my life, I decided to become more active in the community and start supporting people more and, and start connecting more with, with, uh, with different artists and retweeting more. And I remember at the time, you know, everybody was selling to that specific big collector and I felt a little bit, you know, like, yes, a little bit sad not to sell, but at the same time, genuinely happy for other people. And I remember there was a specific space that was with these actually, where I was just in the audience and uh, there was a, a, a few photographers on stage and I got invited on stage to share my story. And at that time, I, ha I haven't sold for, uh, for, for two months. And then I started sharing about my story and then these connected with my piece. And he made an offer of, uh, I think, 4.5 Ethereum. And my second piece, which, you know, was was left on sold at the time. And I have to say that before that, that specific piece was at 6.33. So I think that's another example that it's important to experiment sometimes and, you know, deciding to maybe even take out a reserve or just sort of like letting the market, uh, you know, dictate, not necessarily dictate, but at least, you know, um, try to, 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 um, perhaps uh, like help you uh, have a better understanding of pricing and how this kind of thing works uh, might be like a, a good option. So then I decided to accept that offer and then immediately I got an offer coming in. So that helped me gain back some sort of momentum and eyes on my work. 
And uh, I don't believe that, you know, accepting, uh, you know, below my reserve was necessarily a bad move. I think it was a really good move. And I think that's why it's important to experiment because you never know, you, you never know, you know, who could be that person that helped you, you know, get more eyes on your work. And for me, that was actually a really decisive moment in my career. And after that, you know, I, I gained back my momentum and that that helped me, you know, um, with, uh, with my, with my future sales. So that, 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 that was like, a, an experiment. And I, I just encourage everybody to, uh, you know, to, to, to try different things with pricing and like, you know, maybe you want to price one thing like super high and, and let it sit there for three months, but you have to be okay with that as well. Uh, you, you really have to be okay with that. And it comes back to like, you know, how long are you willing to wait? If you're, if you want to price one thing at uh, one of your piece at 30 Ethereum and wait six months, that's fine. But if you want to, you know, price your Genesis piece at one Ethereum and that, that, that increases the pool of collectors that will be able to collect your work, that's also, also okay. And it doesn't mean that you are underpricing yourself. So that's sort of like my, um, my philosophy around that. I see Elise. What's up, Elise? Hey, BB. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I have like I have a couple of things to like say to that. Were you gonna say something, Elise? I didn't know. Oh, I I wasn't sure if she was calling me or not. I saw some other hands up, but um, no, I was just I honestly I just wanted to agree and a hundred percent say that Kath is is preaching. You know, I get I think we sometimes feel too rushed in this space, and and we got to remember, you know, what what got us here, and we got to remember to create and be artists, and we also have to remember. The people, I mean, I just joined the space early this year, right? So I also have to remember the people who came before me and how long they've waited to find their success. You know, it's been years for a lot of these people. And so I tried to embody what they felt and how that, they had a lot of patience and understanding and trusting my vision of my work. And, you know, that's kind of how I, I see it. So, yeah, I preach. Yo, patience is amazing. And I feel that, like, as this space is a completely new world, it is really good to like experiment with pricing. But as we get sustainable and think about that and longevity, you don't necessarily want to be going backwards. You want to be increasing and you want to be increasing in a slow, methodical way. Like that's really like how like you'll be able to make art for like 100 years. Like I don't think about 10 years. I, I really think about like 200 years. And I think about always 200 years because that's like how zeitgeist works. It's like, what are you contributing from like the last like thousands of years of humanity and going into like the next future of like the next 200 years after you, you know, like, and we might live to like 150 or something this year. And I, I wanted to say like one important and cool story about the artist Jeff Koons. And I, I'm not sure how, how much you guys are like familiar with Jeff Koons's like whole like arc and like work span, but he was selling like work at the top of his career and making millions of dollars for like artworks. And he hit a moment where like the art world just completely was like, we're not buying your stuff. And he didn't sell works for like 10 years. Like legit. Think about that. Think about being at the top of your game. And then there's a point in your career, you make something where you upset everybody in the art world and they don't buy your work for 10 years, you know? And then obviously we see what happened after that 10 years he got back into like the zeitgeist. He's one of the highest like selling artists in the world. But it's like, it's just so important to be thinking about this is forever. Like, it, 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 I'm sure it feels great to like be getting like 
a crazy sale that like some collector believes in you and is willing to pay like 30 ETH in this new environment for somebody that is groundbreaking. And some of you guys should be charging that for groundbreaking first provenance photography that is really changing the scope. But if you look at other photographers that have been in the art world for, for so long, like, you know, like Cindy Sherman, like, like, look at her, look at what she's charged through, like, out time. Like, she's a photographer, but she's fucking brilliant photographer. And, you know, her work sells for what a brilliant photographer's work sells for because she pushes, like, hu human and, like, perception and, like, you know, what it is to be, like, a woman in this, like, you know, previously male-dominated, like, world of fine art, which was the most, like, white male boys club that has ever like existed it was like a money laundering scheme for like just a certain type of people and i feel that while we're building this new infrastructure it's great to experiment and think about like all the worlds and things that we'll do and diversification as well as like you know you know a lot of what we're talking about but it's like you know thinking about like longevity and provenance and like your story like along the way and i think that those are all good things that we're all talking about so i just wanted to keep keep it flowing i wanted to go next yeah i'll jump in i'll uh i'll actually go off mute this time last time Revy kicked it over to me and i talked for like 30 seconds before realizing i was on mute um so i think that yeah everyone on stage is an incredible artist and i feel like a lot of people on here are are pure true like born artists and i, I come from i guess kind of like an untraditional background so maybe i can connect with some people in the audience who kind of just fell into this. Um, I was an electrical engineer. I used to, you know, sit at my desk all day long, just dream of doing something to end my day that was more fun than just kind of sitting at the keyboard and designing things. So I would go to the beach every single day after work for like five, six years, never a vision in sight, never like thought it would turn into anything. And the one thing I realized, this is like the very early days of Instagram, the, the greatest passion I got was first creating for myself. Of course, you know, I loved, going to the beach and I love the feeling in that moment of capturing something, but there was something about connecting with someone uh, on the other side of the world when they saw that picture and commented on it. That was like this other kind of epiphany for me that there was like a greater purpose to creating this stuff than just for myself. So when I hear people talk about creating for themselves, like I obviously think that that's incredibly important for longevity. Like you have to do it for yourself first and foremost, otherwise you're going to get burned out at some point. But for me, I think that the fact that I enjoy connecting with other people plays a very important role in not only pricing. I, I mean, I think we talk a lot about pricing, but selling is the other side of it too. So, I mean, we can talk about pricing a ton, but I think it's important too, that you can look at what people are pricing at and you can look at what people are selling at. And sometimes those two dynamics are quite a bit different and the strategy along with them are quite a bit different as well. So for me, when I started off in this space, I started a little bit lower than maybe I would have loved to. But I had a couple quick sales and I started building relationships with those collectors. And then I kind of decided, I think someone brought it up earlier to kind of establish yourself at a certain level and then test a little bit higher. So that was kind of the strategy that I took is I built relationships on the foundation with the first people who, like, I think NorCal guy was the, the first guy who ever collected my first couple pieces. And to this day, he's still like one of my best friends in the entire space. I probably talk to him every single day. And he is done an incredible job, like actually going out and talking to other people about my work. So I think that you can't discount that factor too of like the very early relationships that you make, even if you potentially sell a little bit lower than what you would have loved to sell at. I think that those relationships can catapult you forward to levels that 
it would be a lot harder to start off at. Like, and I would never, I'm never going to analyze or, you know, talk down on someone else's strategy. I think everyone else, everyone who decides to go a certain path that that's unique to them. And I'm in no position to judge them. I personally don't think I could do what John did and start extremely high, just based on like my background, I'm coming in kind of as someone just trying to build a name in this space. Um, so yeah, that's like kind of the approach that I took that I think might actually help some people who are kind of trying to get involved in the space a little bit more is to build those relationships, focus on the relationships on the foundation and then start trying to climb up slowly. And if you can establish yourself at greater price levels, then that's awesome. Maybe you're destined to be a little bit higher, but I think that you need to start at something realistic and focus on the relationships at the end of the day. Real quick, I just want to jump in. So you and I, I think, are complete polar opposites when it comes to this because I'm socially awkward and have awful social anxiety. So for me to have relationships with my collectors, as much as I do, I do have a lot of relationships with some of them. But for me to have relationships with my collectors is almost impossible for me because I'm a landscape photographer for a specific reason. I like going out into the wilderness where there is nobody around me. I do it by myself where there's literally nobody around me except my dog. Like that's one of my favorite things in the world to do is just go out in the middle of nowhere for like a month and just be there by myself. So like we're completely polar opposites when it comes to that. Cause I, I'm very, it's very hard for me to talk to collectors in like my DMS. Like I have friends like D's is my friend. Um, I, I don't like, I never really like looked at it, like creating a relationship with him. Like I just was like, these is, I vibe with these. Like, that's just kind of how that went it, in. And like Vince, Vince, we vibe and, and it's weird, but that, that's like, that's how I've always been able to just like do that. But I, I can't like, I don't know how to explain it, but I've never been able to maybe like, you know, Cap and I have talked actually about this before and she has her hand up. Like, I don't know, but Kath, do you want to kind of talk about that a little? Maybe we like the friendship. We love it. I love the friendships. Don't get me wrong. It's it's not that. I just suck at like talking to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but do we love the baguette? This is the the real question. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, like I think that let's just go back to my Genesis piece. I remember I was, uh, you know, sort of like asking for advice to. A few different collectors that I have heard in spaces, uh, including Norco Guy, and uh, I I could say that Norco Guy is is the 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 collector that I'm keeping you know the the friendship uh, you know alive and you know talking to um, you know a few times a week. But I have to say also that like there's a lot of people that have collected my work that just have bid on super rare and then they reach out and then it's just like that's the end. They 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 truly only want to collect the art. And we talk a little bit and that's, I think that's okay too. So I think it would be a, a little bit unrealistic to expect every like collectors to keep a really close relationship with the, the artists that they're collecting from, because these, can you imagine if you would have like, you know, the, these close, you know, relationships and friendships with all of the, the artists that you would have collected from, I don't think you would be. He does. He does. Uh, they, tr they try and it's tough. Yeah, it's like a full time job to talk in DMs. So you yeah, don't sleep, you don't eat. Yeah. It's <laughs> but that's no, what I'm I saying. Create, I create boundaries by ghosting people. It's just like no yeah. offense. I'm, you need to hire an so, assistant. That's it. You would almost need an assistant. So I think you know if if these friendships come naturally, then of course. But I don't think it's absolutely necessary in order to be successful in this space. Like for me, it's really been like a 
half and half, like, you know, people reaching out to me prior and then getting to know me a little bit, getting to know about my work and then bidding. And then maybe the other half, just like people I've never heard of, just discover my work and then bid on, on my stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think, you know, relationships like in friendships, they can be, they can be there. And I think it's pretty fucking cool if they're there, but I don't think they are necessary for an artist to succeed. And I'm a little bit like John, like I'm, I'm a huge introvert. Like I don't text my friends that much. Like I'm, I don't have like many friends and I'm just, I'm just like, I'm not, I don't engage conversation a lot in my day-to-day life. So I don't know why, like, I don't think it would make sense for me to do the same thing with collectors. So I think it just, it needs to be, it needs to be authentic and, and, and make sense. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're able to actually, you know, cultivate all of these friendships with a ton of people, then, you know, respect, but you need to do things that feel authentic to you. That's a, that's a great angle to take. I will say that um, when I said like my kind of beliefs in why I create art and why I find value in other people, you know, appreciating it or finding joy when they see it, like by no means, I mean, that you should have a best friend relationship with everyone who's collecting your work or that that is like a necessary factor for success. I think it just emphasizes even further that based on your personality, based on what you prioritize and based on maybe what you're looking for in the space, you have a different approach when it comes to pricing and strategy. Like I know for me personally, I value those relationships and friendships and just, it's not only with collectors, it's just with other artists. You know, like that's one thing that I've always loved so much getting out there and creating and just generally enjoying travel and finding other people who do the same. So I think that that is plays a very important factor into my pricing because I would rather have one person a month collect my work than have like one person a year collected at a higher price. And that's just because I think that I enjoy the social element. I enjoy connecting with other artists and collectors in that capacity. And I think it's so cool to have that relationship when someone finds that much value in your work and you can kind of build that. But by no means am I saying that that's like a necessary thing that you need to do. It's just something that I've always prioritized and I found it kind of plays a factor in the way that I approach this space. I think it's like an important thing that we're talking about. And I want to like almost like take like this like interesting middle step of like what we're talking about and, and talk about something interesting. Like we all agree that like making art for yourself and from your heart is amazing. But then we spoke about like like what you're charging for that. And I think the intermediary step of that is something that Marcel Duchamp, you know, the great Dada artist like had kind of like put to us. And he's like, the true art happens between the art maker and the art observer. So that's like where like the happening, the magic, like that crazy spark thing is like going down. So even before like what the value is and what the pricing is, which is like very important to being an artist, it's like, how are you affecting, who are you affecting and why are you affecting them in this way? So it's like, if you are the art maker are touching somebody from across the world with your art, that's like the most valuable thing ever more than ever selling like a piece of work to like a collector could ever be. So it's like, it's a very important intermediary, I can't get that word correct, intermediary, like uh, step of like our value and our creation of making the art is that knowing that even if you're making art from yourself and that's like the truest art is making it with your love in this experimenting and exploration. It's like, how are we affecting these people that collect it, how are we affecting like the world with like what we're doing and artists now, and this is why I feel this is the best timeline can affect people and culture more than we have ever affected people and culture in the world. 
it used to be that fine artists would make work and the rest of the world would take what they're doing and bring it into mass culture. And now artists have the opportunity to do this for the very first time. So, you know, me and my art practice, I do that. I do that in like multiple levels. And, you know, I just almost go back to that diversification thing is like have pieces that you sell for insanely amounts of, of whatever you want to charge for the work that you've put in there and like going out there, whether it's like took take you 20 years to make this like singular art piece or whatever it is, but then like make that accessible, do different things, make a movie, make a documentary, like make a film, start a business, like, like allow yourself to have other income streams where you can charge whatever you want for the things that are like these magical treasures to you. And you don't feel that you're compromising, you know? And, you know, as this is like a new world, this whole web three thing that we're building, it's like, an insane opportunity for us to completely fit, flip the script on anything that's ever been done before. So it's like, like intellectual property making or IP cre creating, you know, and as artists, we're all storytelling. So it's like, how are we sharing our stories? And what is that doing? To me, I feel storytelling is what will save our planet. It's what will unite us more than anything. And the more artists telling stories, like the better for, you know, everything not just art not just the art world but culture as like a, a a much larger conversation so i just wanted to put that out there um hey friends can i can i jump in for one sec i'm so sorry on, no, on what you just said so um i have i have i heard someone once say and i and it's always stuck with me that um great storytelling transcends any medium or platform uh and like when you think about it think about uh the iliad or uh, the Bible, or even Harry Potter, right? Like take Iliad, for instance, you know, first it was memorized and spoken, and then ultimately it was written down, and then ultimately it was um, digitized. And then, um, you know, if you went to, uh, you know, the Alexa today, or, you know, you could ask the Alexa to you know, recite the, the Iliad, and it would. Um, and I'm sure there's an NFT of the Iliad somewhere around. And so, like, I think that it should never be forgotten what you just said, which is uh, great storytelling, great creativity, great creative, um, regardless, uh, you know, transcends all um, mediums. Um, the thing that I love the most about the NFT space that I think is fascinating about this conversation is that for the first time ever, what you're able to see is that uh, creatives and collectors can all of a sudden interact outside of their local economies and their local constituencies. Um, and so, for instance, if you take someone like John Knopf, um, uh, who, because we're being recorded, I'm going to be super respectful tonight. Um, but if you take Please someone don't. like John, John Knopf, you don't uh, have you to. Know, you know, John had a, a gallery in Las Vegas. Um, uh, and, you know, up until the NFT space, like me being in New York City, would never have the opportunity to really engage with John and see his work. And yet now, all of a sudden, I can. And I think that that's really amazing for two, two reasons. One is, is the access that the creative and the collector have to each other. Um, two is, is that John previously... Um, could only price in Las Vegas dollars, which is different from like U.S. dollars or global dollars, right? Like it's what chips, John, right? I don't know. Did you did you sell in casino chips? <laughs> yes, um, casino chips. Before, thanks, right? Okay, so I wasn't sure, but like um, all of a sudden, like you start to realize that as a collector, um, you have access to all of these artists. But as an artist, 
Um, you have access to all of these collectors. And what you start to realize is, is that if the galleries or the middlemen in the past um, acted as sort of the liaisons between the collectors and the creatives, um, the only people that were able to make it through were the hits, right? And so the example that was given before, um, uh, you know, um, was it Coons that you were talking about? Um, um, right? Yeah. I believe it was Coons, right? Like, like he was he was iced because the middleman iced him. He wasn't iced because the collectors iced him. And so when you remove the middleman, like not only are the hits able to make it through, but all of the long tail is able to make it through. And when all of a sudden the long tail is able to make it through on a global level, what you start to realize is that there's a lot of money to be made for a lot of creatives um, in the world because there's just a lot of people in the world. And so it's really not like when I saw you know, John's piece a few months ago go for 23 or, you know, so ETH. Um, and I saw Kat, Kat's piece go, you know, the Hawaii piece go for 100 ETH. Like, this should not be surprising to people because the long tail is a really big tail. It's a huge economy that was never accessible before. And because it's on a global basis, it's just so huge and so interesting for, for people to take advantage of. The only last point I would make and I think that this is really important and it, and it changes when you move into the NFT space, like I've never seen anything like this before, um, is the relationship that collectors have with the artists, you know, all of a sudden become very personal. And that never happened in the previous sort of, I would say, analog relationship between collectors and, and creatives. And so speaking at it solely from, let's say, the collector perspective, right? Like not the time perspective or not a creative perspective, but only from the collector's end. Like in the past, you know, art or photography or whatever whatever genre it was, was always just a commodity to me personally. But what I have found in this space is by having the relationships with um, the creatives and knowing the creatives and hearing the creatives and hearing the stories of the creatives, like I actually have a much harder time um, uh, selling the creative. And as you think about pricing strategy, I would simply say that, you know, whatever your strategy is, just remember that like the stronger the moat you put into place with your collectors, the stronger it is for them or the harder it is for them to then resell your pieces on the secondary, but the better the foundation you have to either move up or down for yourself. And so, you know, John might claim that he's an introvert. Kath might claim that she's an introvert. I mean, this was news to me. I don't know if it was news to everyone on stage tonight, because John, I don't think you shut the fuck up any day on uh, Spaces, right? <laughs> this is being recorded, Keith, you dick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but, uh, uh, I, I'm kidding. I actually love John. He was the highlight of NFT NYC for me, and he was the low light of NFT NYC for me. Um, I love you too, but, uh, but I, but, but uh, I would say that that getting to know uh, the personalities in this space is like really just as valuable as uh, in setting your prices as anything else. And so I'm done speaking for the night. I just wanted to get in three or four points and two or three John sort of nudges. Um, Kath, I kept all my nudges to you on text, um, uh, uh, but because we're recorded tonight, but uh, I hope everyone has a wonderful night and I'm just going to stay in silence now. Thanks, Keith.
Really appreciate you always being on stage with us. We love Keith. We really love Keith. Thanks, Keith. Always tells it how it is. <laughs> I think, like, as an artist, it is really hard to market your own art. We all have had that trouble. I mean, from back in Clubhouse days, I mean, Ravi, all of us. Like, how many times do we say how hard it is to shill our own art? And so, like, we all said this back in the day. And it's not easy to market your own stuff because you feel like you're just shilling your shit. And it's not easy. And so I think, like, people who are really good at marketing their art, don't mistake your own, like, and your own inability to market your own art as an inefficiency or that you're not successful because that is not the case because if you look at artists like van gogh who literally sold one painting his entire life man was still an artist man was still successful in my opinion because he left a legacy of incredible art so don't ever think that you lack success because you're not able to do what say like you know um some of the bigger artists in the space have done i'm not able to market my own art i'm really bad at it like collectors will reach out to me and I end up talking about Kath and I'm like, yo, check out her super rare. Like that, that's how no, bad I am with that. Yo, this is unacceptable. I've literally sent you screenshots. No. <laughs> I'm like, look at like, that was like this guy I think was trying to buy my shit. And I was like, literally like, do you guys see Kath's work? Like that's how bad I am at marketing my own art. So it's like, but at the same time, I'm watching all my friends get successful. And that, I think, in my opinion, with this NFT space in this community is the most important and valuable thing for all of us and what we're doing is elevating all of our friends. I get DMs like weekly. Thank you for tweeting my stuff. I sold something. Hearing that is like worth way more than any sale that I'm ever going to make in this space. And I hear like the idea of like lowering the price, making it so it's sustainable. And I, I completely am empathetic to those concepts because in some countries, 0.05 ETH could last you a month. And I, I can't be more empathetic. And I think that that should be very like approached very delicately. And I think that the, you should be able to allow to be able to make that money. No one should dictate your price. But like when I was approaching it, I just wanted to hold a higher value for photographers, hold a higher value for just what I've created for my own portfolio and how scarce it really is and how limited my images really are. And looking at that, when I did get that big 23 stale, like those were the things like these were not that I did anything for the photography space because I don't believe I did. But the 23 sale was one of the many catalysts, one of the million of catalysts that made photography elevate and i think these big sales are very important so they are also you know need to be taken into consideration when you are making these larger sales because when we do make a billion dollar photography sale i promise you guys photographers are going to be on the map that if for some reason that is the thing that collectors really see is these giant sales and when we finally get that billion dollar sotheby sales everyone's going to go crazy and it's coming it's coming to photographers. And that's all I kind of am trying to push for is just elevating ourselves and the community around us. Okay, I need to interrupt you guys real quick. Me and Steve have had our hands up for at least 20 to 30 minutes. So y'all need to please stop talking. You guys just jump in. Go, though, like, just jump in. Jump in. Not all of us have the gift of gab, you guys. You have to understand go, me. Go. This is an awesome thing I need to talk about too. Is like we talk from such a place of privilege in our in in this conversation. I mean, a lot of motherfuckers, like I'm glad you brought this up, John, because a lot of people don't have the ability to afford a lot of the prices or the points that we're getting to. I mean, 0.2% of artists in this world even have sold above $10 million in their sales. Like we're not talking about 
Like we are very rare motherfuckers standing on this stage right now. And a lot of people are not gonna have that opportunity. So we need to be responsible in our privilege and make promises with our wealth distribution to buy art from the people that we see who are troubled, who can't speak up for themselves, who can't fucking promote themselves because we know and understand that they can't market themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like we can't judge and we have to understand that gas is up. People are going to change their price. Like we, 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 we just need to have different conversations right now about the problems people are having and what we're going to do for people because that's fine. We're making money. That's not a fucking problem. We can talk. We can do our shit. But how are we going to help other people and be responsible for our promises to the community? I mean, I'll jump in really quick before Steve because I think that's something we need to touch on. But I think all of us here, as far as I'm concerned, do. I buy everybody's art. Um, I know a lot of us do. That's literally the whole kind of like foundation of our photography crew is everybody buys each other's art. We retweet everybody. It literally, I can't imagine how many stages I've held for people and taken probably eight hours of my day every single day holding stages for artists that I've never met in my entire life. Um, uh, I should be with my family and I focus on that. So uh, I hear what you're saying, Elise, but we're doing that every single day. And I'm not talking, and we get it, John. We hear from you. We know what you're doing, and we're not attacking you. We're talking about all the millions of other people who are about to be onboarded in this space right now. Please, Steve, go for it. Hello. Steve. I'm here. Don't worry about me being silent. I, th I have a, a list of talking points, and literally every one of them, everyone else has already said. So it's. That's that's my little burden to bear. I guess the one thing I, I do want to emphasize, and I'm glad you talked about that, Elise, is the concept of privilege. You know, it's it's a loaded word to begin with, but it's still true. Like about ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people, you know, in this room and in this space have never made a sale over point one ETH. You know, or probably even less. And it's something to always remember as people who have had a bit of success or a lot of success. And um, and that that kind of like stratifies or completely changes people's paradigms for pricing. Like I can't, I, at the moment, I can't price myself like a lot of people on stage. But at the same time, I'm pricing it a little higher than some of my peers, and a lot higher than a lot of artists I know. So it it goes both ways. And um, yeah, and make no mistake, this isn't the traditional art world. And we can't think about it, you know, in in terms of of galleries and you know, traditional stuff like that. It's it's entirely new, and we're forging ground every day. So, oh, and and the last point uh, for everyone in the audience: don't ever let a lack of sales uh, convince you that your art or photography isn't good, because there's no actual correlation. Absolutely, I want to say one other thing about privilege because. At no point in my photography have I ever really been privileged or made a whole lot of money. I've been in debt most of my photography my entire career. Um, I want to say this and emphasize this more than anything. If you're getting into art, photography, any of those two, I, I mean, any type of art to eat, um, it's going to be a really rude awakening because it's going to take a long time. Um, I've been doing this for 15 years and it's still hard for me. So it doesn't really work overnight and I think Sam like you've been in this for I don't even know how many years and you've spoken on this so many times of how it is literally 
no matter how many years you're in it, almost impossible to make money as an artist. So I just want to emphasize it is really hard to survive as an artist. <laughs> That's why I feel like we're like the angels, like the people who have no choice to like go at this thing and like face not eating and like come from zero dollars and make something is like the craziest thing ever. That's why I do come into these rooms and spend my time to like put people on game. And I think that that's like why we're here at least, you know, it's like, like people that artists that do make it through and do make, you know, enough to like live and like be here in this like incredibly privileged like space. We like have to like, make it our responsibility to bring everybody with us to crash down like the gates that like held us up and let everybody come in with us you know and i think that that's web3 like offers us that in a major way but i, I wanted to like bring up something else that like we we're talking about is like like marketing has become like a very important part of web3 because it's like a, a person to person thing and like I really think marketing kind of sucks, even though it is like an essential thing. But we see like, like amazing marketing happening with like Board Ape Yacht Club and Gary V, you know, like some of the other leaders like in this like space of NFTs and tokenization and what that means, like the value of, you know, these new tokens. So it's like, like, I've never been able to like market. I've always been like, yo, even in the traditional world, any world, I'm like, yo, collectors like. I really don't care to like suck your dick. Like I really want to be make authentic relationships and friendships. Like, and that is really like it, you know, like I never want to be like, you know, this person, that person, whatever. And I feel that like, like marketing kind of sucks, but it's like, that's why like, I'm like before the marketing and before the selling, like, are we making art that connects to people? Are you making that connection? Are you coming to the community to talk to people to like, build your like kind of paying it forward type of like presence like in this space to help others to to put light on others and i feel like what you're saying elisa and steve is like we have to like make sure that we pass this forward to pay this forward to like be like anybody that makes even like an inkling of like like step into the space is like use that super saiyan like power to like give to everybody else like whether it's like your time your energy putting people on game onboarding people like it's it's a crazy thing to make it as an artist like and i've been in this game like 20 years like has as john mentioned and like like i made installation art for the first like 10 years you know who you know who buys installation art zero like nobody buys that shit like literally like like i went from having no money to continually having no money building shit with my hands just to make an experiential like installation and communal gathering that would change people's perspective and bring them like an experience that they had in their lives that changed them and changed like the people around them. So I feel like pure art has nothing to do with like marketing, but making a pure connection is all the marketing that you'll ever need. Like make a pure connection with like people and not only people, but like the people coming after you, you know, and then it starts to like spread and turn into this like thing that is like bigger than you and will power you and allow you to continue to do your work as an artist and be fulfilled. And then having like the energy to like make sure all of these other friends come with us, you know, and that's like, that's like the best thing of life is like walking together. And seeing everybody like win next to you, whether you're like into their art or not, or know their story or not, is like, 
you know, everybody has a story and has been through some crazy shit. Like being a human today in this world is the craziest fucking thing ever. Like if you're surviving now and you can act like a nice, kind human being, like I fucking love you because it's like so hard what we're dealing with this great transition of like isolation, like, you know, like transition from, you know, having like just like a regular monkey brain to like now we are part human, part cyborg, like because of our phones and, you know, what doctors used to think was ADD is really just humans evolving. So if you're looking at it like a different way, it's like, that's okay. We're just trying to survive out here and like be kind and, and nurture each other while we're going through this great transition. But on the other side of that is it's the most beautiful time to be alive and the most beautiful transition that's ever happened. So I'm excited for all of us, you know, and I love like, like doing this together, you know, like ushering each other home. Like, it's like, we're constantly just walking a friend home. That's how I look at it is like making somebody feel good. Even if it's like a tiny bit, like in that day, putting the light on for somebody else, you know? What's friends. amazing about, yeah. go, go ahead, Ovik, sorry. No, I just wanted to say friends, uh, you're, marketing strategy is is literally above the clouds so and i heard you you literally look like the clouds of of yourself as for thank you so yeah what's amazing about like the art community and the photography community in the nft space is the especially photographers because that's what i know and who i know and who i can speak about is our meteoric rise is because we're so sick and tired of the zero-sum game we're so sick and tired of like one person wins nobody else does and that's why we love to lift everybody else up and hearing all of us on stage tonight talk about our personalities like i'm the exact same way i want my photography to be known but if I'm known as a person, it makes me extremely uncomfortable unless we are like really, really close and you're in my inner circle, right? So I love to talk other people's photography because that puts me in a much more comfortable space. It's difficult to talk about my artwork. And I think it was you, John, who was saying that. Um, we all love sharing each other's work because a lot of times we're uncomfortable talking about our own and, you know, we can use like different marketing strategies, like putting yourself in front of the camera and, and filming a video of yourself in the field. And like, I've seen Kath do that on my timeline. Uh, Shane Bloom, who's down in the audience, who I see has an incredible YouTube channel. I try to do YouTube and after doing an entire YouTube video, it makes me want to crawl in a hole and literally die. And, I just think that we all we all want to be known as artists, but it's just it's really hard for us to be seen as people and to be really personally known. Um, and, and that goes into pricing, too, because like it was already said, our pricing is up there for the world to see. And I feel like artists in general are the number one population of creators who like if, if they see that price up there just sitting and it doesn't sell, we second guess and nitpick our own work to death while looking at other people's work and saying, wow, you know, this is all the stuff that they did right. And then looking at our own, we're like, oh, 
here's all the stuff that I did wrong. We also have to remember nobody else sees our work that way. Nobody else is critiquing like every little bit of dodging and burning that we missed or anything like that. I think we have to remember the, the tiny pixelated things that we can pick out two months down the road after we post or, or mint a photo. Nobody else is really seeing that. They're appreciating it from the grand view of things. They're not looking at it from tiny leaves in the forest and getting down to each little pixel. Steve or Kat, since that's, you have your hands up. That's, that's funny, Dave, because I've examined your photos down to the very tiniest pixel. No shit, right? <laughs> but, uh, but, but really, it's, um, it's some good points you were making. I think, um, yeah, the fact, the fact that everyone here starts from a different place and um, continues, you know, with whatever circumstances they have in their life, that really does mean that pricing can and will be all over the board. You know, it's not, it's not just going to be one ETH or more or one ETH or less. I think changing prices is going to be part of this new, um, this new quote art world, and people are just going to have to kind of, kind of deal with that, right? Because we're not, you know, we're not overvaluing or undervaluing at the start. We're just feeling it out, and I think a lot of people get nervous that they have overpriced or underpriced. But in reality, if if someone buys it, it is going to put bread on your table for another week, and you know, for some artists get them a new set of pencils or something. So it's always important to think of the short term as well as the long term. Steve, you have the driest humor and I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm known for that. Steve, I, I love what you said about, um, you know, pricing versus uh, overvaluing yourself and undervaluing yourself. I think that these are not connected because that would mean that someone, you know, pricing their stuff at 0.05, you know, would be undervaluing themselves. Like, I think that's stupid to think this way. I think at the end of the day, you know, you are pricing your stuff according to what you think is, you know, fair for you. Um, and somebody, you know, who is pricing uh, his or her stuff at point one. And if it feels good to sell it at that price, I think that's okay too. And I think we just need to start respecting that a little bit more. Um, and maybe just to piggyback on like supporting other people, I think that we all have different capacities when it comes to supporting. Uh, from some people, it might be monetary. From some other people, it might be time. Um, and uh, from, you know, uh, maybe other people, it might just be, you know, onboarding people from a one-on-one -on -one perspective. So there's many different ways to support people. I don't believe that it just comes down to buying, um, you know, art. I think that for me, the biggest way I have been supporting uh, my close friends were uh, just to, you know, help help them with their strategy and on, onboard them and maybe on a larger scale, just like give some voice and exposure to other artists uh, that perhaps don't have that much exposure. So I think I think we also need to to remember that when it comes to just supporting people in general. I think it's really easy to also get caught up in the noise of social media. I think that going back to like more of a philosophy philosophical level um your journey is unique to you and that applies to art it applies to the business behind your brand it applies to the relationships you have with other people and it's really hard 
to not just look at your feed and see all the sales that are being posted, all the people who are capturing epic stuff around the world, all the jobs people land. And it's, it's just natural to make that comparison to yourself and think that you should be doing that as well. Only, you know, at the end of the day, where you are in your career trajectory, only, you know, the effort that you put into the work that you're releasing, how good the work is compared to the rest of your portfolio. So it's really impossible for you to look at someone else's sale and have any understanding on where that stands in their unique spectrum. So I think that that's one thing to keep in mind, too, is there's so many variables that go into someone just capturing work in general, releasing it, sharing it, all the scouting that went in, pricing, the relationships that go on behind the scenes. Um, those are all things that you're not really privy to with someone else. And it's just, I guess I would encourage people to kind of deviate away from getting too analytical on factors that you can't control. It, it kind of goes back to my whole philosophy around social media in general. Like you can get, I have so many friends who are really big on social media. And then once the algorithm started changing, they just got burned out. They didn't want to play the game anymore. And they, they kind of just fell out of the art scene in general. And that just kind of goes to show that if you get caught up in these factors that, you know, you have no control over, it's just, it's just too easy to get burned out and discouraged. So I think you can only control the quality and effort that you put into your work and really building the relationships the best way that you can. And hopefully at the end of the day, the cards fall as they're destined to. Fantastic uh, point, Eric and uh, GM. Everyone, I, you know, I'm, I'm very, very glad that this conversation has been uh, talked about, and uh, appreciate uh, everything, every point that has been made here. And uh, I want to mention something that this is one of the beautiful things about this space is that we're able to actually look at in real time uh, strategies, different strategies that each of us has been taking for for a long time now. And uh, I'm coming up to uh, almost a year now, and I've and I've seen you, and I've met you, and some of you in real life, you know, in the past week or in the past years, because I've I I know Eric and Ravi and uh, and a lot of you for a long time now, and we we actually come from Web Two. Um, and we basically listed, I don't want to say master it, but yes, we, we kind of mastered the, the web two mentality and, and approach to things. And, uh, now we're in this new approach. We, we were, uh, a little, especially as photographers, we were a little, uh, lost into where do we fit and how we are going to come into the space and market ourselves and prize ourselves. So at this point, you know, my strategy was to look at everybody and, and my surroundings and uh, step up on the ladder of like, you know, of my career. And uh, I, I, I think I'm successful in, and as, as, to a point. And, um, you know, I am very happy with the results of my strategy, which is little by little, little by little until I am where I am. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been very, uh, um, thankful for everyone in this room because I've learned through the whole year from each of you and, uh, and I continue to, and now we're just in this space right now. And, and thank you for this conversation. This is very, very important to talk about. I think that that's those are some really great points, Ovec. And I think one of the things that we don't touch on enough is the fact that this space is 
and it's not a zero sum game where we're not being competitive to each other. Like this is actually what even Kat said in the beginning and everybody else has kind of touched on as well is that, you know, retweeting, sharing everyone's work, elevating others and being able to, I've had, I've had the most wins in my career by people that I helped early on or were reached out to and asked advice from or gave advice to. And then later on, you know, um, there's photographers all along my journey in Instagram that I would literally not be able to go on a job. So I would be constantly looking at people's work and then suggest them to go and be the photographer instead. And then their career skyrocketed because they took the opportunity and were hungry and passionate. And then years later, they would give me an opportunity that I didn't expect to get. And all of a sudden, we're being able to share that with each other and have this like really, really tight bond of uh, that we just cared about each other's work. And we saw that we were good actors and loved and had passion for the art. Um, and and the, the clients will come and go. The, the collectors will, you know, ch- uh, be working on one thing or come back and, and want to collect something. Um, but it's not a zero sum game. There's never going to be a, a lack of interest. It's just a matter of are you there at the right time? And then don't FOMO and like try to rush something, but stay authentic to what you're doing. And then other artists around you will recognize that and collectors and they're going to want to elevate you long term. And so the sustainability comes down to are you willing to keep working on your craft and are you willing to keep working on the relationships and are you willing to tell that story in an authentic way that makes you feel good too because mental health is really important and if it's tied directly to something like price which is on, like so transparent on the blockchain like oh i sold for this much and then 2 seconds later another artist sold for double that like the the and you can start to compare and comparison is the thief of joy so if we do that with art it's really hard because we can't right Art is all subjective and the market will determine based on a number of factors out of our control. So you have to allow the, the world and the market to take your work and uh, interpret it the way you, you want it. You know, they want to interpret it. It's no longer really yours. Um, it's really once you share it, it's the world's work, even though you may have the IP to it. So um, disconnect yourself from that. Don't tie your emotions to the value and the price uh, and look at it a little more. Like this is just where this piece is is going, and it's not like you you're sacrificing your baby. You're just allowing the market to decide at this moment. And as it moves, and you build these positive relationships long long term, uh, you might be able to reap those rewards and benefits much much uh, much more benefits at a greater scale if you just have patience and believe in what you're doing and the people around you. Amen. Elise, do you want to go? You had your uh, hand up for a minute here. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm like getting food delivered at the moment. <laughs> right Perfect time. What do you got? Of course, so I'm getting some Chinese food. But, um, Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you know, now after the bong rips, you got to eat a little bit of something. Um, but no, I mean, we, you know, we, we're in a new world right now. We talk about this new world, uh, right? And I, I completely agree with Eric. You know, we can only control what we can. I mean, you know, rest is work right now for me. Um, and we can only invest in our human capital, which is our spiritual, physical, mental self, of course. And, and Ravi spoke on that as well. I completely agree. And uh, Kath spoke on, you know, what we uh, what we can do individually is important because, you know, sharing is is important. Um, you know, supporting others and, and assisting with education is extremely important, which is something I'm planning on doing. But that's another conversation. But you know, when I talk on, about a new world, it's like 
this new world to me is about wealth distribution. It's it's about creating a, an entirely new world of of difference of of opportunity of difference of of uh, affirmative action. You know, like different from what we've been doing consistently. And sometimes we may reference this old traditional world, but like we don't we don't we we all we all talk about money differently now, right? And somebody else brought that up recently. Like we all talk about our sales effortlessly um, and we can see where our money is going effortlessly. And so now it's more about like, to me, it's less about, you know, we can share, we can share, we can share, but it's like, put your money where your mouth is, you know? And so when we make promises to our community, to me personally, all of this is about with wealth distribution. So when I price my shit high and I have the privilege to price my shit high, that means that I'm going to buy people who don't have the privilege to price their shit high. So that's why I speak on a lot of this stuff is because I feel like we are in a new world where we have to start creating the rules because we are the rule makers. Yes. No, I, I agree with you 100%. But I also want to say to any artist that... Uh, makes money in the space and is not buying other art, that's okay. Like there's taxes to pay. You owe money. You have been creating for years and you should be paid. So if you're not buying other people's art, there is nothing wrong with that. If you're so long as you're out there supporting other people, holding stages, being in spaces, retweeting people, there is nothing hundred percent wrong with that. I buy a lot of art. You can look at my wallet. So, I mean, it's very obvious that I've been buying art since day one. Even when I came into this space with, I think, $5,000. I went in and bought a two ETH photograph my first uh, month in the space. And Ravi can testify to that. I bought a lot of photography in the beginning before anybody was 100%. So I agree. But at the same time, I'm also going to stand by the fact that nobody should be forced into buying any art. And if you want to take your money out of this space, if you want to do whatever you want, you should be able to do it the way you want to do it. There is nothing wrong with that. But please just continue to support other artists by retweeting and speaking out about them. I wanted to like touch on like something like really important that Ravi said and Ali said, and I think you're getting at John is like, it really doesn't come down to like the specifics of how each of us does it. It's about like really doubling down on yourself and letting that be like this amazing magical orb that helps all these other people it's like we're constantly paving the way by doing it ourselves and being patient with with the results like like allow it to be like the most honest and truthful and authentic thing that you can make even if you like miss like like 20 years of the nft market which is like two months you know like like it's like yo we have to be doing that thing and i feel that like like beyond any of the other stuff, it really is the relationships. Because when you die, like none of this money comes with you. Like you're not bringing anything with you. Like it's only these experiences that we share with each other. Like right now is so important just talking to each other and hanging out. Like this is everything. This is worth more than any sale, any art that we'll make. Like anything that we'll ever do is just this one moment that all of our decisions have brought us to like right now. And that's something that we can all meet in the same exact place and time. Because it's like something that is like a miracle. It's like, think about like your parents and their parents and their parents and like the monkeys and things that crawled out of the ocean to like get us here like right now. Think of all those fucking decisions that had to happen for us to just be here in this like magical space where we're like, how do we help each other? How do we help every other artist? How do we help every other human on earth? Like. This shit is crazy. Like artists have a huge responsibility and it's not just about 
making money, even though that is the bridge to our artistic autonomy and equity and a lot of the things that at least you're speaking about. Um, so I think that this is very, very exciting, you know? So I celebrate, I celebrate this shit. Like I celebrate every day and I live every day. Like I, I it needed to be like the best day, even if it's like half the day I'm watching TV that day, like it's gotta be the best day. Like, and I try to make that for myself because I know that affects the art and I know that the art affects like the world. So it's like, what are we doing with our actions and are we appreciating like where we are and are we helping like each other? Like, and that's, that's like the most important thing that you guys are touching on. I just wanted to, you know, put that in a little nice, like pizza oven for us to, to share and, and taste. That's a, such a good point though. And it's so funny it's coming up cause I was having a very similar discussion with a friend who's, um, bought bought one of my prints and has it up in his house and you know we were just talking just checking in with one another and i was like you know after i'm gone it's all said and done said and done like what do i leave behind with my photography on the world like what is my imprint on on what i do you know really in in essence i'm just leaving behind a bunch of digital files and a bunch of negatives if i shoot film and he was like, nah, dude, that you're looking at it wrong. Like every time I see the print on my wall, like I remember all the cool camping trips that we had together. I remember all the good conversations, you know, our college days, our high school days. And that completely changed my outlook on how, how I use what I get back from people especially in nfts like Dees and i had the space on using uh art for your mental health and supporting uh art therapy and a new york art therapy organization and giving away you know 80 percent of that sale to art the art therapy project in new york or you know giving away you know, a, a percentage to Appalachia projects who work with uh, people and, and the environment in the Appalachia region or people like, you know, Jordan Ingley, who gave like $15,000 or something like that to the Elowa region in the Pacific Northwest. Um, we don't only have, and, and John, you said it too, we don't only have to buy art, we can take it outside of the space too and say, hey, this community that means so much to me is hurting. I'm going to assist them too. Um, I can throw Jared Amijo's name out there too, who helped um, organizations in New Mexico, you know, kids be able to eat like that. That's, that's pretty important. You know, I want kids to eat. Um, it was awesome that he did that. So I think knowing our value and how we impact people's lives, both personally and relationally, and then monetarily too, no matter how, way, how which way you do that uh, is really important. And, and the word responsibility came up and that, that's a word that weighs heavy on a lot of people, but it is true. Like we do have a responsibility to lift others up with our artwork and relay a message through what we're trying to create too. You know, it's a great point. Like, like, and I, and I think that this is the space where we can like really change that shit. Like I had no idea when we, when we first entered, like we haven't really done our Genesis yet, but 
like we did a collab with with uh diplo who's like a, a dj i had grown up and went to middle school with but our first like like one that we sold like in this thing like like we raised two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for like these charities that we have been working with for over like 10 years and we've never raised that amount through any of the auctions or sales or anything that we had ever done and that let me think that yo this is kind of crazy like artists really can save the world like we can like filter money into like the craziest shit like i have been working with like like these charities like in in, in florida where i'm from and california and new york where these public schools where these kids like have had all their art like programs like cut from their schools they have no equipment they have no money they have no like art because like our weird like you know education system has deemed that like not important you know and I, it's like like we really have like the biggest opportunity as artists to like really affect the world better than like any government can like do because they're so slow and so like 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 stuck in like their red tape and their bullshit but like i'm not and i, and I don't mention like raising that 250 grand to like pat myself on the back i'm just like yo all of us can do this shit like like we, we did this without even knowing what we were doing at all it was our first thing but we're like we're gonna use like 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 this dj and us like entering the space to like like do this and i had no idea we would raise that much money but it's like we put like a like a drawing or something on auction and it could make like ten thousand dollars but nowhere near like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars it was like unheard of so it's like we can write into the smart contracts like a forever flow of like helping like certain communities helping the world like it's like really like the craziest shit is like just being discovered now and us as artists have to think almost like in this like new 3d like open chasm like multiverse that our art can like be the biggest like thing that serves the world and maybe artists do save the world like i feel that th that's the case you know because i feel that we'll do better things with our money than like any greedy like weirdo has like ever done before you know and like we do it like earnestly, like how we create our work is earnest. Like I love every single thing that I do and every single thing that I put out into the world. It's like means so much to me that it's like, like every single dollar that comes from that, I feel like it's like a magical sparkle in the world. And if that magical sparkle can be sent like across the globe to like help somebody, to put somebody on, to make somebody feel better, to actually like put money in someone's pockets or give them like education, like, like we can do that as artists now we're not just like trying to like survive and, and feed ourselves like we can really make our art change like the whole world is like kind of like a crazy thing we're dealing with it's like really dynamic shifting like paradigm shifting is like a lot of people have mentioned so i don't know i feel like art meets tech meets finance is probably like one of the biggest like new renaissance that have ever happened because if you think about the first renaissance it was still filtering from the Medici family to like these couple artists that were just like their their sweetie like boys that like painted these amazing things but it went to like one person it didn't really like flow anywhere else like it wasn't towards like saving the world or helping the world like it was towards like turning everybody on to God which which is cool you know and helped a lot of things happen in society but also kind of messed up you know and I think we're at the other end of that where we're like we're all God and God is like inside of us all as the universe or whatever you want to call it. And we have a responsibility to ourselves, to each other and to planet Earth and like all the animals here. Like, let's get started. Like, let's fuck shit up. Like, like 
let's get fucking rich as fuck, every fucking artist in here, and let's change the fucking world together and like have a great time doing it and GM all all the way, you know? Dude, you're an art historian. Can, I, I just had, uh, can, can I just make a point? I just I just had the, the hand raised. Uh, friend, uh, those are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words, man. And uh, and I appreciate you, man. Yeah, I appreciate everything that you said. And I and I couldn't agree more with that. Now, uh, I wanted to ask something before we also divert the conversation because, uh, you know, the topic price and discussion uh, I wanted to ask uh, to see if anybody thinks about ETH or fiat or, or US dollars when they uh, price their stuff. You know, like this is something that that I feel like it's it's important to to know um, when you you know when it comes down to a, a piece like hey let me put a, a five ETH or or let me do uh thirty thousand dollars so like do do you feel like that that affects the way you price your piece that's my my question i mean because if, if i think about you know somebody started an auction on my super rare piece today and you know as, a, as it was the reserve was nine eth but when i think about the price of forty two thousand dollars to me that's that's uh i mean that's i am beyond grateful for that but at the same time i feel like is it 90th or is it 42 like it's it's a little confusing sometimes you know and 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 i just wanted to get everybody's opinion i personally like to think in ETH, um just because i feel like i try to speak in collector (laughs) and i know what they're working with and i know what their wallets are looking like at least for the higher price items of course um but i just wanted to say really quickly and i know we're probably going to talk on you know his question real quick but i just have to head out and i just want to make a really quick point um i've been getting quite a bit of dms about this question about people who you know haven't made a lot of sales right away and i just want to say this before i head out is that you know the thing that i've realized about a lot of people who have been in this space for a long time, the date on when they meant matters. So keep that artwork up. Don't burn it. Keep it up. Keep what you're doing. Remember why you came into this space. Keep making art. Keep minting. Keep creating. Keep building for yourself. The right collector will come along. And also for me personally, when I sell my piece of art, I create a a certain percentage of that sale to buy other people's arts. When I sell, I buy, buy art. So just keep an eye on what people are selling. Keep an eye on what people are doing, but keep creating and make sure that you just, you know, keep in mind with that date when you're minting, because sometimes, you know, years from now, that date is going to be a good price point, right? So don't burn your stuff. If it's not selling, keep it up, keep creating. But anyway, um, I speak in ETH. So thank you all again for having me here. Thank you, Dees. Thank you, everybody. John, Eric, Ravi, Kath, Steve, David, Ulrich. Uh, um, friends, I apologize. I think your name's Evan or Eric. I apologize. Sam. I think it's Sam. I apologize if I put your name wrong. Sam, Sam, Sam. Um, but yeah, happy to be here with all of y'all and thank you for speaking. Um, go thank you for go have speak the Chinese. Mind. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I'm about to eat. <laughs> thank you for vibing with us. <laughs> of course. And my friend Hebrew Brantley, he's having a, he's from Chicago. He's a great artist. He's having a party in, in New York right now. So I'm about to head out to his event. So thank y'all again. Take care, everybody. Thank you. See you, Swopes. Have a good night. I'll hop in. Um, I have kind of the same philosophy as her. I think in ETH because it allows me to 
kind of compare my trajectory in this space. Um, I, I don't want to pay attention to the dramatic fluctuations in the currency. I try to make sure that I protect the value that other collectors have invested in my work. I think that if I was starting off, I would probably try to, I don't even know if it really matters when you're starting off. I think it more kind of, you can compare yourself to the peers and the other people who you think maybe are on the similar path as you to try to get a ballpark of where you belong, whether that's dollars or ETH, I don't think it really matters in the beginning, but I think uh, picking a strategy moving forward, it's good to kind of at least try to stay consistent um, in ETH in my opinion. Um, just so you kind of have a ballpark and take out all the fluctuations in the currency. I also have to kind of get going. So I just wanted to kind of recap it for people. I know a couple of people messaged me that they got in a little bit late into the space and didn't know what we talked about. So I, I kind of wrote down like some things that we talked about uh, just to recap it for the people who got in late. So I think the key things that everyone kind of talked about was first thing, um, your path is unique to you, right? We, you heard from people up here who took drastically different approaches into the space, have different business philosophies, prioritize different things, price their work differently based on certain factors and have just completely different visions. So I think that your path is, no one can judge that path, it's unique to you. Whether you start high because that's the standard you wanna begin at or start off a little bit slower and just see where it kind of takes you, do what feels right to you, trust your gut. And I always kind of give the analogy to a wave because I shoot them every day, but we're all on our own waves, right? Our career paths, our personal, our emotional journeys. You never know where someone else is on their wave. They could be on the high of their life. They could be in a rut trying to get out. So you can't judge anyone else at any point in time. Second thing was uh, create for yourself, right? You're your biggest critic, but also your biggest fan. You got to keep the fire stoked inside and keep that passion alive in there because longevity is the name of the game. We're all in this for the long run. So the day-to-day -day fluctuations, you know, if you see someone have a big sale or if you just kind of feel bummed, like try to just block out that noise and keep your eye focused on the horizon. Uh, the last thing we heard a lot was about supporting your peers, right? The foundation that we're all building in these early days is so critical. So I think that we're all have like this, this grandeur of where we want this space to go and don't expect to get out of it more than you give in. You got to put more into the community than you expect to give out. Otherwise there's an imbalance there. Um, I don't know if I missed anything, but it's been a great talk. I got to give my, uh, my little baby a bath, which is an entirely different uh, journey for me to undertake. So uh, I was good kicking with you guys and I will uh, chat with y'all later. Bars, Eric, bars. <laughs> yeah, wish me luck, man. Have a good night, Eric. And thanks All right, for catch you guys later. I'm just going to bring up some other, uh, I'm just going to send some invites to people who are requesting. Bring some more Steve, people up on stage. Yeah, yeah. And Steve, you can go ahead and talk. Yeah, I, I think my phone is, is bugging out on me. It took 10 seconds to get off mic. Um, what Eric just said reminded me of one of my favorite quotes um, from me. It's that the real secondary or secondary sales are when you help your friends. You know, And it, and it definitely is 100% true in this world. You know, if you're not making any secondary or even primary sales, it's still it's still helping yourself and the entire community if you can help others first. So. Yep, I agree with that. And I think that there's two sides. Um, I think that everyone should also remember that when you are making sales, you're going to owe taxes. And don't forget that because buying your buddy's art is not going to be a write-off. So make sure that you are completely aware of that because a lot of us at the end of the year are going to owe a lot of money. And just be aware of what you're doing in the space, because I do love supporting all my friends art, but 
buying your friend's art is not always going to be a write-off. So just be aware of that as well. Make sure you put 30% off. I mean, 30% to the side. Minimum, like minimum, <laughs> minimum. Yeah, more. I like, would say more. Like even in Canada, it can be up to fifty <laughs> well, percent. Yeah, and in, New York, in New York, it's, in New York is going to be at, at least forty percent. Yep, we're going to owe a lot of money. So talk to your attorney, CPA, stuff like that before you just go crazy and just start buying your buddy's art. Just be careful of that because all of these. We are playing with finances and it is nice to be self-sovereign. It is really good. And this year is going to teach a lot of people about self-sovereignty. Yeah. Help, help yourself so you can help others first, but help you. Amen. Amen. Now with that, I'm going to bounce also my friends. These John, thank you for having me so much. Emmy, mother of the zombies zoo. Happy to see you, Lindsay, Robbie, Kath. Thank you guys so much for holding this space, like, and letting us, like, hopefully, you know, help anybody that's here and help this space overall. So I feel you guys really did awesome by letting us come here and do this thing. So appreciate, mad love to y'all. Bye, Sam. Bye, Sam. Thank. I, I love when you uh, you, you make everything sound so magical too. You're like the magical orb of support and everything it's like we can go acquire that somewhere and use it on our journeys i appreciate true. that true <laughs> i appreciate hi, you guys so much hi friend. it really is my dick hi Sam, have a great night are you everybody. sure you have to go i just yeah, got here actually, i actually have a, a group show that we're in so i have to go i'm like actually like late for it just to like do this thing so thank you for your time Sam. seriously yeah thank you such a huge pleasure. I'll talk with you guys all soon. I'll see you all around. My friends, have a good evening. Take care, Sam. Hi, Lindsay. Hi. I just got here. I'm, I'm so sad that I missed this. Uh, it sounds like a lot of really um, great things were talked about. I think, uh, obviously, the pricing is always... It's always kind of one of those uh, back and forths in my mind and um, and timing and, and all of it. And um, John, I always love what you have to say. Um, you're such a champion for everybody and, and value and um, here as well as, you know, I mean, you know, I talk about this all the time. I'm a commercial photographer and it's like every single time I do a job, you know, I, I go through a like a, kind of self-mutilating wrestling match about, you know, my value and value of my work and my time and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, you know, so it's always nice to hear how other people um, go through this process. Yeah, I think we all kind of learned a lot about process and just kind of where we all get to our value. And I think um, we should all, you know, emphasize how much none of us are experts in the space as much as we all say we're like been here OGs. That's like six, eight months ago. So none of us are experts. Nobody is an expert when it comes to pricing. Um, I really want to emphasize that a lot. Like you need to find your own value. I get a lot of DMs asking me like, but I should probably, you know, what you should price your artwork at. And nobody can tell you what you should price your artwork ever. Like you have to really find your own value system. Um, and I've always recommended, and I know this maybe sounds stupid, but if you really want to just like, you know, price your work at what you value it at, a fun way to do it is go in front of the mirror and start naming prices and keep going higher and higher until you laugh. 
and then go the price right below that. And that works. I don't know who I heard that from, but somebody told me that. And it's like the most incredible way to approach pricing because it's like once you laugh, you're like, all right, that's a little too high. Go right below that and that will find your value. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's like, I don't know, man. I just don't want to look at the market and be like, all right, I'm going to value myself based on what everybody else thinks other photographers are worth. I think you should just value your shit no matter what and whatever you think you're worth. Just want to emphasize that a lot. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. I'm going to agree just to see where I laugh at myself at. <laughs> it works. It totally works. <laughs> that's that's yeah. literally where I came up with 23 if I was like 21, 22, 23. Oh, 23. Okay. 23. I'm doing that. <laughs> Wait, wouldn't I, you have had to laugh at 24 and then you went down to 23? I'm really, really high right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know I've heard Kath talk about, I'm sure that you Oregon. I guess the space has been going on for what an hour now um, about kind of the the formula. Kath, did you speak on that of like dividing your time and costs and all of those things? Um, I've kind of I like to go on on mathematical formulas or try to anyway, um, it, based on like dividing the days of the year and how much my gear costs, etc., etc., etc. But I, it still kind of slips around <laughs> for me. If I, Kath, are you going to jump on that? Kath, are you high too? Kathy, there. Kath has the can right now. Yep, she's got the coke can. She's breaking it out. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> oh. She disappeared. <laughs> she rugged herself. I like, like look being recorded. Like, I Google these things because there's tons of, you know, photographer, break it down by day and, you know, your health insurance and your this and your that and your gear insurance and blah, blah, blah. I've yet to find the exact one that feels super comfortable, but, um, Lindsay, I, I, I was going to quickly ask you too, cause I know you're a, you're a commercial photographer, just like I have been in the past too. Something that's really weird for a lot of commercial photographers is like, do you feel like this is such a a shift in the mindset because we didn't really talk about our rates with all of the other photographers. We didn't tell all of the photographers, Hey, th my day rate is, you know, 10 K or whatever it is. Uh, like for, for the shoot I'm charging, what, what are you looking at charging? Cause we're competing against each other on a lot of these bids and things. So it's just a, it's a weird mindset. And I feel like a lot of those calculators were always kind of, Hey, this is where to be safe and, and do this. But what do you feel like now that everybody can see every sale and how much everything costs? Like, has your mind shift like mind shifted to how you price yourself even in, in commercial ways? Yeah. I mean, I look, I haven't sold anything for high and you know me. So this whole, everything tears me apart all the time. Like when people are like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to do this. I'm like, I give all the fucks, like every fuck I give. And, um, and it's true. I, I love that question because that's the thing that has really um, kind of, I really hated about my, our, our industry is that this thing where we are competing, there's no union for the kind of work that I'm doing. Um, and, and there's, so it, the camaraderie between photographers wasn't really there. And I think that, that that's, what's been so attractive about this is the transparency and um, the evolution and evolving from what really like, should never have been 
you know, so I, I don't know. I love it. I, I really, really love it. Um, I think that it's shift. It's just shifting the mindset of there's not enough for me out to there's enough for everyone. There's enough for everyone. There's an, there's enough for everyone. And just like saying that over and over and being super transparent, um, is, is part of that. And I think that it's part of that in every job. You know, I, I see some of my really good friends who are younger, who, um, they tell, they talk about their salaries in the workspace, particularly women, because they want everyone to know because they want everyone to be paid fairly. And, and I think that, um, it's just a new, it, it's happening everywhere and, and I'm for it. I love it. Yeah. It's, I think it's really important that the more information that's public, the more like individuals win because, because the, all the privacy is to protect like the corporations and the brands that want to like, ha- like have all that information without, you know, the competitive nature of everyone not talking to each other. So they keep these walls up on purpose to make it feel like this stigma of talking about salaries or, or wages or rates. And it just feels so bad when you're like, oh, wow, okay, I should have bid a lot higher or lower. And like the more we are public, and I mean, that's the beauty of Web3 and blockchain, but it's also, I think we should bring that into the Web2 like real world and talk about our rates with each other and talk about what we're thinking of pricing and have group chats with your friends and talk about stuff because the more the more we're public with everything, the more we'll win as like a full team. Oh, I agree. Like bidding on jobs, it's like just say what you have. You know, just say this is what we this is what we have for the job and this is how we see it broken down. Not like bid because we think that we could get somebody to come in lower and then, you know, chastise them, like make them feel horrible that they bid too high or it's like it's such a weird game. It just doesn't even make sense. Um, Well, that's like why you can't. You can yeah. never get those people to like, I, I, I've gotten to the point where I don't, I don't participate in the bids anymore in, in my jobs in real life, like, because it's a game and that you, you will straight up ask someone, Hey, do you have a budget? And you'll get the response. Oh yeah, we, we don't really have a number. There's no way that you guys have put together a campaign or a project and you don't have a number in mind. And so it's simply like you realize they just are hoping they're praying that you're going to say a number lower than what the budget is, and then they can just go through it no problem. And it's like that system, especially for photographers, is where I relate the most. Is like it's played out. That that shit is played out. It's so wild. It's so refreshing when you can get to a person who's actually asking you to bid on a job and just be really straight up. Like I think the most that I've ever made on a single day job, um, they were like, "Well, do you want us to talk to your agent about?" you know, about the day rate or whatever. And I was like, why don't you like, I've been massaging this relationship with you for eight years. Why don't you just tell me what you have? Because she's going to take 25% and like, let's just go here, which it wasn't even, it, it was just wild. It was such a wild, beautiful experience where I was like, this is what it's going to cost. Tell me what you have. And like, you know, what's going on here. And she was just like, bam. And it was amazing. It was like the best. It's the best when you can be honest and they can be honest back, but it never really happens. That took like eight years to get to that point with a, with a client. Oh my, you've been, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Robert. Um, um, so yeah, I, I kind of wanted to, to, uh, go on onto, onto what, uh, by the way, GM, everyone, I'm a little bit out of it cause I'm fighting this stupid virus. Uh, but, um, 
I, I want to go into a little bit of what Lindsay was talking about. And, you know, before you think about your value in general as a creator, you have to think about the cost of doing business uh, in general. And that's going to be your first um, metric when you are going to price your work, you know. Um, and those are things that are very tangible and are very specific, you know, like if you have to pay permissions to go into space or into, you know, a piece of land to, to go take these photos, if you had to pay other people, if you had to, you know, your minting costs, uh, if you're offering um, prints or other unlockables, all those things, um, even what the platform, you know, takes uh, away uh, and your taxes, all those things you have to take into account when you're going to price. And that's why sometimes, you know, I tell artists, it's not really about undervaluing, but it's just first and foremost about not losing money um, because that's, you know, you cannot lose money while you're, you, while, while you're trying to sell, uh, right? So that's the very first metric that we need to have um, when we are pricing our work. Then we can think about, you know, whatever we think our value is, how much, you know, how established we are in the in the industry or not, how established we are in this place or not, in this space, um, you know, our expertise. Then all those things come into play. But the very first thing that you have to think about is what is your cost of doing business? And make sure, because, you know, for many of us that are already in the stage, you know, we are a certain, uh, you know, to a certain level established, you know, a certain relationship with the space where, you know, we are selling uh, more or less okay. But there's obviously a lot of people that are listening that are not necessarily there and they're trying to figure out, right? And we talk about the value and, uh, of, our, of our work and whatnot. And that is, you know, can be abstract, especially to, to somebody that is, that is new to creating in general. You know, and, and one of the things that are obvious that, that happen a lot in, in, in art in general, especially when you are learning, you tend to overprice because you think that what you're doing is so amazing, right? Because you, 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 it's coming out of you. And that's something that just happens, right? And then, and, and it happened to me when I started uh, a very long time ago. But then you kind of regulate yourself, right? But the most important thing is that you make sure that you're not, you don't start at a loss. Uh, and that is very important. Uh, the other point that I wanted to make uh, a little bit to what we were talking about uh, marketing is that also, Sometimes when your work is not being bought, it doesn't necessarily mean um, it's about pricing. Um, it could be because certain collectors have a certain cap, right, uh, as to what they're willing to spend. But in general, it's most of the time it's about visibility. It's that people are not being are not seeing your work necessarily, um, and that's where I think uh, we need to put a little bit more legwork in the space. Uh, people need to put more legwork in the space in general. Into just showing up, you know, showing up in spaces, uh, you know, putting their work out there. You know, I host a lot of spaces, and one of the you know, and, and one of the very first things that artists oftentimes say is like, oh, I'm afraid to talk about my work. Or I don't know how to talk about my work. So I think we need to put a lot of lab work as a community and to try to educate uh, artists on how to, you know, prepare an artist statement, talk about themselves, have confidence in that, in, in that sense, because again, it doesn't matter, you know, what your price for work. Sometimes it's really about just the art people seeing it. Um, so that's something that we can do. And if we see someone, for example, in a space that is a little bit uncomfortable, then let's just try to give them a hand. Let's try to ask them questions about their work. Let's try to lift their work in a certain way so that they, you know, they feel supported. Um, and uh, I think that's definitely going to go a long way when we talk about community and community, um, you know, helping, helping each other. Um, and I think my brain is starting to fog. 
So I think I'm going to leave it there. Dude, so many great points. Thank you, Omar. Following up on on Omar, those were amazing points, really. Um, and then following up on that too, I think um, this is this is even outside of um, this space that we're in here. But like encouraging artists to feel okay with knowing that your price does not need to stay the same. Like your price can go up as you as you move forward in your journey as an artist, as you you know um, you sharpen your blade, you, your prices for that blade should go up. And and feeling comfortable in doing that because I know that. When I first started, I was super uncomfortable. I mean, I, I this is probably like the same for a lot of photographers in here, but I did so much photography for free, like in the early days, because I didn't feel like I was a professional photographer. Why should you pay me? Like, I'm just, I'll bring the camera, you know, and, and whatever. And it wasn't until people were literally forcing money into my hand that I was like, oh, I guess I have to charge people. And then my journey from there went to where my work was in galleries. And I was like, okay, well, how do I price my work? Like, um, one of the things that I got as a great bit of advice, and this is applicable from street photography to portraits to landscape to anything you're doing, is you also need to assess how much accessibility did you have to that? Was there something special about you or your journey to get there? Or like, did you have to invest a whole year worth of time to get this photo? Um, did you go into a neighborhood that most people can't get into? Did you build this relationship with this person uh, who is a hermit and they, but they have this amazing backstory or whatever, like the work that you did to gain access to that work. Um, that's important. And that's part of how you surprise it. So sometimes I'll have, you know, I'll have street work or street portraits that, you know, kind of look reasonably the same, but they may be priced completely different because the journey to get that, that, that photo to capture that moment in time were two completely different journeys. And one had a, maybe a higher, uh, a, a larger road of accessibility and maybe one had no accessibility and I had to fight for years to get this image. Um, and so that, you know, these are, these are other ways that don't necessarily follow the, you know, how much money are you spending to get there? How, you know, how does it work into your actual budget as a, um, as you're running your your own business but like thinking about these things it took me x y and z to get here and so i have to value that and this changes the scarcity of the of, the, of this image being produced or this work being produced hey y'all yeah. before this continues i just wanted to say um just have to run love you guys um this conversation was amazing thanks Dees, for putting it on and, and thanks for everybody organizing it um Love you guys. See you later. Thank you, David. Thank you, David. David. And I hope you have a good night. Um, also, Omar, know. let's wish Omar, because he's not feeling, he's he's fighting the, the COVID. So let's wish Omar to a speedy recovery. Yeah, get better soon, man. Rest up, brother. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, I never thought I was going to have to fight through these guys. But it's happening. <laughs> you could do this. You got yeah, this, Omar. We're sending, we're sending you good vibes, brother. Good energy, man. To him and, and and Simon, who's who's in the audience. I'm sorry, Lindsay. Go ahead, please. Oh, sorry. Oh, Omar. But I'm so sorry. Uh, hey, Dees. I thanks for inviting me up as well. And um, oh man, that sucks, dude. Um. I wanted to talk a little bit, and this is, this might be a kind of controversial subject or, you know, people might get bummed, but I think there is something to be said about free, doing free work. Um, I've, I've done a lot of quote unquote free work and, and whether that was free work or testing or, you know, sometimes I can get bummed about it or I, I priced things wrong. And I'm talking about out in my, um, 
you know, in, in IRL or if you will, I don't know, this is IRL as well, but, uh, it was marketing for me. A lot of it was word of mouth. A lot of it was, um, building up my portfolio and, and even, you know, as NFTs, I sold a collection. It was really low priced. And I, I do believe like I, I, I buy into everything that John's saying. I, I love it. It's so inspiring for me. Um, you know, for me, I wasn't putting out work and I thought that it was really, really important that I put out something that maybe nobody was ever going to see because I didn't even look at my work that way. And I did place it lower. Um, I don't regret it. It, that meant I could talk about something and it meant that I could, um, put something out into the marketplace and I was proud of it and I'm still proud of it. And hopefully I can build upon that. And, and I think that there's so many different approaches. Um, and I don't know, and maybe, maybe John, you would have some insight for me on this. I don't know if it means that I can't price, you know, a, a one of one higher or if, if there's some kind of rules around that, but, um, it was, it was more about, putting my myself and my work out there in a different way than I ever had before. I, I think when you're putting your art out into the world, when you're pricing it, the most important factor to take in is to just not um, regret what you sold it for. So, um, you know, when it actually sells, I just, you know, and like a year from now you go, wow, that piece flipped for 10 ETH more, 100 ETH more. Um, that's going to be a point where you might regret what you did. And, and maybe not even that it flipped for more. But maybe just the fact that you're like, I put so much effort into this and I just sold it for a point one ETH. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, I did a lot of work for free. Like my entire photography career for working for musicians was basically for free. I almost never got paid. And it sucked, dude, because I worked for seven years and half of that time, like I was barely able to pay my bills. But it got me to the level where I could open my gallery. It got me the network that I was able to create. So like I knew my place at the time, but I, I regret, I regret not charging those people. And hopefully like I can figure out a way to even put that on the blockchain one day and maybe get paid for it because like it sucks that I did all that work and never really got paid for any of it. But I got, I got experience. But the one thing that everyone told me was I was going to get exposure. And we all know that like exposure just doesn't pay the bills. So like, when you're pricing your new piece or whatever, like I just think you need to take into the the idea that it could sell for more or that you will regret it. And like I sold my first Genesis piece for 0.1 ETH. Like that was how much I sold it for. I sold it to my friend from high school who got me into NFTs, but I sold it for 0.1 ETH because I didn't really, you know, I just wanted to hook him up and I didn't really understand the value of myself or the work that I was putting out there. And immediately after that, I put a piece up there for five ETH, but it kind of goes with like in my real life experience, I sold my first piece for $250 and the next one was five grand. So it was like immediately, I just kind of like put myself in that position where I was like, okay, cool. I made one sale. Now I need to actually just go at it full, uh, full, you know, like no helmet, just full spectrum on like, and I think Lindsay, you know, like you, you've been in this space for a while. You've heard me talk to you like a hundred times about like how valuable I think you are and your artwork is. And I think you've always had this, um, in my opinion, like um, you don't appreciate your art for what it is. I mean, you've done some amazing shit, dude. You have, you've worked for some amazing people. And it's like, I know that they didn't pay you what you're worth, but we value the fuck out of you. So I think when you're pricing your artwork, you should price it for what you think it's worth. We love, we love, yeah, I, um, we love Vince. 
I love you. So, I love you so much. I feel like I'm getting rugged. I don't know if you can hear me. We but can John, hear. I just, I, 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 I fucking love you. Like your, when I hear you talk about your, your work and not getting paid, like the, the thing that I have to believe and otherwise, like, I'll just be so filled with regret is that everything has gotten us to where we are right now. And every, everything that has happened to you along the road of your artistic journey and of your pricing journey and all of those things has gotten you to right here. So I don't want you to regret any of that. I mean, I want you to learn from it, but I don't want you to regret it at all. And, and, you know, like you're right. I, I need to kind of, I like hearing this because you know, it's time to kind of step it up, maybe, maybe step it up a little bit. But you know, there's been when I picked up a camera, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I had no idea. I got so many lucky breaks. I went on tour with with massive bands. And I literally did not know what I was doing. It was like almost right place, right time. And I think that as my, uh, um, you know, experience grew, um, I kind of just felt lucky. And, and so it, sometimes it's time to, to grow and go, oh, wait, I've been doing this a really long time. And, um, and maybe I didn't know what I was doing then, but I know what I'm doing now. And, and so do you. And, uh, and I'm just like, I'm just pumped to be here and talking about this because it's such an amazing thing. And especially like what Revy was just saying about the shift and the changes that are happening that we get to see and we get to be a part of and we get to have all these friends. It's so, it's so overwhelming. I'm like, I almost feel like I'm going to cry. It might be all the cold medicine I'm on. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah. I love, I, your- <laughs> I love that perspective, Lindsay. And it's so true. I made so many mistakes at the beginning. And like, you just have to look at everything you do as a learning experience and bringing you to where you're at now. Like, if I hadn't maybe made some of the mistakes I did, I wouldn't be in the exact spot I'm in. Maybe I wouldn't have met the people I had met, you know, and done the things that I got to do. And I'm really grateful for all of it. And it's, and it's really hard because there's some, you know, like I said, major mistakes that you can make and, and things, but there's also so much room for growth and learning and for, you know, room for such good things to happen too. And I'm really thankful and, you know, I'm I'm sitting next to this guy right here, Dees, who I'm very grateful for and thankful to have met in this industry. And next to John, who I've also looked up to in this industry and has had so much good information and has stood up for people for things that are, you know, when things don't go right or standing up for things that are, you know, when things go wrong and just having a voice and also your you know, what you've had to say about your own art and just, you know, pricing, not just giving a flying fudge to anyone. And, uh, just that, that it's inspiring. Like every, I think every single person up here is inspiring in some way. And I've heard every single one of you, and there's tons of people in the audience that I've heard, you know, over spaces in the last three or four months. And I'm just grateful to know every single one of you. And to be part of it, you know, we're just so grateful to, we're so blessed to be in this, you know, whether, whatever opportunities we get in it, like we never had anything like this before. So it's really awesome. Amazing V. Can I, can I just say my only regret is that I'd never got John Knopf's uh, book back in, I think it was March 
uh, last year. Oh, this year? Yeah. Right, John? Yeah, that was when I minted the first photography book on the blockchain. I think I minted it for 0.170. Epic. So (laughs) fucking epic. Yeah, I read that. Um, you had your hand up? Yeah, hey, sorry. I got rugged, like, while I, like, as soon as I got up on the speaker. I'm in western Utah right now with my roommate. We're driving back to Salt Lake and, like, you know, service and whatnot. But I wanted to go back, like, way back for a second to one of Lindsay's points earlier today just about, like, how important, like, transparency is, like, in pricing and, like, earnings and stuff. And I think one of the things I love the most about the blockchain is just how much transparency there is. Like, there's really no question about how someone, how much someone made for a sale because it's, like, right there in your face. And I think, like, one of the things overall, like, especially in, like, the art community, like, one of the best things you can do if you're an established artist is, like, you know, impart that knowledge on people who are starting off and impart that knowledge on people who, you know, have all these questions and are trying to grow, you know, and, like, be very transparent about, like, you know, every step of the way, like, you know, like how certain deals went or like even just like in regular like photo community outside of NFTs, like, you know, like this is what you should be charging for this This is what you should be charging for that. Because I think everybody who, you know, is an artist has had somebody who has been able to mentor them in that. And it really helps the community overall. We can all discuss, you know, like what, you know, what our value is, because we bring ourselves our own value. Like as artists, like we have that power to create that value for ourselves. And I think that's something that's super powerful I think that like kind of discussion is like really important and then going back to another thing Lindsay said I was like really just like into everything Lindsay said apparently but um there was like a moment where she talked about like working for free and stuff like versus getting charged and then I got rugged but like I just want to say like as an artist like one of like the biggest things is I think like if you are just starting out this might be an unpopular take but I think it's so much like more important to like if anything work for free while you're practicing and building up your portfolio rather than like completely undercut the community by like dropping your prices to something that's so low because like when we all do that like it like hurts other people like if you like are established at some like level and you're like nope I'm gonna do this for free then it's like setting a precedent for a lot of other people or like I'm gonna do this for like you know way lower than the standard rate like it sets a precedent precedent for companies to you know do x y and z like I think like you know when you're learning and starting off I think focusing on building your craft is more important maybe than getting paid at like rates that are like significantly lower than the going rate so you know might might be an unpopular take it might be a little spicy but um i just wanted to throw that out there um because i yeah, do I, think I, it's important yeah i hey i agree and and i should have raised my hand but um i'm just gonna jump in i i think that maybe i phrased that wrong there's it used to be this thing where you would test um but this is a different i mean we're not talking about that we're talking about nfts you know um i definitely think that there's a reason why I'm here. There is a reason why I I want to um, be able to put up work and sell work uh, in a different way. And I want to be inspired to do different kinds of work. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm maybe going to put some other kind of art out there and possibly it might take me another year. But uh, I think that the working for free and undercutting or, you know, going to what John's saying too, is like, you know, the value of our, the value of photography, we do need to value it. If we can't value it ourselves, who else is going to value it? 
Um, and that is really, really important. It goes to that really, like, if you don't love yourself, you always hear that. If you don't love yourself, how can you love somebody else? But it's totally true. I mean, I'm going to therapy to learn that. And, and I do. And, and now I'm in this place where I'm like, oh, wait a second. There was a reason why I became a photographer. And it was because I picked up a camera and I saw something and, um, and it did so much for me. And I saw something in myself. I remember going, wait a second, I'm good at this. Wait a second, I have a perspective, a point of view that people want to see. And somewhere along the way, that got lost. It really did. And, and I'm not saying this to be dramatic, but it really, truly did. And, and I'm starting to really find that this year again, where I'm like, wait a second. There's, I, I was here because like, I'm, I'm all right at this. And, and like, I love people and I like, I like seeing them in a certain way. And I like them to look at the photos and see themselves the way I see them. And, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to starve to death or fight people to value that. I just kind of want to put the value in there. I don't know if, if any of that makes sense. And I don't want to undercut the community. And I don't love it when people come in and do work for free. There's a way to position that of like, hey, I'm helping you because you're helping me. And and that was like more of the beginning of my career. You know, I I did a lot of stuff for very low, but I also had zero experience. And, you know, it wasn't a sure shot. Now I can go into a commercial environment and be like, you know, you're going to get what you need from me and therefore I'm going to charge you more. And in this space as well, it's like I, there is, I have a long history in photography. So if you want a part of my story, um, it's, it's up for sale. <laughs> kind of. That's all. I love you, Lindsay. You're my favorite. Yeah, I love your perspective on that. And I agree with you on the value. Um, you know, when it comes to, especially, and I didn't mention this, but I feel like for pricing in your work, um, you know, it's never, I don't ever feel like it's a competition or a comparison to anyone else. I think it's your own thing and your own way that you value yourself and you get to choose that. Like, however you feel good, whether you sell something for, 0.5 ETH or you want to sell it for much more. It's really up to you. And uh, I had to do a lot of work on finding my own self-value this year. So I get that. Um, so I just connected with what you said, Lindsay. But Michael, you had your hand up, so you should. Go ahead. Hey, everyone. How's it going? This has uh, been an awesome conversation so far. I initially popped up um, to add something to, to what David Johnson was, was saying, uh, but he's, he, I think he had to jump off. Um, but this conversation is really interesting about pricing and, and also just about working for free. I guess I just wanted to bring this up from my perspective. Um, so I actually studied photography in college. I was sort of training to be a commercial photographer doing like studio portraits and stuff like that. I, I definitely didn't go that route, um, in the long run, but, uh, but what's interesting is I did so many free jobs when I was getting started, like when I was, you know, 18, 19, 20, um, e even a little later. And I was just constantly getting taken advantage of in the industry. Like it was, it was the, the usual, you know, somebody from the industry would, Oh, can you 
do this photo shoot for us and we're not going to we're not going to pay you but oh man there's going to be so many epic jobs for you in the future you're going to oh you you know you're you're going to love it and and you know you're kind of wide-eyed and you're in college and you're like oh my gosh you're going to give me work amazing i can't believe that um now obviously none of those people who made those promises actually carried on with their promises but i wanted to to speak on this a little bit because back then there wasn't really a good support system for emerging artists who were trying to get started doing these jobs. I mean, we were in college and we all needed, you know, money for tacos and things. And we didn't have any idea what you were supposed to really charge. And no one was really telling us and no one was telling us, Hey, you're totally getting taken advantage of. And that person's not going to do shit for you. <laughs> um, so I guess it's, it's just amazing that we have this support system right now. We can have these conversations and be open about pricing and have these dialogues. And I feel like for the first time in a really long time, the power is with the artist. Um, you know, we, we have control over our art instead of just having to rely on people who are going to constantly undercut us and constantly take advantage of us and constantly come back and say, oh, no, even though the budget for that project's normally 10 grand, we're only going to charge, you're, you know, you're only going to get $500 knowing full well they have the budget, but they're, they're just trying to take advantage. So um, the fact that we can have these open discussions with so many artists and everyone can share their experiences. I just think it's incredible and, and I'm just psyched to be a part of it. So um, yeah, my DMS are always open to anyone. If you have any questions about, you know, obviously I don't, I don't know everything. I just, you know, I can only speak from my own personal experiences, but if anyone ever has questions about pricing on licensing images and things like that, uh, I can of course tell you what I've done in the past or, or what I'm doing now and um, the, the other quick thing I wanted to bring up really quick is um, talking about personal brand and opening up as an artist, just sort of showing a little bit more of yourself. Uh, I am, it, it took a lot just to like ask to speak up in the stage. I'm pretty damn introverted. Anyone who's met me in person knows I'm, I'm like the most, the most quiet person <laughs> you could meet. I, you know, I'm really shy. Like I won't. I have trouble talking to people, but uh, one thing, the hardest thing that I've done as an artist over the years is learn how to talk in front of a camera. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And it, it felt, it, it was the most awkward thing I've ever learned how to do. Um, and I've learned some tips, especially for introverted people to kind of like get outside their comfort zone and, and do videos even if it's just an iPhone. Um, so if anyone needs any tips or advice on doing that, or if you want to go full on and do the whole YouTube channel thing, it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. Uh, if you, you need any tips or anything in that, just, just DM me. My DMs are always open. Anyways, thanks so much, everyone. Appreciate it. Okay. Amen, Michael. That was dope. Thanks, Michael. Michael, I'm going to hit you up on tricks to talk in front of the camera. I'm the, I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I, mean, I saw your promo is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so too. And I've streamed for seven years and sometimes it's still like uncomfortable to be in front of the camera. It depends though. I think we all want the Michael workshop on how to talk to the camera. It's the most awkward feeling thing of all time. 
<laughs> I want your tips too. Please, Michael. We should do you. like a video chat on it. <laughs> there's there's definitely some weird, weird, like psychological things I've done to make it. Okay, this is the weirdest. Th this is in the most simple way. You just make the camera feel like it's a person. But I, I know that sounds really weird. Anyways, just, just DM me about it. It's a That's hard actually not weird because if I'm talking to my Twitch stream, it's a lot easier than if I just try to like freshly record something. Like if I'm not talking to anybody or interacting with anybody and I'm just trying to talk to a camera, then it's a lot harder. Yeah, it always helps when there's an audience. Like if you if you have an audience, you feel that there's someone receiving the information and you feel like you're not alone. And that's one of the biggest things about talking in front of a camera is that it's like talking to a void and it feels like it's completely overwhelming. It's, it's like a brain fog. There's a word for it, but it's uncomfortable. Um, I, I want to jump in to discuss something that maybe we haven't discussed yet. Uh, wait. Was someone in the, raising their hands before me? I don't want to jump in front of everyone. There might have been. Um, uh, I, think... I think Steve was there for, for a while. Yeah, and, and sorry. Rough, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It actually wasn't me. It was Rough Draft, then me, then you, then Jacob. Oh. Go ahead, Rough. Hey, you can, go in, you, can, you can go in front of me. I'm changing the diaper right now. So. Let's go, Rough. <laughs> There's that diaper. Go ahead, Omar. Steve? No, no, no. Go ahead, Omar. Oh. <laughs> Are we sure? 100% sure? Okay, I hear 100 No, you know, I, I think we haven't really talked about something that we've heard a lot in this space, and it's the secondary market. I don't know if that's been discussed. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that, that we've heard a lot in this space is that we have to price uh, for the secondary market. And... I don't want to say that I want to push against that mentality, but I want to see, say that we have to find a balance uh, in there. Um, again, going back to the idea of never, never working at a loss, um, because if you price at a very low price point because you want to make sure that, you know, there's a healthy, quote unquote, secondary market. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to kind of end up working for other people because you're going to have to keep pushing the sales of, of, of that work. Um, and other people are going to receive more of a return than you are because you're going to be receiving in dividends or in, 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 uh, in um, um, percentages. Um, so, so just keep that in mind. So I don't want to say I'm going to push back against that, but definitely make a balance, right? Try to find a, a balanced point that you, you're you not at a loss. You are actually making a healthy amount of uh, profit for yourself. Uh, but then also don't don't extrangulate the, the second market by going way too high. Um, I mean, shoot for the moon, right? But I guess you know what I mean. And that was my TED Talk. Omar, I agree with you. I also um, also think that at the same time with the secondary market, if you are making art, and I could be wrong on this, I wish like there was um, Sam was on here. He's like the he's like the voice of reason for me. But um, I think when it comes to a secondary market, I don't know if you should really price your art accordingly to that because art really like necessarily isn't an investment. Like you know, art should be kind of like cherished, enjoyed, and a lot of us are 
you know, creating art just so it can be that way. So there are two sides. Like I think that you should maybe pay, always pay attention to secondary, but maybe not always pay, you know, like maybe there's a side where it's kind of, you're trying to just create art just to create art and you're pricing it just because that's where you're pricing it. And I could be wrong on this. Like I'm just, that's kind of been my approach in the past. Agreed. And I mean, I just mentioned it because uh, I don't think it's been talked about uh, so far in the space. Uh, and I thought that was you know, uh, a bullet point that we should have in there. Uh, but as you said last time, shout out to collectors. We love them. Uh, we love the collectors. Love the collectors. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there was like an awkward silence there. That's why I jumped in. Come on, people. I see you raise hands. Jump in. <laughs> yeah, just jump in. We yeah. don't, like, you don't need to raise your hands. I got <laughs> that, it's so weird to see people raising their hands. Like The like, normal yeah. vibe is just like just rip into whatever you want to say and talk over people and assert your dominance. Yeah, take a bottle of whatever you got to do. I just want to say, like, this is an area where, you know, John, I always come back to those conversations we were having in February and March. And and to give you flowers on that, because this was a huge question. Um, I mean, there was a question of whether photography was even going to be able to exist in this space. And um, there weren't a lot. We were all, I mean, a lot of people on stage and a lot of people in this room were in those rooms. And we were having these conversations. But... You were the loudest voice that was like, price your shit in this market the way that you feel it should be priced and that photography doesn't have to be priced any cheaper than any other art that's being put out. And that was major. I know for me personally, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, and I think as photographers, we have a bad habit of, as many people have already said, like we kind of devalue our shit. We go out and we'll do stuff for free. We'll do stuff cheaper. You know, like we'll, we'll, we'll be haggled over prices, at least in the very beginning. Um, will allow, you know, even in the analog market of selling your work, you'll allow gallery folks to like take huge cuts, huge percentages of your work. Um, I, I even know like some really, really dope uh, friends of mine who are, who are great photographers spending all this money putting their stuff out and then they go and they're, they're selling it like out on the corner, you know, at the farmer's market for, for just like for, for nothing. And so it's kind of this bad habit that I hope um, that this community we are building reinforces and breaks out of. So there's not another generation um, of creatives, photographers, whatever medium that feel that because um, you, you haven't done something for a big name or you're not attached to a big brand, um, that you should somehow devalue yourself, your work, um, this, this craftsmanship that you're putting into it. I do agree there's a time and place to maybe um, you can you can value your your work differently. Like there's a time and place to where you're learning how to do things. And sometimes what you're doing and the, and the opportunity you have to learn in that space, that's what you're being paid. Like, and you should still get paid money for it, but there is a, you know, there is a trade-off. You're getting value from that. But there is a certain point where there is no, there is no more value for that, and you should be getting paid exactly what you, you know, what you deserve. And um, it, it reminds me, I was talking to Dave earlier about something else, and we got on, we got on the topic of like the differences in Web, Web 2 and Web 3 and how we interact with corporations. And I was saying like it, the, the, the tides have turned where, we were forced to um, sort of deal with these corporate en entities in a certain way and participate with them and in their spaces. And now they're forced to come into our spaces and participate with us. And I think that's the, one of the most powerful things about Web3 is that we are out of the space where it's like, hey, you know, do this. So-and-so is going to be there. This is a great opportunity for you. Or uh, we always do it this way. 
because you, you you know you're not able to look at what other people have been paid to do the same work right like everything is transparent and so we should really utilize that to in that culture as creatives and say like look you know you don't have to you don't have to do shit for free if you don't want to and you you deserve more like you're 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 talented you you are not you, you don't need to twist and turn for any of these brands or companies that you're working for they need to twist and turn to 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 be a part of what you're doing cuz you're 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 a valuable person you're a valuable being um and it's been so much of that in you know in in the previous space that we just this is a beautiful thing i think michael was saying like the community is just so amazing because now we can talk about these things and there there is no gaslighting where we're trying to wonder if we're you know maybe i'm pricing myself so high that i'm not ever going to get xyz you will get it you will get the sales you will get the job you will get the work um, but you just have to continue to believe in yourself, believe in your work and always pushing yourself to be a better version of the artist that you are and the master craftsman that you are. Cause it's a lifelong journey. Dude, couldn't agree more. It is 100%. And I think like when you're looking at that, you really have to focus on the long term. Like what is your long term intentions in the space? How far do you want to go with that? And guys, like you don't have to raise your hand. Just literally just jump in, like just talk, like go for it just talk i want to rip in so bad but steve he's so patient i know his hands getting just tired being up you know his shoulder muscles really really sore right Dude, now for real steve, please like, jump in so actually, I, I don't just like run in face first i've got a i'm, I'm batting a thousand in spaces for how many times i've ever interrupted anyone so it's like a personal badge of pride but um but yeah i i guess i wanted to put forth a controversial opinion of definitely devalue yourself. So I know everyone's everyone's been talking about, you know, remembering to value your work in terms of how you feel about it or or what it took to get you there. And, you know, how scarce or rare a photo or, or piece of art might be in terms of, of the circumstances that allowed you to get it or create it. But the most scarce artwork there can ever be is one in the future that you never get to make because you didn't sell, you know, a couple of NFTs and, and turn things around. And I think probably most people in this space are in that position and not, you know, not selling things every day. Yeah, I mean, I think that you should definitely sell things like based on if you need to eat or whatever the case may be. Obviously, you should always do that. But at the same time, um, don't let someone like dictate your value. Don't let someone tell you that your work isn't good enough or that you should lower your price to yeah. be able to sell it. Well, oh, like that that's I, important. I just broke my streak. <laughs> break it, break it. So, go for it. So, this yes. Conversation. Agreed that uh, external pricing, you know, people shouldn't be externally influencing, but you shouldn't let people dictate whether you should be changing your prices. Does that make sense? Um, can you elaborate? Sorry, yeah. I'm kind of high. I've had a, a beer now, so same. Yeah, no, I think so, it's fair. <laughs> so it's um, like I my my photography, I I always build myself as vibrant yet realistic, and I just realized you know a couple minutes ago that my pricing strategy is exactly the same. Like I'll I'll have something at many many price points, specifically because I want things to sell and I want them to end up in someone's hands who actually resonates with them. So it makes sense to to have a variety of of works and a variety of prices. You know, uh, someone mentioned the concept of uh, 
of spreading spreading yourself out so that you're on a lot of platforms, a lot of uh, a lot of opportunities for people to see it. And I think that makes the most popular uh, the most possible sense. It's it's kind of a numbers game, especially if you're not already a big name in the space. So, you know, I again I would encourage people in the audience to to try pricing your your workout at lots of different price points if you can. And you know it it doesn't help that some platforms charge exorbitant fees, some don't, and some are fees after you mint and some before. But but yeah, try try to um I don't know, try to make it work. And and again, the most scarce photo you'll ever take is the one you can't take because you never sold an NFT. I'm going to butt in, which is really hard for me because I never butt in. And that's my, Let's I, go. I'm a perpetual hand raiser in every single space. So anyway, hi. Um, I want to touch upon something Omar said about when you're pricing, like, you know, secondary market no. but like make sure you don't price yourself for a loss um and i'm gonna go ahead and say when i launched my open sea collection every oh, shut up sorry my the dogs are being insane right now i'm in a car and there's two dogs one hates the other um so if you hear that barking i'm so sorry um but oh when i price my open <laughs> i have a chihuahua guys like i don't know what to say um but when I priced my OpenSea collection, like I like, you know, was very calculated in my pricing because all of those were taken while I was living on the road for like five months at a time. And I had no money the entire time. And like, I, you know, everything came out of pocket and, you know, I was traveling so much. I put 50,000 miles on my car in that time period. And I never missed a sunrise, never missed a sunset, like spent so much of my life's energy in there. And so I made sure to price exactly for what I would have spent on that trip, but then also then some, because obviously like for the work that I did. And, you know, that's really important. But another thing I'm going to say is something that John says all the time is never price something at something you'd regret selling. Because I think that's one of the worst things you can do as a creator is price something to the point where like it sells and you're kind of just like bummed because like, it's just not, you know, what, you know, the work you put into it, it's not like, you know, your value that you see for yourself as an artist. So there's definitely a fine line between like making sure you pay yourself, making sure you don't lose anything and making sure you can still like afford, you know, your expenses in your life. But one thing I will say, and I think everybody who is an artist can sit, like, you know, speak for this. We were creating art with or without money. We were creating art because we loved to create art and we were creating art because it filled something in our souls. Like a lot of us all had shitty jobs at some point. I was a retail store manager and district manager for 10 years of my life. And, you know, I was still creating art just like with that schedule and with all of that because it's something that brought me passion so you know if you aren't making a sale um oh gosh what is that um, <laughs> um if you aren't making like you know the sales consistently like you know we all were doing this when we were broke and you know i I know this is coming from someone who's made, you know, a decent amount of sales and had success, but I would have no problem going back to that because it's something that just made me so happy. And I quit my job before NFTs happened. I quit my job, you know, when I, I, I literally quit my job with $30 in my bank account and lived out of my car because I had no other option. And, you know, would I do that again? Is it hard? Yes. Would I do it again? No, honestly, probably because at the end of the day, that's the only thing I wanted to do. And I left a very lucrative career to do that, but I left a lucrative career that didn't bring me any sort of fulfillment. I was miserable all the time. Like, you know, so price your stuff at a point where you don't regret selling it, but also price yourself at a point where you pay yourself for your work because the whole point of being a creator and the whole point of, you know, being a freelance artist and, you know, living as an artist is, you know, you don't want to have a regular job. So you know, make sure you are fueling your passions in a way that's acceptable and just, you know, calculate, like really like think about it before you get into it. 
Um, and I think that's the most important thing to think about. Also, like, make sure you calculate for, like, you know, the taxes you're gonna have to pay on the art that you've sold. Like, there's just so many factors that go into this. And, you know, it's think before you price. And that's, you know, I think the most important thing. So a little bit of what Omar said, a little bit of what John said, a little bit of what Steve said, and all of that, I think, you know, if you take all of that together, it's going to give you a much better mindset when it comes to your pricing, when it comes to receiving payment for your work. And it's gonna give you a better attitude too, if you, you know, remind yourself where your beginnings were, because, you know, if you don't make a sale, just remember, like, you know, you didn't get into this for the money. You got into this because you loved it and you couldn't imagine a day without it. So, yo, a fucking mint. Take oh, us yeah. to church, right? Like, a mint. That was dope. 100%. That's such a good point, too, though. Yes. Like, the master craftsmanship aspect of this, right? And, I, and we've talked about this before, too. It's like, you know, I, I hate to always like pick on Instagram, but Instagram really brought in this um, era of like, you pick up a camera for a year and then if you don't have a hundred thousand followers by that next year, or if you're not shooting for, you know, fucking Nike or Vogue by the next year, that somehow you're a failure and that's just not realistic. Uh, and, 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 and making uh, expectations like that, we, we started to draw away from master craftsmanship. And so one of the things that I would challenge everybody on stage to do, I challenge myself not just on stage in this room. And I challenge myself to do this every day is continue to learn about your craft and be a student of your craft. And I don't mean go to school. Like I never went to photography school and I know most of the, the folks up here, a lot of us didn't go to school. Uh, I wish I did sometimes and sometimes I'm very happy I didn't, but you don't have to be inside of a building to be a student of your craft. And I think if you're a student of your craft, you identify with your art um, as a true artist, it will give you some of the resilience. It will give you some of the confidence and the things you need to believe in yourself to allow a collector to find your excellent body of work that you've been curating and that you've been crafting over a period of time. If you're looking for the quick hit, it may work out, but for a lot of people that doesn't. And um, I mean, uh, I'm sure the photographers in the room are familiar with uh, Vivian Mayer, who is one of history's, one of modern history's greatest photographers, greatest artists, greatest documentarians of, of particularly American life. She died and no one knew that she was this amazing photographer until well after her death. And someone, this guy happened to discover her work um, in a, um, in a, somebody help me out. He discovered it in a, um, in a documentary. And, and if anybody hasn't seen it, please go ahead and do yourself a favor. And there's watch a documentary that. on Netflix about it, but he discovered in a storage. Didn't they discover her store, art in a storage? In a store, it was yeah. a, he bought a storage uh, container. You know, they do, the, they do those sales on storage containers. He bought a storage container, found the negatives and thought there was more to it. And that's how her work got discovered. But I bring her up to say this woman created a mag absolutely magnificent body of photographic work because she loved photography. And there's so much of that about her life that's a mystery. One thing that's not a mystery is that she was an amazing photographer and that her photography has changed the lives of many people and has changed and now it has supported the work of many artists who have followed in her footsteps. We don't have to be Vivian Meyer, right? Like we don't have to live our lives and never invest in uh, taking, you know, making any money or things like that off our work. But you could tell that that woman believed in her craft. She loved being a photographer. It had nothing to do with what she was going to get paid for it. And I try to remember that with my own work is that if I'm not being a student, I'm not working towards master craft craftsmanship, then I need to question why I'm here. Um, and it goes back to a question I used to ask photographers on Instagram. If Instagram ended tomorrow, would you still be a photographer? And if your identity is wrapped around an app, then maybe this is not truly what the, you know God or the universe or whatever you believe in is calling you to be. And so maybe... You should be searching for that because there is something that the universe is calling you to be. So I think that that's one thing that we also have to remember is that we need to be challenging, challenging ourselves every day to be master craftsmen and loving our, our craft. And again, I think for me personally, that is what 
uh, gives me the resilience to one price my work where I price it and two leave it there because I know that a collector who wants that piece was that there's a there's a person that that piece is going to impact their lives and that's the person that should have it. Amen, well Brandon, Brandon. Well said, uh-huh. dude. I, can I can I just say you know to double down on that? Like if the the moment you stop being a student. Um, most likely you lost all the love for the craft that you're doing right now. So yeah, never stop being a student. Let's go. Hell yeah. I'd love to jump in and double back to Emily, but rough dude, what a good take right there. I think everyone agrees with you on that hundred percent. Um, but to jump back to Emily and I, I really enjoy this like discussion on pricing. I think Eric Rubin had one of my favorite takes of the, the whole like, speech from the beginning but to jump back with emily like a lot of us did this like dirt broke and if you're coming in pricing your first nft and you've been here for a week and you're mad that you haven't gone to sale like dude fucking sucks but like come and show up like come and show up to the conversation like you know respect people in the space that have been here a while and like come back because you know a lot of us photographers like you know newsflash we're the one also buying photography every time there's a sale for photography the value of our median goes up and like you can be all pissed off and be like you know what why is today not my day like are you kidding me like people's value in the median is going up everyone wins right there like huge like john getting a giant bid or cat getting a giant bid like that's amazing but that's also like you know, pushes the medium forward. And it's so important to have that. And it's important to have that diversity because, you know, John and like Kath, like Kath makes some of the best, you know, photography in the world. And if you're just starting out in photography, you can't just do that. Like that's a skill set that's earned over time. And when you're going to price your work, like, yes, you can totally come in here and never be in a space, make a Twitter and price for 10 ETH. And it's like, good luck to you. But that's not really how you participate. You participate over time and, you know, you earn that relationship and trust with people and you show up. And like, for me, at least I I started collecting PFPs. Like I started using work to flip projects with like Oni and penguins and like other things so I can buy more work. And every time I get a sale, like I'm going to go and buy art, but I'm not going to buy art from someone who doesn't show up. Like I'm going to go to those people that are like religiously just supporting, showing love to others and then coming in and like trying every day. And like, you can tell who's trying authentically. You can tell it on the expression that they like give out, you know, the words that they say and how much like they're just trying to suck up. And like, there's honest people out there and there's people that try really hard, not to say some don't, but like, you know, show that love and give back because like when the medium grows, like we all benefit by default. So I just wanted to add onto what you were saying, Jacob, um, because, you know, when we talk about valuing ourselves, also we talk about experience and that it's also that we can use as a metric. Um, and there's a very specific reason for that, because um, if you're just starting, uh, you don't know what you don't know. And as I said before, sometimes people start pricing their, their, their work uh, in the beginning high when they're learning um, because they think, you know, for, for lack of a better word, you know, they think that they're shit and they're excited about what they're creating and, and, and you know, all these emotions get in the way. Um, but the reason why, you know, people that have been working uh, for a, a long time in the, in the craft can price at that point at those price points is precisely because they have, they have the experience and the consistency to keep creating work, um, quality work at a good rate. Uh, and when you're young, when you when you're learning, you might be able to create one or two pieces uh, or several pieces uh, that that are good 
but can you create them consistently? And that's when we have to also, you know, be honest with ourselves and know where we are, at what point we are in our, in our career and how can we, you know, keep learning, keep growing and, 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 and then pace ourselves. Um, and I just wanted to throw that out there because that's, I think it's a good um, metric or a good, uh, what's the right word, um, point. I forget, again, brain fog, sorry. But yeah, well, you see you see where I'm going to. I, I want to jump off there, Omar, because here's, <laughs> here's my question. And, and this is like not to be combative at all. This is just like a different point of view is it's not necessarily our jobs as photographers when we have the photographer hat on and not the collector hat on to teach someone how to be a good collector, right? To teach someone value, to teach someone what is valuable to us or them. Like it may be that somebody comes in and, and look, I'm, I don't, I don't suggest this, but I'm just like playing devil's advocate that somebody, cause I love doing this with you, Omar, but somebody would come in out of nowhere, shoot a great photo. And someone, someone who wants to pay for it is like, holy crap, this is the best thing ever. Boom. 50 ETH, like whatever. And the reality is, is that what is valuable to me is different than what is valuable to someone else right? What is valuable to, you know, some, the person who found Mars photographs was like that nobody had ever seen them maybe. And that there was, there was no, that this was like a hidden secret, like whatever part of the story that is right. When I'm buying art, a lot of times I'm buying a part of somebody's story and maybe that story of that person just coming in out of nowhere, picking up a camera for the first time, thinking that they're the shit is like good enough for that particular type of collector. Um, I think you and I are pretty aligned with what we find valuable, but I, I am just throwing that out there as kind of like a little bit of devil's advocate. I, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, but uh, and again, anyone who knows me knows that all of this comes uh, from, a, from a place of love and, and really to try to um, build as opposed to destroy. But the reason why that is important is because, for example, let's put your example, someone that just started photography yesterday, they come out and they create a great photo, they put it out, it sells for a 50 ETH, but then the next one doesn't. And, and that creates a great frustration. So that would be homologous to, is that a word? Uh, but that would be the same as a one hit wonder, right? And that causes a lot of suffering to artists when, when they go through that path, you know, like the, the one hit wonders, you know, they make millions and then they just plunge and then their career is dead, right? Uh, so what I'm just trying to say is that there's value in um, gra gradual or, or, you know, like little by little, step by step growth, rather to just shooting for the stars in the beginning and then making a one hit and then kind of, you know, dying out. And, and again, it, it's really me trying to um, save people heartache and, and, and there's more value in growing and learning than just shooting, you know, uh, you know, I, I, again, I hope you, you understand what I'm saying. I do. I do. I actually see you as more of a mentor and, and not, not necessarily saving people heartache, but I do see you as somebody who is mentoring artists and, and in that way, I, I'm just kind of saying it, it almost, it seems like there's lots of different paths 
you know, there's different pathways. And, and I like the long game. You know me. I love the long game. I'm, I'm part of the long game. Um, but I was just kind of throwing it out there because some people take that path and are, are into it. Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was fun to talk about. I, I also think it's okay that like the the one hit wonder or the person that comes out and has this amazing piece or even if it's, you know, one of the things I think a lot of us artists kind of forget is that money does not buy taste. Like you're the same it's person, true. whether you have zero dollars in your pocket or millions, like what you buy, what you like is, is dependent on your own worldview. And also sometimes even your friends, like the people that that collectors are around are liking something and they're like i don't really understand it i don't get it but you know my friends like it so maybe i'll check it out too so artistic value and taste and all that stuff comes with time and experience and and having more inputs and and values so as we we know as artists because we spend our whole lives like absorbing that stuff like uh dice and vacuums like we're just constantly wanting to see cool shit all the time and then a little bit of that could get into our work and could influence the way that we create in the future. Um, collectors that are viewing art all the time and enjoying it and have since they were a child, maybe their parents taught them, gave them art education. And who knows what it is, right? But there's also people that just came into money now and they don't have any idea what good or bad or whatever kind of art they you know should be looking at so they're just going to buy the things they think are cool so it's and both of those are okay like nothing's wrong with any of that we just have to not like judge anything that's happening and just realize that it's okay that there's going to be different paths for everyone and there's going to be different tastes for everyone and and only the long like the big scope of the long term and timeline will really dictate what has value 100 200 years from now when we're all uploaded to the the web four uh, internet that where our consciousness can have all these discussions about what good art and bad art is. Um, but until then we just kind of have to understand that the timing, uh, of everything too, like a new fancy thing comes out and people are excited about collecting that, uh, because it's new and shiny, but that doesn't mean that it's going to have the, the long-term value. So yeah, I think everybody's right. We just can accept all the paths and, uh, you know, figure out which one ours is. I hope in, in Web5 that I just have a plug in my brain and there's like a fifth eye on the side of my face that's just rotating all of your artwork in my brain forever and always because that would be sick. You guys are all so talented. I'm like, I'm kind of just scrolling along in your feeds right now. Web5, my brain. I think I think one thing too is if somebody is like a newcomer in the space and you know they they shoot for the stars and they drop their art you know like and someone collects it and they like disappear because they're not going to get that same thing again at the end of the day like even if they don't you know get that or whatever like as long as they keep creating then they're winning and i think that's something like you know overall to look at like you know if they value their art at that level then they value that art their art at that level and you know at the end of the day too like this goes back to a tweet that i saw the other day it was like some weird take about like oh well you know like there's all this study on photography like well we're, in, we're we're trying to go toward web three right now we're trying to go to a different world we're like we're breaking free of those institutions you know of like you know defining art and judging it based off of you know select people who've had like years and years and years of like you know studying art and this and that like we're valuing art differently we're valuing art based on like you know how we interact with it how we vibe with it if we resonate with the story if we resonate with the image of you know any part of that just like you know gets with our soul so I think honestly like that whole point like you know yeah like 
you know, they might get disappointed if they don't sell something right away. But at the end of the day, like as long as they keep creating and like they like learn and like see the space, like I think that's the most important thing that comes out of it. Because again, like I think all of us, like, you know, we came into this not for the money. We came into this for the art and the way that things are changing right now. It is, you know, kind of becoming about the money, but also like at the end of the day, it's still primarily about the art. It's the art first, the money second. And I think that's, if you look at it, no matter what that way, you're going to always feel fulfilled with yourself, what you create and the outcome of it. So art first. I think what you touched on there is really good because I think if you are in it just for the money, you'll burn out a lot faster than if you are in it for your art. Like I can't wait to just get out and create like my time in Yosemite the last couple weeks. That felt really good. And I was just there, no pressure, just creating and you know, just kind of reconnected with my soul there. And, you know, whether I was online or selling something that didn't matter, it just mattered that that moment and being present. And I think that's important to remember through all this. I really be my own devils. So sorry. Who's who's gonna go? Go Steve. Go Steve. I was just thinking I really yeah, that role is gone. I really wish that these um, these spaces, especially recorded ones, you could take clips from the space and mint them as NFTs, because you know everyone's saying some really great things. Uh, Emily and Envy, both of what you just said, I would I would definitely buy an NFT of that audio clip. Perfect words. I I learned a long time ago that every every D space is a uh, it's it's definitely something that you're gonna learn a lot. So yeah. We all need a Lindy, Lindy walk. You know, I, I want to bring up a point off the it's art first, money second. There is part of this space that was really attractive because it's like, like the main shiny aspect was the idea of getting paid off of secondaries, the idea of royalties and the idea that, you know, for once, it would be like a fair monetary exchange, whatever fair is like, that's such a shitty thing to say, whatever. And then great. I forgot that this was being recorded and I've said so many bad words. Anyway. I not care about that. <laughs> I have a potty mouth. <laughs> uh, bad words. But, but do you remember? It was like, what do you mean? You could like sell something and then you sell it. It sells again and then you make money off it. Like, I don't want to pretend that money's not a part of this conversation because if it wasn't, I wouldn't attach a price tag to it. And this, and quite literally, this room would not exist. So, I mean, I appreciate the sentiment and I'm not trying again. I'm not trying to be combative, but I don't think that there's anything wrong with changing our relationship to money. I have gone to therapy and I have read the books and they say that you should say things like, I love money. I love what money can give me. I love what money can provide. I love what money can provide my family. And I love that I can survive off my art. You know, I, I really love it. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I agree. Um, Lindsay, I agree with you, but the art itself doesn't come from that the art comes from you so like when i say like art first i literally mean like if you're creating with the intent of that like are you like the the art is coming from like you as a person and like your soul and everything of course and you're creating from that intrinsically not like from that external thing like the external is obviously important and that's why we are in this space but like the art itself isn't coming from that idea like the i the the reason you got into art was because it like fulfilled the need in your soul that was like different but now like yeah we can eat from it but like 
also like I think overall the success you're going to see like that if you have that intrinsic motivation you'll see the success more on the monetary monetary side because it's like coming from like a different place in you I don't know I agree with you though for sure every every time I've created with the intent but not my commercial stuff not when I'm commissioned but every time I've created something which has only been like once or twice where I was like I am gonna sell this it was a total disaster there's no emotion in it like I completely agree with you on that on that but I also I mean I think it's a combination of both and I also want to recognize that I I speak from a place of privilege of being able to be someone who can make money off of you know my my creativity and that's not everyone and i know people out there are are doing like trying to get to that and so i want to recognize that too and not you know not just come on and say like i i 100 believe in master craftsmanship and and doing things because you love it like you need to find the things in life that you love and then if you can make some money out of it then definitely pursue it but i want to say that i speak from a place of privilege i am blessed to be a creative who makes money off of creative things and and then my, my creative creativity and my my tech mind, you know, melted together and I, and I work at Google and right. And so these, these are, that's a privilege. And so I don't want to be insensitive to people who are like putting their everything into this and it's not necessarily happening the way they, that they, they want it to. Um, and I, I want to also offer, like, if you're ever feeling a certain way about your work or you're feeling depressed or whatever, man, talk to me. Cause I've been there and I'm more than willing to like really go through and dive into some things that have worked for me or some things that have worked with my friends, you know, or even my friends who are up on stage connecting you with them, if that's more relative. But I, I don't want to like go tonight and just, you know, sing Kumbaya about art and, and not realize that there's people like sc- scraping everything that they have together to maybe buy a $200 camera or, you know, like they're spent their last money on paints or, you know, spent their stimulus check on the iPad and procreate, right? Like, so I, I, I just wanted to say that, like, my, my comments come from that place of privilege. And uh, I get it. Like, I've, I've been, you know, a teenager trying to create art, you know, not, not like a kid, but like 19, 20, 21, trying to create art, create art in Los Angeles, trying to find my way and feeling like, well, maybe I'm not that good. And, you know, sip, slip, slipping into depressions and shit like that. So please understand that. And also know that this is the beautiful thing about this is not really any of the money or any of that. It's the community. And I found family and a lot of the people who are on stage and a lot of people who are in the, in the room in general. And that is probably the most, that's probably where the most of the wealth lies in this community. Um, because we've all like looked at our shit, compared it to something on Instagram uh, and been like, well, damn, maybe I'm not good. Or maybe I'm going the wrong direction. Or maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe I should do this. Uh, and it's just not healthy. So, you know, reach out to me. I'm, I'm here. I was going to ask you for your, for your number almost, man, because <laughs> I definitely have those feelings. Man, you know, I, I love many of you all on the stage, like for many, many months, right? So that's eons and crypto. But man, you guys are taking me through an emotional roller coaster down there. You know, I'm like, yo, they're artists, there's rules, then there's no rules, then there's, I'm like so confused. I got triggered at some point. Because, you know, now I hire a lot of uh, creatives with the company. Don't, don't laugh, don't laugh. Um, but I hire these creative people. <laughs> What's up, John? I hire these creative people, and I don't always know what the cost of the work is. And you can argue I have like a big bag of money, but I don't know. So we call multiple people and we say, "This is the goal," and their prices sometimes are all over the place. So it's, I, I just wanted to speak to that because I was like, let's not put the message out that when someone asks you also for creative help for a job, that it's always like an evil empire, you know, trying to like, you know, fuck with you and steal your shit. Cause everybody's not like that. Maybe a lot of us got scarred early in our careers. 
I know I've been there, you know? Um, so I just had to put that out. But as I made fun of you all for the rules, I wanted to, about having so many rules. I was like, help me out. Cause like, I'm trying to put together this thing now, a collection, but I've had prices earlier that were way, let's say I felt very affordable, but I feel this thing now is valued more, but I feel like I'm disrespecting um, the people that supported me earlier if I raised the price too much. And then the people that paid for my other one of ones that the price was way higher. Like, what the fuck do I do? Like, I don't know if there's a happy medium to make everyone happy. Well, you should always go up, you know, that's, that's, I think that's key. And, and, you know, whoever paid before your, the, a lower price, I feel like it's important to, for them to know that you, your value is always going to go up. And, uh, I mean, that's my approach. What about, you know, they DM you and they'll say, you did, you know, we helped you. And now, now you're, you know what I'm saying? Like now they can no longer be a part of the fun. And I feel like they, they, they surprised me and and I never want to break that bond because I, I've never been happier than like the first bit of NFTs I sold. And I had no idea people would show up like that. And I'm grateful to them. I don't want to be broke either moving forward doing it. You know what I'm saying? But I feel a bit torn. I feel like you you can still reward your your collectors, your earlier uh, supporters as well. You can always, uh, you know, reward them uh, in many different ways. And, And I mean, that's my advice. I would agree with that. Like you, you just have to find ways to be creative to reward the people that you know hold that place in, in your heart, in your memory, in your journey as a creative. Because, you know, I um, a friend of mine who did, you know, she does really well in the analog market. She keeps part of her budget in the money that she's made from selling her work goes towards producing work that she can sell at a really cheap price to people to make sure that people in her community can have, you know. A, access to uh art you know and and in many marginalized communities we haven't always had that it hasn't been a priority you know to be able to collect art it could be a fairly new thing in many communities and so if you feel passionate about it i would say you know take that on and and create you know things that are accessible to the people you want to have accessible you and they're just like ovex said there's so many ways that you could do that i just you know be creative and make sure to communicate with those people and let them know they're, they're important to you they're essential to your journey and there are things that you're doing to make sure that they can still participate in in your journey even as your prices go up one of the one of the best things you can do as an artist to reward your early collectors is to keep getting better and doing more and being more passionate about the space and you're rewarding them by being early adopters in your journey as an artist because that's what they're investing in is your story and your work and they inherently get value from you just working your ass off and, and being the artist that you are as you grow that's that's kind of the beauty of being an early early adopter of anything especially an artist career so i think uh i think you're undervaluing yourself um and and you definitely are already rewarding people just by being you wiley if if i ever worked with you man and uh and going forward in the years uh to come you become unreachable for me i will be grateful just to say hey you know i worked with that guy you know that's 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 one one thing you know just keep it in mind it's it's good to keep in mind too that not all collectors are investors and not all investors are collectors and that 
probably the majority of people who buy your work, you know, if it's if it's good looking work, good looking art, good looking photos, they're, they're buying it because it's because it's awesome in that moment, and not necessarily because they're they're nickel and diming, you know, how how it's going to appreciate in value in the next three to seven years, and so it just it doesn't make too much sense to me to worry too much about um, about not offending, but make making people sad that you've changed your price uh, price floor or, or pricing scheme. It's you know, 90% I'm of the people... I'm a sensitive dude. <laughs> I'm kind of laughing well, when you say I'm like, oh man, well, I'm overly empathetic. Huh? <laughs> I mean, I, we're all sensitive here. But, but, uh, but yeah, it's... It's just something we we've all got to start learning to to do and to deal with because again this isn't the traditional art space it's it's something new and it's something evolving. Also, Willie, uh, just one th one last thing. I mean, I feel like what you should you should never 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 do is lower your price to the point where it's going to affect the the your your investors. You you know, like the the first collectors, the first investors. Like you don't want to hurt that. Um, you know, because that that's going to look bad. I I feel like if I collected one of your pieces and then if I paid, let's just say, for example, like five ETH, and then you just drop your prices in the same platform for, you know, at two or one, I feel like it's going to be something that it's going to hurt my, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt me. So just saying. Do you mean the same platform or the same collection? No, it's I'm saying, different. I'm saying, oh. you know, it depends. Like, you know, let's say if you, if somebody pay uh, for the uh, super rare token, like, you know, uh, eight ETH or five ETH, and then you, the next piece, you lowered it to like, one or two just that's just not a good look for you or and 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 in the eyes of a collector or for your business for your brand or or whatnot you know that's all i'm saying um you can you can change your prices in different ways like if you if you did a collection on OpenSea, or if you did uh on another platform that you're doing something else uh, a little a little something that it's more reachable to to other people then that is fine but you know you have to keep your your i feel like you have to keep your floor price um accordingly yeah it, it probably also differs from platform to platform i mean i've i don't really know what super rare is i've never been browsing there or or bought or sold anything there I feel or, like or what a pay, token is. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like people pay a little bit of a higher price for the super rare token. Yeah. Remember, I think one one thing that's important is that, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but at um your your collector is not an investor. I don't think you should ever look at it like that. Like you're you're not an investment. Like you're you're an artist. You create art because you like it. Um, like you create art to share with the world, maybe, but. You're, you're not creating art necessarily. Maybe some people are, but at least from what I've done, I, I've never created art to be an investment. Like I've never, I don't want to make my art um, a flip or, or accessible to the secondary market. Like I don't want to see anybody flip my art. Like I hope they keep it forever. Like that's, that's the whole idea is like that. I, I mean, yes, you're betting on my career, maybe that like I'm going to be in this long term. And, and that's definitely, I think, important. Yeah, like I think that's important to me that you're betting on my career that I'm long term. Um, but I also think like you should be collecting my art because you like it and you think it's dope and you're like, oh, I really resonate with that picture. Like when when I had my galleries, like people would walk up to your picture, like my picture, and they would cry. 
Like they would have emotions like, and that shit, like we would talk about that. Like that was when you see people evoke emotions from your pictures, then you know why people are buying it. And you feel like really, really amazing to be able to, uh, to give those people those feelings. Because like, I mean, I, you know, they'll, they'll tell their story of why they do it. And like all the pictures that I have hanging in my house, like I have a few other artists, but most of it is mine because like I connect with it. It resonates with my memories, but then other people see it and they have their all new connection with it. And it symbolizes something that I never would have thought of. So I think like when you're looking at it, make sure like, you know, and I could be wrong in this, like, dude, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm, you know, dude, I'm just some stoner kid from a trailer park in Marana who picked up a camera and got really, really lucky and lived out of his car most of that time. So I don't know if you should necessarily listen to me, but what I am saying is that I never would create art for the secondary market. I hope nobody ever flips that shit. And I hope a lot of artists uh, don't do that just for the investment. That would be the goal. I would love to jump in real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I love what you're saying, but I've had collectors literally tell me, like, I am also an investor. I need to make a decision that, like, doesn't screw myself over. You know, a lot of collectors, like, want to collect art. But then again, they're real people at the end of the day, and they have, like, ETH that will run out. And, like, they're trying to make smart decisions at the same time. And I, I for, you know, I love art. I've done this since I was a kid. You know, at 17, 18, I was like, I don't want a fucking normal job. Let me just start working on the side under the table with a camera for like $100 of just random projects. I've shot like a bunch of weird just, you know, I've shot everything between quinceañeras to like crystal hearing healing therapy, just like just strange stuff to keep my camera in my hand always. And I've done this, like not making that much money, like living well below the poverty line. The first time I like actually set up a situation where I could like make ends meet, you know, I was living in a single parent household, like I put all of my money, and you know, my parent bank account, because we had to pay to like keep a house over our head. And like that, you know, coming out into the NFT world, like even pricing at one ETH and selling a piece of work, like that's months and months of rent for a lot of people. And that's huge. And it's like, insane. And I, I want to be a person that has sees all of the value of art go up. But like in the in the reality to talk with like Lindsay double back to like that shit is real and it didn't feel real, at least for me, until I cashed out and I paid rent and I like made it needed to make bills because like that is some life changing stuff. And in terms of like price point, you know, I'm super grateful. I just had a bid wrap up with Vince today for like by far the highest I've ever sold a piece, probably three X times of what I've sold my highest. piece. Yeah. And that shit. That shit made me cry. That shit literally changed my life. And I'm putting a portion of that, you know, investing it back into my friends and people I believe in. But like part of that is like it, it, it's real. And if I do that across every platform and if I go and change all of my prices right now to reflect that, I don't think it's appropriate, at least in my journey right now. Like I, I sold something and I still will put all my foundation pieces, at least for me right now at like one ETH because I would love to onboard more collectors to have more people like just holding your art like more the more people who appreciate the stuff you collect and is that going up over time like sure but like for a lot of like the baseline of people just to onboard people that appreciate you oh my god that would that that changes an artist's life also in a whole different way mentally where they just propel them into like believing what they're doing and taking those whatever funds they have they might invest that in to like gas for a literal trip, like across a country, like a $500 road trip that might just change their life. And like, we have to remember like all of these price points for, you know, a lot of the general public, not saying you shouldn't see ETH in dollars, but a lot of people do still. And that's why we get these like scarish bear market cycles. And, you know, it's just, 
I think there's, we want to do it for the art always a hundred percent. I want to preach that, but like for a lot of collectors, at least that I've talked to you, like some of it is an investment and they want to hold beautiful items, but they don't want to lose money at the same time. No, I totally get that. And I, at no time do I ever like, uh, I think that I will never tell anyone what to price their artwork for. If you want to price it for 0.1 ETH, 1 ETH, 2 ETH, whatever you want to sell your art for, you should be able to sell your art for that. My only point is, is that um, I've had collectors reach out to me and say that my artwork uh, isn't worth what it is and that they need to be able to invest in it. And that's just kind of everything that my personally I'm against. So I'm not going to sell or lower my price point because they don't think my artwork is investable or they can't flip it. And that's fine with me. Like I totally understand, but I don't resonate with that buyer and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I want someone who's uh, buying my work because they want to support the passion. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with collectors buying because they want to flip shit. But me personally, I flip PFPs. That's how I've created so much ETH for myself so I can buy artwork. So if I want to buy a PFP that I invest into that market, that's how I've created ETH. So I don't flip anybody's artwork as much as I just enjoy going into projects that I think are fun, flipping them, moving my way into that, and then being able to invest in uh, bigger pieces that resonate with me that I never want to flip and they go into my vault. And I think that's kind of the approach that I hope a lot of uh, art collectors are looking at because at no point would I ever had someone DM me and say that they want me to lower my price because I'm not an investment. I mean, my only response to that person would be go fuck yourself. And maybe that's wrong, but that's my response. You know, Real quick, can I-, I didn't mean no. to harp on you. I don't mean to interrupt, but like, hell yeah. Like, I just wanted to pose a, a little devil's advocate because like I think the message you're spreading is super important and I think you know believing in your work like I remember we did a space back in the day the day before Vince spot your uh, piece we did a little interview space like way back when I was running more spaces uh, like every day and like dude to have that happen to have that price point there like that opens the opportunity for all of us anybody producing photos to now like say like you know what fuck this like baseline your price higher but then again, like I'm conflicted because people coming into the space when you're onboarding people, like you can have people like not make great decisions, getting enthusiastic about at least like from my perspective of my own journey. So it's hard to like tell people to like stick with your guns if it's their first sale. Like, I don't know. It's it's something that like pulls, I pull in directions deciding on that because what you tell people, at least in onboarding is like their golden knowledge. They will hold that to the grave just because, you know, they might trust you. They're like, oh, John's the homie. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to fuck with that. Look, he's successful. He like knows what he's doing. And like, I think the flipping the PFP projects is the move. Like, I think use the market and like no open sea very well just before like creating something to create it so yeah yeah i just want to throw that no and you're right dude and i want to say like in no way am i actually even successful like i want everyone to look at my foundation sales i've only had 50 ETH, and i know that's like only but if you compare it to like some of the bigger people in the space i'm not really necessarily the biggest successful story in the space no hold on like you are you are one of the most successful (laughs) 50 ETH ETH is incredible we know your come up story bro i I, I feel like there's been so many people that have sold I feel like so many people have like, I mean, look at Drift's floor. Like, look, there's some people's floors that have just destroyed mine. Justin Aversano. I mean, I could go on and on, but, but it's, that's not but what you're defines the one, success. You're the 1%. Just, just remember that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I hope I, I mean, and that's not my like point in the space. Like, honestly, what, what I'm trying to do, like, I love that my work has sold to Vince and I appreciate everything he's done by buying all my work. I love the guy to death, but, um, 
Like, I, I just think like, I don't want anyone coming to the space to think they should spend, they should price their work at 23. Cause I'm saying balls to the walls, guys, like let's fucking go. Like, you know, fuck the collectors. I'm not saying burn the establishment down. You should build a brand. If you're coming into the space, you should price your work at a thousand ETH. If you're coming into the space, whatever you want to do, you should do it. But like, I think there is a smart strategic system into the longevity of building a brand starting from 0.5 ETH, moving to one ETH, going to two and connecting with your collectors. That is really the smart strategic way to do it. My approach is fucking stupid. I can't stress that enough. Like it's really not the best way to do it, but I have a limited portfolio. I only make out maybe 12 pieces to 15 pieces a year if I'm lucky because I really like, I don't get to Photoshop. I don't have the luxury of adding anything to my pieces. Most of my shit has been created from the camera using the zoning system, using everything that I was taught through Ansel Adams books. So it's like, I'm limited on my work. So I have to stress that my one of ones are going to be a very, very high floor. And if nobody ever buys it, which nobody ever might, Nobody ever might buy my work from here on out. I will still stay in the space. I will still host rooms. I will still hang out with everybody and continue to promote other people's work because I flip PFPs. I can continue to make money through the market and survive in this space. But I think if you're getting into art just to survive and to eat, it's going to be really fucking tough. It takes time. It takes patience. And I've been in it for 15 years and I'm still barely be able to survive. I've been able to survive by using the market at my advantage. But again, like I can't stress enough. Um, I'm not an investment. I'm just creating art, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, you say it, it's tough. To go- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so, like, Wiley did ask a question. I hope I'm saying that right, too. But Wiley did ask a question because, like, you know, you were talking about how, you know, you have these, you know, early adopters who bought at such a price, and you have, like, these other people who bought at this price, and you're trying to, like, make everybody happy. And I think, like, if you want to look at somebody who did a really good job of this, um, I would say look at kind of how Drift did his stuff. I was able, um, I've been a very early supporter of Drift since, you know, since early last year, like early 2020, I've been, you know, friends with Drift, supporting him. And I was able to buy into where my vans go at 0.25. And then I was very quickly priced out of that collection because I couldn't afford it anymore. But what Drift did was, you know, like he wanted to honor, you know, his floor. He wanted to honor, you know, the prices where his pieces are at. But then he also wanted a way to honor the people who, you know, no longer get a slice of his own pie. And the way he did that was by creating an addition. And I think if you want to honor those early collectors and those people who, you know, might not be able to afford the higher price points, I think if you're able to do something different, I think that you know, will kind of make everybody happy. And Drift was able to do that by making an addition recently. And I think that's just, I think my best advice for you is if you want to make everybody happy and like honor those earlier people who might not be able to afford your current work, maybe just try and figure out a different way for, um, you know, those people to have, you know, a piece of your art. Um, And I think that's probably the most realistic answer that anyone could give you here because everyone here is going to have so many different thoughts because, you know, ultimately yeah you're right this is a roller coaster we're all just like disagreeing but agreeing with each other because at the end of the day like this is all so subjective it's all just like you know based on our own experiences and based on where we've been at in the space and you know what we vibe with what we agree with you know our fundamental beliefs on art and you know all that jazz but I don't know I just wanted to like just chime in and just say here's you know my two-piece on you know your thing which everyone has also disagreed with agreed with all that jazz but anyway yeah no you you I you all actually helped me figure it out like in my head like what I'm happy with and yes, it is Wiley. No disrespect to the person that called me Willy or Wiggly earlier. <laughs> um, <Love> but, Wiley. <laughs> no, but you know what it is for me? Really, when it comes down to it, it's about, it's weird. It was this weird personal connection that I made with these people, you know? Like, I've been a professional creative for 
over 15 years and put out cool stuff, whatever. But this drop, not like it, like just to keep it in perspective, because I know we're talking about you guys, some people are 50 ETH and all this crazy shit. Like, yo, that first drop was maybe three ETH and it was additions, right? So it wasn't a ton of money. But what was dope was that these people just came out and they were like, we like your work. We like you. And it just blew my mind. And it was the best feeling I've ever had creatively. It wasn't the most money I've ever made creatively, but I really believe that those people um, were into my shit, were into whatever crazy shit came out of my mind, you know? And the the only other weird part was then I drove sales for some stuff on Foundation that was at like 2 ETH. But there's a big difference between 2 ETH and 0.06. So I just want to keep feeding myself that energy that I had with these people. And some of these wallets... They're just numbers, 0567, blah, 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 blah. But I still feel like, holy shit, 0657, blah, 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 blah. We're connected, you know? And I really want to just, it's a, just a really great vibe. So I agree with everything. And you all made me feel a little less stressed about this thing because there is no right answer. So so I, I appreciate all the, uh, the debate. Violet, I'm one of your collectors, and I could care less what you do with your work. Just wanted to let you know, no matter what your floor is, I love your work. Just wanted to say that. Go ahead, <laughs> you. Sorry. I love. I no, just love I was just going to say, I think we're so descent to the. I can't talk. Descent to. Oh my gosh, I can't even say the word right Fuck, now. I can't you got this word either. Sensitized. Thank yes, you. Yes, yes, Sorry, yes. my brain. I'm doing yoga. Um, but I think we're so like, that's what I mean. Cause when you said three, I'm like, I, I struggled at, with like, I spent a hundred dollars at the grocery store. I cringe, but like the amount of ETH, like two, three ETH, that is nothing to snooze at. That's some, those are amazing amounts to make. Um, even anything under an ETH, like 0.25 collections, all of that. Like we, that's an incredible amount of money. Um, and I think we're just so decent. I can't. Oh my gosh! I just can't say that word tonight. Desensitized. <laughs> I've said it, but you gave it to me. By the stumbling. way, I was like, oh, I couldn't say it. it was <laughs> um, that's just to show everybody you can stumble on stage, and it's okay. I embarrass myself. No big deal, and just move on. Um, but yeah, I just think it's it's we're just in such an incredible space, and you know whether it's small or large, like it's it's insane like it's like one or two ETH doesn't sound like a lot but oh my gosh it's a lot when you look at the cash value of these things it's insane yes yes it does sound like a lot <laughs> especially when you're doing photo gigs and you're like hmm how much work would this take me to earn one ETH worth right? you better land like a five-star client to get five <laughs> G's are you kidding me? You a client will like laugh at you if you know you price obviously you price them appropriately and doing everything but like Dude, it, you, we've worked many, many gigs and probably years to to equal sometimes one sale. And like, damn, it's 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 a different time. But like, respect the respect the appreciation regardless. I think that's true. Like anybody who's purchasing or like buying anything with when gas fluctuates and stuff drops, like those are the people that are like, okay, I'm committed to getting this now, and I want this regardless. And I like how we kind of double back earlier and said you're vesting in the the artist journey, maybe not the piece at the time. And I think that's like very true, which speaks to like the longevity of people like constantly turning out work and like having that drive to turn out work and now getting the funds to, you know, not just eat ramen constantly and then getting to turn that work out. Because I think 
I think all of us that pursue art have started from a baseline. No one comes from like a super privileged background that actually like works their ass off in art. It's they probably, you know, it's probably out there, but it's not that common. And the ability to like make things work in a situation where you're like, okay, well, you have to pay rent, you have to buy food, like go make something and make it passionately. And like, if you can do that and you can successfully line that, you get like another month or another two months and like, just figure it out as you constantly just turn over stuff. But at this point, I'm going to have to jump off. I've been sitting in a gym parking lot for like an hour and a half, but the, the passion of the conversations is That's too good. Like, this is the kind of conversations you want to run through drywall right now. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> this is run awesome. Through so drywall. good. Get it, Jacob. Later, and Jacob. Congrats again, Jacob. Market. That was so awesome. And to see your response and everything, like, life, it's so amazing to see life-changing things happen to people. Oh, well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm eyeing some photo work, so I'm going to try not to burn this ETH in my pocket. I, I got, I'm, a, I'm bullish on good photography. I'll, like another perspective setter, too, is like I, I had the, the chance to participate in selling my work in the analog market. And I had a gallery and I made like $12,000 on my photography work and out of like 30-something prints. And that was a big deal for that gallery. You know, it was a newer to, you know, somewhere. But that was a big, that was a good show. Um, to make 12 grand out of like, like I said, I think I had 35 pieces up in that show. And uh, that's, I mean, and John, you, you've also been in the analog market. I know other people here have as well. Like the m amount of money <laughs> that you can sell work for in this space versus what we were just selling it for a year ago, two years ago, three years ago in the analog market is nothing like it. And I made that money, but that was before I paid my, my 46% commission to the gallery. Right. And so that is another just way for us to think about this is like there's there's a lot this is a, an amazing opportunity and it's extremely new and so you know there's going to be a lot of space to innovate your own style and your own strategy and how you do this because no one actually has the answer yet you know we're all we're all just kind of giving little tidbits of what we've experienced here but no one still has like a concrete uh, answer because there's not enough data to, to back any of it rough trap you heard of peter lick right Absolutely. Okay, we all, I think, in this room have heard of Peter Lick. Um, the guy started by selling postcards, and later on, he priced his work, and he just did. He just priced his work, you know, at whatever he wanted, 3500 5000 Dude was selling prints and allegedly sold something for $7 million. We don't know if any of that was $6.5. We don't know oh, if six, that's Yeah, $6.5 million is right. what I think is, that's, yeah that's an alleged sale, but there is a truthful sale for a, a couple million and there's other sales that have been for half a million. I mean, the guy has a track record of selling fortune for photography and there's other photographers who have done this as well, but he's like the big name and the galleries and all that stuff. But, you know, I think when you're looking at a guy like that, that dude decided his own prices. I'm not saying everybody should follow this model. I'm, I'm not saying that. However, the guy created a market for himself. He just literally was like, yo, these are worth half a million dollars. These are worth this. I just don't care. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not saying he did it the right way. I'm not saying his market tactics were, were you know, the best way to do it. I'm just saying that the guy did something and created a market for photography that really wasn't there before that in commercialized landscape photography. It didn't exist. There was Lancel Adams and a couple other guys, but this guy created a whole genre for it. And when you look at that, you have to think, well, he just placed himself in that market because there was none. There was nobody selling it for those prices. He just did that. And when you look at NFTs, this isn't the real world. This is a whole new world that we're creating. Maybe that is a time sometimes where you can just kind of like go for it and just place your your prices wherever you want. And that's kind of where like my approaches have been is just like, all right, 
I'm a luxury brand of photography because I've decided I am a luxury brand of photography. No one really can tell me otherwise that I'm not. And people believe me in my comments have definitely tried to. So when you look at that, it's like, okay, well, cool. I'm going to price my shit at what I think it's worth. And that's always the approach that I've kind of looked at it at. Hey, GM, everyone. Um, GM. It's, yeah, it's like 7.30 a.m. here in Dubai. <laughs> I just woke up and... Um, you know, I just managed to get in uh, just like half an hour ago and really exciting conversation. And I just wanted to, you know, add something. I really love the, uh, the part which Steve said that, you know, not all collectors are investors and not all investors are collectors. And it really struck me like I, because I've, I've been observing how this space has grown over the last, uh, the photography space has grown over the last six months or seven months or so. And one thing I've noticed is that um, it's, yes, it's important to price yourself to how, depending on how much you value yourself, but at the same time, also to keep in mind how the market dynamics are at the same time. And the reason why I say this is because, um, you know, like, for example, if uh, the, in, the collectors you have on, like, who collect uh, art pieces or photography pieces from Super Rare, I view them mainly as investors, right? They're not collectors. Like if, if you look outside of Super Rare, right? Um, like they would spend like 20 to 30 ETH for the artworks they buy. Those are investments, you know? Those, I mean, no one would just dish out 20, 30 ETH for, for you know, just because it's something that vibes with them. You know, I mean, sure, there are some collectors who do so, but like, I mean, these goes out and collects, um, based on an art piece that vibes with them, for example. But uh, I see that there's a lack of such collectors that exist in the market as such. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the collectors that go that collect items on super, super rare don't look elsewhere. That, that's what I've been seeing so far. So I think that plays, a, plays an important role when it comes to pricing. It's it's not in all cases, but but you you have some sort of, yeah I mean but it's not in all cases because I've seen a lot of collectors uh, that collect on super rare and found and you know they also collect on foundation and they all collect they they collect on different platforms and some collectors I know they that they collect because they love the art they they have other purposes in their mind they actually. Uh, hold these pieces and they even put it in a vault because they feel like this is something that I love. This is something I want to keep it. And I want to hopefully see in my, in, in my screen or, or whatever they want to see it. And, um, but I, but I, I can, uh, you know, I, I kind of disagree on that, but they, there's definitely some investors, obviously. Um, and as John says, you know, for him, you know, they don't necessarily, he doesn't want, investors he wants a collector who appreciates his piece you know and, and appreciates all the work he's put into um i love that perspective as well and you only you as an artist you can only hope that every collector is that way but but at the same time you have we all have to understand that this we're talking about a, a, a big amount of money and uh you know if they eventually buy something from you and they decide to sell it in like a couple of years from now or tomorrow, it's up to them, right? It's it's not up to us. However, 
we have to just keep ourselves in in the middle you know there like we don't we can't re- really be mad about someone who's just making an investment but uh at the same time we should be grateful that they they are buying and then then reselling because at the end of the day you're getting royalties so hey we win win i guess I, uh, I just wanted to bounce off that too. Um, I know there are a lot of collectors that are collecting a lot on Super Rare, but I think some of them will move to other platforms and they're willing to buy on any platform if they think that you have value. You know, I've had I've heard a lot of collectors say recently like um, that they're like, yeah, sure, a lot of stuff I buy is on Super Rare because there's a lot of value there. But if I see potential in an artist that I think is going to end up there and be worth more in the future, like I'll buy on whatever platform they're on. So I wouldn't write off collectors just because they're collecting a lot in Super Rare. I think like if they they value your work, your story, who you are as an artist, like they're they're still going to collect you regardless of the platform. I think what it, where there is some truth though is that there may there are, there is probably some people that do just go on to a place like Super Rare knowing that there is uh, a high there there's less access to Super Rare and so feeling that the curation process yields art that is going to have more scarcity. And that they can invest, you know, a little bit more blindly on, on, on a, a place like Super Rare. I don't. I know for a fact that there are several collectors who collect there, Foundation, OpenSea. I mean, that whatever, wherever they can get the art that they're passionate about, they'll go. But I think there are some other folks who will, who are kind of just in the space for investment purposes only, who who will blindly go into a place like Super Rare because uh, they know that there's a there's a bit more scarcity to the access to to super rare and being on that platform. So again, like we all have seen like collectors kind of collect everywhere, but I, there is a, there's a bit of truth in the idea that there are some blind you know, folks who just blindly go in there just looking to flip money. Yeah. I think if you want to cater to the current marketplace, you're looking at it from um, a perspective of that. Most of the people are in it are uh, old school crypto um, coming from a DeFi background or just held on to crypto for a while or uh, got lucky and held some NFTs. But for the majority, it's mostly DeFi and crypto background. And that being said, they are looking at it from an investment standpoint. But I think a lot of people here are collecting art. And I think the more people that come into the space are going to be more art collectors as we see NFTs grow. Because right now, currently, I don't know how much has been spent on OpenSea, but it's an absorbent amount. It's like... 15 billion or something. I don't know anymore. It's, it's a crazy amount. But if you think about that, like, and what, like 1% of people knowing what NFTs are, it's not even there yet. Like where we just started. So it's like, once the traditional art collectors start getting in the billionaires and the big hedge funders, I think you're going to see a lot more traditional art get collected for the prices and what they've earned and deserved. And I think, and I could be wrong, but I think if you hold out and you hold your prices and again, I don't, take this, you know, as financial advice, but this is, you know, like just thinking about it from five years from now, if you're in it for the long term and your intention is to elevate other artists and like be a part of the community and just like enjoy the fun, then looking at it long term, you're probably going to get the big time investors that are looking for the stuff that is going to be minted earlier on the blockchain. That's just sitting there waiting. That's been priced there for the certain amount for a long time. And that's kind of what I'm looking at it is just like, I think there's going to be the traditional collectors that come in right now. Yes. If you cater to the market, you're probably looking at more of maybe people who are looking to flip things. That's just kind of the uh, overall, like, you know, reality of everything, but the future of it and where it's headed is going to be 100% in my opinion, are collectors who are doing it just for the provenance. You're, you're right about holding out, but there's, there's the other half of the equation that, 
that you didn't mention. It's it's maintaining some kind of of status or notoriety or or visibility to future collectors. Because people aren't just going to be searching the blockchain for the oldest photos, the oldest art, are they? I mean, maybe they will, but it's no, possible. No, you're right. It's possible. And that's, no, it's possible. I think there's two options. There's two ways. There's, there's literally two avenues, and there's no wrong way to do this. That's what's dope about the blockchain. It's like you could take this crazy way and just be like, "Yo, I'm going to age like a fine wine," and this is my. You might be wrong. But this is the investment that you're taking. And in no way did I ever get into NFTs to go, this is, you know, like flip my art is going to be the way that I'm going to be able to provide like food on my table. Like anyone who's actually able to do that, that's fucking incredible. Like that's so amazing that you're actually able to pay your bills through NFTs. But I can promise you, like looking at how art works, it's a roller coaster. It may not last forever. There are going to be ups and downs. You're going to hit points where you're not going to sell anything. There's going to be points where you sell a lot of shit. So it's like looking at that, you have to just base it on the overall market and think, well, what do I want to do long term? What am I here to do? What are my intentions? And my intentions when I came into this place first was, yo, I'm going to make a bunch of money and make sales. I'm going to cash grab. That was literally like my first idea when I saw what NFTs were. And then I started meeting the people and getting into the NFT photography crew and finding that it was all about community. And I was like, oh my God, this is so much fun. I want to stay in this for the long term. I'm going to price my art at what I think it's worth. I'm going to go for the long term goal of this. And there's nothing wrong with pricing your art. Like, dude, Drift, I think he did a whole collection at 0.25 ETH. He killed it. There's a lot of people who have done collections and they've fucking nailed it and there's nothing wrong with that i dig the shit out of that i can't think of a collection i i was talking to uh, noah at christie's and he was like dude are you ever going to do a collection i can't think of a collection that i would do it would be a cash grab for me that's uh, my heart's not in it so i'm doing one of ones because i create landscape photography that's the shit i do if i ever think of a collection that wouldn't be a cash grab i'm all in but at the moment that's where i'm at with my position with my photography we can all agree, John, also that we are part of a, a digital renaissance. I mean, let's just say art renaissance right now that we have to look forward to. And I don't know how many years from now, but we are as early as we are. We are the, the, the builders of this whole renaissance. And, and this is our moment to to shine and to build better, you know, so so that when we look back and maybe when we're not going to be we're not going to be alive. I mean, we're you know. People are going to look back on us and, and say, holy shit, these people fucking knew it. They built this and this, this look, 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 look what they did and, and appreciate just as we appreciate, uh, you know, Goya and, and, and every other painter out there from, yeah, you know what I mean? I totally agree. I, I was going to say that when John, you know, cause he said people are going to look back for the oldest thing, you know, something about time. And I was going to say, maybe replace that word time with period. You like art movement. You know, like there's people that may cannot afford a Basquiat, but they're going to look at all the satellite artists from that that time period that they can afford. So so I, I, I really do think this moment in time is going to, this shit is going to be in history books or whatever the fuck, chips, nanomachines, however the fuck people study in the future. But that's what this this period is going to be. And it, and it is super valuable. And that minting time will, will kind of put you in that book, in that scribe, whatever the fuck it's going to be called. It'll be NFT archaeological digs going back into smart contracts, trying to find <laughs> the oldest thing you can, <laughs> dusting it off. 
right? <laughs> like they're going to look back at this and they're going to be like, those guys were selling, these artists were selling apes for a hundred ETH, a thousand ETH, and they weren't willing to price their artwork at that shit. Like, that's just how I look at it. We're selling cartoon apes for 150 fucking ETH and we're not willing to price our artwork at that. And that's crazy to me. Absolutely. Uh, just to think that how fast this space is moving, you know, just think about that we're coming to a year since most of us uh, jump into this, you know. Like, I, when I say most of us here up here, um, because I, I know Robbie and Lindsay and you, John, and, uh, you know, like, to mention a few, but, you know, like, we're coming up to a year, and it's, it still feels like we're learning every day so much, and um, and I love it. I love it. And, uh, you know, like, I think about Robbie uh, from, like, years ago when uh, the years of, of when we discovered Instagram, like, you know, uh, 2013, I think, Robbie, am I correct? Like, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think I, I have a sub, like, 100,000. Like, I have a very low uh, Instagram user account. Like, I don't even know when it was. But back when, yeah. It was 2012, 2011, 12, 2013. But think about that. Like if you think about how, how far we've come from that, like it's so, so bizarre to think about how many years, like it's how many years, like 12 years. I don't, I have no idea. Um, You know, it's just uh, amazing to think that we were there for that. And now we're there, we're here for this. And, uh, and who knows what's coming. Yeah, I mean that those early days when there was like a a, a suggested users list, like things that there were twice. Instagram was there twice. <laughs> yeah, and people were like, "Oh wow, we we made it finally! We're on the suggested users list. We got a bunch of bots following us now, and people who will never open the app again." It was uh, it was an exciting time, um, but it's just funny to see how a lot of the same people even, and I know there's people in the audience right now who are even more OG than like I was at the time, and they're just like, "This is a totally." different but similar feeling brand new horizon for a lot of artists that that were willing to take the risk because we didn't know what the algorithm was or how brands were going to get involved or anything we were just creating with our iphones like running around taking photos of people uh jumping over puddles like the most basic stuff we could think of that looked cool on our uh, iphone threes and fours uh upside down and it was just like for creating for passion and then meeting people who also were doing the same thing and it was just a very very cool time, but we weren't paying the bills with it. Everybody was still working, doing whatever they were doing before that. And then some people decided, no, this is my path now and I'm going to become a photographer or what we call now an influencer, which is <clears throat> a dirty word in my opinion, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. And and so this is actually an even more amazing revolution where we're not trading that attention uh, for whatever it was at the time, not even dollars, but likes and everything else and all our hard work. But we're actually able to put food on our table and, and make uh, a living for ourselves and focus on it and be able to create something in this like creative economy. So it is really important to, to have this discussion about pricing and, and what that is so that we don't fall into that same trap again where um, we're willing to impart all of our earnings and, and time and efforts and get basically nothing from it and let a platform decide uh, who's going to be successful or not. And we can actually put that in our own hands. Ravi, I'm not going to let you mention the old school suggested user list if you're not going to talk about the fucking Insta meets, man. 
The Instameets. Oh my god. I still oh have a video. God. Do not I, talk I shit about the Instameets because we <laughs> so good. Yeah, we did some we we definitely met a lot of good people in the Instameets. We just had one last week in NFT NYC. We had I know. A, a old school exactly. Instameet at yeah, Central can, Park. The, the redo is <laughs> perfect. It's that we all know that it hit that weird space and time where it became like the shill they were like insta shill meets where everybody was just they come exchange uh, Instagram handles and then walk off. It was it was an interesting time. These was so part you guys of it. Were like, for followers? Is that what you were doing? Like to get more Instagram followers? I mean, like so when they first started, they were great. They were phenomenal, and I mean, that's how a lot of people met um, is through these Insta meets. But as, I, I, I probably would say like, at the low point of the Insta meets, you know, it would be just a bunch of people would show up. There'd be too many people for you to even take a picture. You know, it would just be a, 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 a huge amount of, of people with cameras. And it would be weird. Like, people would just kind of come and they would, you know, shill out their Instagram handle. And some of them wouldn't even stay and take pictures. But it was, it just reminded me of, like, the, like the, we all remember the suggested user era. Like, that was a big accomplishment at that time, you know, was to get on that list. The imagery of that in my head is just fucking hilarious. And somebody has to have a picture of that shit and should mint oh, it. There's, like, pl there's plenty. There's <laughs> plenty. There's plenty. It's whoever had the smoke bomb. And they would they would be like, tag me. I brought smoke bombs. Um, you know, there would be like props all over the place. Yeah, the steel, the steel wool, man. The steel, steel wool. <laughs> I remember there was a time we used to have Google Plus photo walks. iPhone only. <laughs> yeah, it used to be taboo to even post anything DSLR on Instagram. Yeah, it, that was yeah. it. Was it was only iPhone? You can only iPhone only. That's it. Yeah, like that's a great gonna... photo. You you took that with a DSLR, huh? I took this with <laughs> iPhone three. Some of your settings, bro. But then, then the DSLR people they kind of hated you, iPhone people. They were like. What the fuck? I'm a real photographer. I use lenses and shit, and you've got this little phone. You guys, it was like Crips and Bloods, basically, huh? I don't know about that. It, it was definitely <laughs> like, weird, for sure. I mean, in early days, you would you would walk onto like I would get photo jobs from like photographers who have been around forever, have established careers, had assistants, like all that stuff, and I'd I'd have maybe picked up an SLR less than a year before that, and I was walking onto set like being able to shoot the same campaign so yeah they hated they hated our guts at that point when we were taking all those jobs because I, I saw a few people like i used to watch this thing the the future you know on youtube i don't know if anyone knows about it it's mainly like design and they had this woman on there who was a photographer and she said how all of a sudden it was really hard for her to get jobs and most of the people that were taking them were you know, and she was caught, you know, use the quote fingers, Instagram photographers. So it was like, holy shit. There was this large, it seemed like industry that kind of like faded away, like almost instantly when Instagram popped off. I remember there was like this huge argument at one point that like iPhones ruined photography and like that it was like ruining professional photographers and like ruining their jobs. But like, I think when you look back on that, like when maybe five years from now, maybe when we look back on it, but it like, I think it only excelled the moment. Like it made, it made photography so much more valuable because like everybody saw how important photography tells a story. And it's like, when you think of like photography on the blockchain, like I legitimately think, and I could be wrong, but like, isn't that like one of the like 
original storytellers of the digital medium. Like it's, it's like, sure. There's, you know, there's uh, uh, pictures of people's art and that's on the blockchain, but that's a picture from a photograph, from a camera. It's like, when you think of photography, it's like a digital medium that's taken in digital form, put on the blockchain that tells a story that's like one of the original pieces. And it's like, I'm not saying that uh, photography is like necessarily undervalued, but it's like when you think about it, it's like that's so important. I think when you're looking at the blockchain and like where Providence stands, it's like Kath proved that like with her 108th sale of, uh, you know, a picture that was stolen and, you know, said that she would just give the rights to everybody. And I think we'll prove that more and more as like uh, photo photographs come out from like original photo uh, photographers. Like when you think about like what about like the original photos of like Martin Luther King giving his first, you know, speech of I have a dream or um like all the things like from back in the day, it's like, I think these are going to be so important provenance wise. And when these start to get minted to the blockchain, um, I think we're going to see so much more proof of that. Yeah, yeah I'm John. Point. I guess. Um, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, what I was going to say is I don't, I don't think there's really anything, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone was really like, I'm sure there were people that were calling out iPhones, which was, I don't, it's just a tool. It's like calling out the painter for the, for the paintbrush they use. It's like, who cares? I mean, I don't care if a photo was taken with like, you know, a cell phone from like 10 years ago, if, if the picture is cool and there's some sort of creativity there i mean that's that's what's important i mean it's all within the artist um i think that to a certain extent instagram over the years with just some of the business practices ended up devaluing photography in a sense but um that was just sort of a natural transition that happens and i don't i don't know i mean it's it's it i don't think it has much to do with iphones it's it's just you know it's just artists who maybe were coming into the space and didn't know their value. Uh, and, and this is something I brought up earlier, but companies are just, when, when they sense that they're going to take advantage of you right away. Cause their main goal is not to give you money. It's, it's for them to make money. So um, yeah, when they saw the opportunity to take advantage of like up and coming and aspiring artists, I mean, they jumped on that so quick. Um, but yeah, I mean, all that power is coming back. I mean, you ask, photographers in the film uh, era like what they were making their day rate for big commercial jobs i mean it was a surprisingly large amount or like what somebody could earn doing a stock photo license um it's just it's harder to find that nowadays like there's maybe a select few who make a lot of money doing commercial photography and the rest are you know starting to be devalued in the industry as far as the traditional industry goes with commission work but um, you know, there still are some good jobs that, that happen and some good clients who, who do know artists worth, but it is, it's happening less and less. You'll find that less and less, but, uh, in this space, it, it's, it's definitely different. It's a lot different. Well, you know, that it reminds me of the saying, Michael, you never fall in love with a hammer, you know, like you, you find the tool that does the job, but can't fall in love with a hammer. Yeah, I mean, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new to photography, but not art, because I did gloss art for 10 years. Um, but, like, I just picked up, you know, the camera in March, 
However, like I've taken pictures on my phone for forever and there's still some, sorry, my cat's wanting to be part of the conversation. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, hey, you're okay. You're okay. Um, but sometimes I just take out my phone because like, I still want to capture a moment, but I want to be, you know, really present where I'm at. And then, um, you know, whereas a camera is a little bit more involved, so, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. And sometimes, sometimes my phone takes better pictures than I would have taken with my camera. And sometimes it's the opposite. It's, it's really just whatever you feel like doing at the time. And, you know, I appreciate my phone for being able to capture the moment and my camera both at the same time. It's, it's the adventure and the, the moment for me. Look, I, I spent, like, I always tell people when I kind of disappeared out of clubhouses because we were in the, the last couple of months of launching the Pixel 6, and I was on the team that built that. And when I tell you that there are areas that I would 100% pick up um, a, a camera phone and use the HDR, the built-in HDR uh, uh, bracketing that we have in our Pixels and our iPhones and all, and all the other phones that are out, the Samsungs and all that. Like, it's it, it th this is such a special era. Um, I mean, part of the reason why I got into um, the IQ engineering space was because I wanted to democratize um, uh, photography and get, you know, uh, make more people able to have a device that would capture uh, amazing images without having to buy into an expensive system or lenses or even to have the same know-how. Like, how do we get more cameras in people's hands and how do we help them take great pictures of their family, of the, you know, the, the, the sites where they're at? I mean, this is like such a unique time and anybody who had like an iPhone three or four or five or any of those, like, and to look at what we have now, like you don't, you know, the gear is great, but you don't need it. You, I mean, you really don't, not to, not to create a beautiful moment, not to document an amazing moment, not to capture a moment that may go down in history. Like some of the, you know, some of the best moments in history in the last couple couple of years have been, you know, some of those things have been taken on um, camera phones or old cameras. Uh, so it's like such a special time. Um, speaking to the photographers here but i mean in general i guess you know even the fact that you can get on an ipad and get procreate and create really amazing digital art like i, I remember creating digital art on photoshop like as a kid and just this is just a really beautiful time to be an artist and technology uh is is making t uh, art in many facets uh much more accessible and sadly an iphone isn't cheap you know if you look at the actual cost for those things it's more than some cameras so, I mean, it's not a cheap piece of equipment. Better do some good photos for me. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I don't mean to say, like, yeah, you know, like, it's a like $200 yeah, item. Yeah, no, I but, totally get you. But you just, you know, you think about some of the systems uh, that we've bought into. Like, I have, you know, one of my lenses is, like, four iPhones, right? And so, it's just, it, you know, to have a device. Like, maybe you don't, wouldn't spend that on a camera, but maybe you will spend it on a phone, a camera, a, a personal management device, uh, you know, all the things that a phone can be. But I 100% I agree. Like these phones are, they're definitely a lot more expensive these days than what they were, but they are so, I'm, I'm always blown away um, when I'm looking at what these things can do now. And I'm surrounded by them like every day uh, at work. And just, it makes me think back to when I had, my first camera was a Kodak Easy Share. Like that's, that's where I caught the camera bug on a, like a Walgreens Kodak Easy Share you know, camera where you could plug it back into its base and download the photos right to your, to your, um, to your computer. So I'm like, to look at that, you can get that out of your phone now. It's just, it's crazy. I think, I think, I think, I think you bring up. Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, no, you go for it. 
No, I was going to say, I think I think the tools are just one thing. Like I have the Samsung, which has like 108 megapixels or whatever. Uh, but if you ask my wife, I'm I'm the shittiest picture taker or photographer taker. Like I think I, I think there's something about it, right? Like you, you still need to have a knack of like how to use it um, properly. So I think I think there's that there's there's some credit to to like folks who can use it as well and whatever tool they are using. I mean, one hundred percent correct. Like you, we, we, I always tell people there used to be this like saying, like, oh, you know, cameras are getting cheaper, or you can take really good pictures on phones, and so photographers are, you know, it's it's destroying the market for true photographers. And I'm like, no, like you still, you can't, uh, you can't buy into the knowledge that you have over years of of taking photos and uh, dedicating yourself to this to this art form. But I, I'll tell you right now, like in you know, part of what we do where I'm at, and this, I know this is the same for Samsung, Apple, everybody. We're we're, we're looking at how to use neural networks to create machine learning um, pipelines that make these principles, like there's a, there's a teaching component to, to these phones and like helping you be able to get more creative and leading you in the pathway of making you a better photographer as well as giving you a tool to take really good photos. So, you know, even though the, the tech, as far as uh, the actual image making is, is getting better, also like where people are starting to go with that is we want to help people be able to take better photos and teach them about photography so there's a lot of things that are coming into these phones these days that help you with composition or like how to balance a horizon line or just there's a lot of different things that are coming out i think that's what's really beautiful again is like how do we democratize this art form because we as a as a group of artists we're all better the more um, people can access this like there's going to be some person uh who gets a phone somewhere in a really obscure place on the planet who doesn't have the same resources as some of us do who's going to take like an amazing photo that might change the world uh, because they were able to access that through a more democratized system of, of photography. Yeah, and I think I think I think what comes next is storytelling. Um, if if you're a good storyteller uh, on top of a good photographer or a good artist, um, I think I think that's game changing, and that's a that that that's a true differentiator today, in in the market. Also, once uh, with the neural network and, and all the AI machine learning, once that can learn individual creativity, we're all screwed. <laughs> I think that's like, that's the final thing that we as humans and artists have that the computers don't. Once they can figure that out, okay, I'm going to, maybe I'll figure out something else to do with my life. But um, you, you bring up a lot of good points. Like, and, and V, you were mentioning that you know, sometimes having a bulky camera with you kind of takes away you being present from the experience. And I, I totally resonate with that because I've noticed over the years, I've wanted my camera systems to get smaller and smaller so that I can fit it in my pocket or it doesn't become as much of a distraction or I can hike with less gear. I don't have to bring like multiple tripods and a bunch of camera gear with a bunch of lenses and a bunch of garbage with me. Um, and it's, I'm a little hypocritical because like I do the YouTube thing and so I'm bringing like multiple cameras with, with lenses and things. And um, it's funny because it, it's super hypocritical to do it because I'm trying to show this very natural uh, experience of, of landscape photography. But really the whole experience of me going out and filming a YouTube video is so unnatural. I mean, it's like, it's all planned out. I have to go film B-roll of me hiking around and, and B-roll of me like actually shooting the photos. It's all manufactured. Um, so in the times where I do want to be truly present with nature, like I try not to bring my camera with me, I'll bring my phone. And if the phone sees something cool, great. Sometimes I'll bring a film camera with me. 
um, because I feel like I will obsess about it less. I can take the picture, click the shutter, know that the film has just been exposed and put the thing back in my backpack and not worry about it again. But there, there's something, especially for anyone in nature photography or landscape, there's something um, really meaningful about being present through the experience. And that's okay if, if you can fit like a tiny camera in a backpack and just go for it on a hike, that's, that's awesome. But um, if you are somebody who always brings your camera with you and you always have a clunky backpack, uh, on your experiences, try try going on some hikes without that stuff, and and just open up your mind to the different creative possibilities while you're on the hike without the actual intent of making a photograph out of it. Just look at nature, just from purely visual sense. Anyway, sorry, I know that's a little off tangent, but just wanted to add that. You know, I just no, wanted I to think five that's great. Oh. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead, Bobber. No, I just wanted to chime in to what Michael said, that there have been times where even even if I've taken my bulky camera with me, I just, you know, like, and I see a beautiful sunset, I, I just don't end up shooting it. There are times I just sit down and just stare at it, you know, just, just to absorb and digest that, that, that experience, that moment, you know, um, to feel more present, I would say. So that's why I just like, you know, there, there are moments like these. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. My first trip to Yosemite the other week, I didn't take out my camera much because I just wanted to be present. And I, you know, I still came back with a bunch of photos on my, my, um, you know, my iPhone and stuff. But like just having that presence and, um, you know, taking my time and just really enjoying my first trip there meant everything. I think it really goes back to like the best camera is the one you have with you. And I think I get asked a lot of questions about like, what camera do you have? Like, I don't have that camera yet. Like, I can't take photos because I don't have that camera. And that's not true. Like, we all started on whatever we had with us. We're taking photos because we liked it. And so I hate answering that question because I just feel like whatever camera you have, it's going to be good enough. Like, you can still take the photo, right? So um, I think that that's such a barrier to entry that I feel like just shouldn't exist. And also like, back to what all you guys are saying, like, it's so cool that we're in this age of information where like, if you want to learn how to do something, like you just can go on the internet and learn for free. Like we don't have to pay to go to school to do it anymore. So it's nice. I feel like there are no, there's not a lot of barriers anymore. Like we can all do this. We can all be artists. We can all shoot. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's really cool that we're able to do that now with all these different kinds of technology. I agree a lot with what Kelsey said, but I mean, there definitely are still a lot of barriers for some. Like, I think the barrier to time is the most important one. Not everyone is able to afford the time to put into, like, you know, their art and this and that because of, you know, there are, like, monetary costs. But going back to the camera thing, um, yeah, like, the best camera you have is the one in your hand. I've gone viral several times and made several thousand dollars over photos I took off of a $13 camera that I got off eBay. And everyone's always like, which one did you get? Like, you know, asking all these questions. And I'm like, honestly, just go on eBay find the cheapest film camera and just send it like, you know, create art with what you have. And like, you know, it's the art at the end of the day, not necessarily the tools and equipment you use for it. Like I've seen people take, do amazing drawings with like Crayola crayons that, you know, come in the eight pack, you know, and they kill it. And it really just, it comes from internally. And yeah, I definitely agree with you on a lot of that too. Do you guys mind if I bring back the conversation to the NFT pricing discussion? Because I had a, few things to, to comment on. Of course. 
Yeah. So I think I heard someone say that like, hey, uh, like board apes or apes are being sold for a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. Um, and it's it's interesting because um, I speak to a lot of artists or I talk to a lot of artists and often they are very disheartened to see like collections kind of just making crazy amounts of feed um, and like their one on one pieces sitting. And I think I think I think that's a natural human feeling. Um, but I would say this, um, like you need to understand that they are two completely different genres in in in, in itself, right? And if I'm a one-on-one artist um, or, or a small artist or like just doing some small collections or editions, I wouldn't necessarily compare myself to, to those collections because if a, a lot of market dynamics uh, push those collections where they are, right? Because uh, everyone is in, like even all of us, right, are in, in it to flip it, right, to make money. So it's it's like fast, fast money kind of sense. Um, and you have a lot of momentum behind it, um, and and the other part, and 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 I and I take board exam, board board ape. I, I don't own any, but if you think uh, at like what they have done, people have built brands around that, right? I mean, it's it's literally a community, like it's it's almost like a community of like whatever five thousand, seven thousand entrepreneurs, right? Um, it's 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 not really an ape at that point, right? So. It might be easy for someone from the outside to come in and see that, hey, um, this this piece of thing sold for a hundred thousand dollars, right? How do you justify it? I think there's a there's a big background to it, um, and I think I, th- I think everyone should understand that, right? So that's that's one. Um, the other piece that I heard was um, like pricing at. Um, at at whatever you feel like and i i definitely agree with that right like as an artist you don't necessarily want to be uh sad about a piece going um at 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 a at, at a lower price than you expected i would say this though um even in that case you should understand the the market dynamics that like if you're pricing it at 2 eat um you are you you're kind of targeting a different collector base um right now right um, you should be you should be cognizant and perfectly fine uh, waiting for the piece to sell, right? Um, you shouldn't expect it to you you list it for a price and and it sells tomorrow, right? I think I think that's just unrealistic. And a lot of like these like the past two months are are kind of teaching that lesson to like even collections, right? So don't don't let that get into your mental health. Um, and that's that's the point I point I, into, I I wanted to say that like. You should price at whatever you feel like, but you should also understand what to expect out of it. Um, yeah, that's it. I completely agree with you, Block Yo, I, mean, I don't want to talk over anyone, but in like 15 minutes, I'm probably going to end this space because it's been about four hours and we're almost on four and a half. I'm like kind of falling asleep again. <laughs> uh, no like, worries, dude. On the couch with no. the fireplace, all comfy. On that note, I actually have to go, but Dees, I really appreciate you hosting this space. Thanks so much, John, and and everyone else here. Um, yeah, and thanks for bringing me up too. This this is awesome. I need to <laughs> I need to start joining more of these as a speaker. I always get too nervous, but um, yeah, I hope I hope everyone has an amazing morning or night wherever you are. Yeah, I appreciate, yeah. I appreciate your insight as well. We'll have a recording yeah. too, so. Um, the link to this space if you just save the link 
once we end it, it's a recording that you can go through and see who's talking and all that stuff. It's a little different, but it's cool. Just uh, to touch up to on the artist part, like as an artist, I don't uh, like find it disheartening to um, see Ape selling for a bunch of money. I love it. Like it makes me so happy to see that. But at the same time, I also look at it from an artist's point of view and I go, dude, if a cartoon ape can do that, I can do that too. And maybe that's naive and maybe that's childlike, but maybe I am a child and I like to approach the world of just like a very optimistic view of just going, yo, if they can do that, I can do that. And I don't know, a lot of people in my life have told me I couldn't do something and maybe that's like the reason that I did do it. But um, yeah, I think if you're told that you can't do something or that uh, something you're not capable of it, you should definitely like laugh at that person because it's kind of like you can try harder. So I don't know, but yeah, I just, I just to like say like, I'm not mad about the apes being sold for a bunch of money. As you can see, I own an ape. I love my ape. Um, I think it's dope. I love the apes. I think that all these PFP projects that are killing it, I think it's dope. I just also think like I can do it too. No. And I think, I think that's a great attitude to have John. Um, I like, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't like, it wasn't necessarily directed to you, but a lot of artists out there, right, who might not be doing well or have been waiting for sales for like three months, it's easy for them to to feel that way, right? And I just wanted to be a spokesperson uh, for for that community, saying that it's just just don't compare yourself um, to to like you are you, right? And um, like like you said, right? Like keep yourself to to the whole. There, there's someone out there who who love your work, right? So. Just, just hang in there. Yeah, I, can, uh, I agree. I can't the same thing. Also, I am back. Sorry, I totally thought that I left the stage, and I didn't. But I, I um, just think that there is something that has been lost where this time that it takes to sell equates the value, which it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. If I put something up, it has to sell in five minutes. Otherwise it's like, I'm not worth a damn or the photo's not worth a damn or the piece of art's not worth a damn. I don't really understand that. I mean, things just take time sometimes. That's it. It, it quite literally doesn't matter. And also to that thing that you were saying, John, about, you know, if a cartoon ape can do that, I mean, quite truly, I think that that the board apes were are a brilliant artistic creative collection you know it, it's art comes in so many different forms and the creative minds behind that obviously ha, has brought so much to so many people and yeah they've sold for a lot and the truth is is that when we sit around when I sit around and I'm comparing and contrasting in like a really crappy way like oh that that person did that what am I doing? It's always, it always, always, always buries me. And every time I look around and congratulate the people around me and surround myself with people who are inspiring every single time something great comes out of it, every single time without fail, it doesn't matter when the people around me are succeeding. Usually I am too. Uh, I just wanted to add to that, like um, that these collections, basically they, they define the, you know, the NFT space. I mean, they, they, you know, it's like that, but photography is still, I think now it's, you know, trending now. And I believe um, it will definitely grow more from here. And, and I agree with you, John, that 
uh, our our images will flip as well, just as the way these collections do. Uh, it's just that it will take you know a few years to to reach that point, for sure. Yeah, the amount of work, I, I think all of you know, the amount of work that goes into those PFP collections. I mean, you know, we've we've talked to you, John, and, and a bunch of you actually about the Warp Sound. This is where I'm going to do a shameless plug since this is going to be, um, Get it, gonna Lindsay. be um, done. But here's the deal is like, you know, Jeff and and Tara and all the people, Steve, all the people who are, are doing Andy Poon, who's been just like drawing and drawing and drawing for... Um, the warps project the warp sound.ai it's like every single day the amount of creativity and crafting and figuring out and the traits and this and that like it's it's mind-blowing i mean i don't think that jeff has done less than a 15 hour day that and that's a small day like he's back working right now i, I just left while i was on the space thinking that i was off did a shoot and then and now I'm driving back and guarantee you he's on the phone or on the Zoom with Andy going through traits right now. And it's just like never, never, never stopping until these things are made. And then once they sell, it's about keeping to create the value and all the creativity that goes behind that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm high too. It's, it's cold medicine. <laughs> I'm starting to get weird. Um, I don't know if any of that made sense. I'm super stoked that this is being recorded and I can be like, what, what even was that word? But I know that you know what I'm getting at. It's um, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes of these things that we don't even see. Um, and 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 a lot of creative efforts no i agree i agree with you Lindsay. and like in no way am i ever going to judge anyone else's art like dude the apes are art like even the dick butts they're art you know like i would never i love the dick i love butts. the dick butts i'm so mad i don't have a dick butt I have right a dick now butt. like i knew they're art don't get me wrong in no way will i ever discredit anybody's <laughs> art or judge it however this is all i'm saying i will look at anybody's art or anything and i will go I want to do that. I mean, I fucking looked at Peter Lick when I was in my maybe first year of photography and said, I'm going to be the next Peter Lick. That was legitimately my mindset. I was like, I'm going to do what he did. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to take, like, I'm going to sing my name in like bright lights one day. And like, and then I did it and it fucking sucked. It was awful. It was the worst experience ever. It ate me alive. I had no idea how bad that was really going to be chasing somebody else's dream. So like, no, I, I, I can totally get like the idea that like, everything is art. Like I, I see that and I see like never chase anybody else or like look at something and go, I can do that. But at the same time, I look at the apes, I look at that stuff and I'm like, shit, dude. I mean, if they can sell for 150, maybe photography can do that one day. Yeah. You know what? It can. That's just how I kind of like feel about it. I think it did. I think it does. I think it has. It has. Has Well, I mean, Cass sold a hundred piece and Justin sold one for, I don't even know how much. Like it's, it's been going crazy, but it's like, you look at that and you're like, we can do this. All of us together, like as photographers, we can literally highlight each other, elevate each other. And it's like, we can all do this together. We can sell pieces for 0.1 ETH and we can sell them for a hundred ETH. We can do whatever the fuck we want. And that's what's so cool about the blockchain and exploring NFTs. I completely yeah. agree with you guys, but I feel like something that, you know, like some of these collectibles are doing really well, like the apes are doing really well is I feel like when they dropped or around that time, like they communicated 
their purpose and their value really, really well. And I feel like, you know, the best artists, they're the most successful artists are also really good salespeople and really good marketers. And they know how to talk about what they're doing and they know how to talk about their story and their personal brands. And I think like, it's not really enough to just mint a piece at at the value you think it is and be like, okay, cool. I'm just going to sit back and wait and see what happens. Like, I think you have to, you have to be your biggest salesperson. You have to be able to go out there and talk about it in the right way. That doesn't mean like, you know, shilling in the DMs and in the comments, but like there's a way to go about it. And I think we do have a responsibility as artists to be able to to demonstrate our value and to be able to speak to it. And I think sometimes it gets a little lost, gets a little lost sometimes because we're all afraid to talk about our work. But I do think it's really, really important that we all do that. But but the truth is but the truth is that not all artists are great marketeers. You know, that's the reason why, unfortunately, a lot of artists out here are struggling to to make a name for themselves um or or to like you know for example if even if you take an example for peter lick i mean sure he's he's a good photographer but he's but he's a, a great entrepreneur he's a great marketeer that's the main game that's where the real deal is <laughs> i agree with that um and i also think like as um you've seen some of the sp- the best uh people in the space are great marketers but um drift i don't think he's a good marketer I think Drift is just a dope photographer and he's bought a lot of people's art and he's helped a lot of people in the space and he's just dope all around and he's a good person. He's not a marketer. He's just dope. And he's been able to create a whole community around his work because people resonate with his story. Like, yes, he has a lot of press and his story has created a lot of, and not everybody can be Drift. I will totally agree with that. But I think that there is a fine line between like being able to be a good marketer and being a good artist. And it sucks when people can't market their own. And I think like 95% of us, I'm one of them. I can't market my art for shit, but it's like elevating other artists, working in the space, staying a part of the community, showing up. That is just as important. And I think eventually your work will sell. And even if it doesn't like, what are you here to do in the first place? Right? Like we're all here to just hang, kick it and vibe. Right. And eventually, like, our shit does sell. And I think, like, if we're all here to make money on the blockchain and, and NFTs, um, it's not going to probably work very well for you. I think, like, just vibe, kick it. And eventually, if your work does sell or doesn't, like, it doesn't matter because you've made some really dope friends. You've helped them sell some shit. And it's kind of like we've all had a lot of fun. So I think, like, we're all trying to push this space forward for the future generations because we want the blockchain to be the decentralized space where we can all have this and no longer, uh, you know, have basically the government run our entire financial institutions. And this is like where we finally have a, a say in what we're doing. And NFTs, it's like, dude, we're, art is the forefront of that. How dope is that? It's like we're like kind of like leading this charge in this really small niche in our space. So it's like in all around everything we're doing, I think selling our art is like such a small portion to the overall perspective of what we're doing. And I think like, yeah, in the future of this, we're going to really see that. I think too, uh, John, to piggyback is like any, the biggest thing that I would say you could take from Drift's story, because I, I mean, I know him personally, I've had amazing conversations with him, is he's a genuinely great person. He is a really authentic, good, truthful person. And so he would, and he would be that person rather he was killing it right now or rather his stuff wasn't moving. And so I say that if you were to take anything from the Drift story is be a, be a really good person to all the people around you and whatever happens happens but he's authentically a good person it's not for retweets or for people to buy his work or to be attracted to the collectors it's just who he is 
Yeah, we love Drift. As someone who's known him before all this and then after all this, I can definitely confirm not an ounce of his, like, solar spirit has, like, obviously, like, there's been things that have happened in his life, but, like, nothing about his character has changed, and it's amazing. Yeah, I'm telling you, go ahead. I've just, I've had conversations with, I mean, if any, for those of you who, like, know, my, you know, my, my background, like, Drift is one of the only people in the space that resonates with some of the things that we've, that we've done, like, in... There, you know, there's a lot of like um, conversations that we've had regarding like mental health and PTSD and how the camera has been able to sort of uh, be a bit of redemption and like in a lot of the scenarios that we've been in our life as, as young men. Um, and so, I mean, he's just an incredible person and, and it, it inspires the people around him to also be be that. And that's his biggest contribution to the space um, is, is that inspiration of like just keep being a better person every day. Keep working at that. Exactly. You don't need to market yourself as much as dude, just be a good person, show up, help everybody. Like agreed marketing is so essential, but so is just being a dope human being and being authentic. I completely agree. And maybe I said this wrong, but I think what's really cool about what he's doing is that he's like here showing up every day, telling his story. And I just would love more people to be able to feel like they have the confidence to come forward and tell their story. That does not mean like, Hey, you should buy this piece. It's more like, hey, I'm an artist and I'm here and like, this is my point of view and this is what I have to say. That's really what I meant by that. And I think Drift's done an incredible job about about that. And there's an authentic way you can come in here and, and say what you're doing. I just wish that, you know, we heard more of those voices is I guess what I was trying to get at. No, I think that's a good way to wrap up the space, honestly. Like that's how I connect with a lot of the people I buy art from um, outside of the people I met at NFT NYC for the first time that I didn't know going in. I, I normally connect to them through spaces where they're just authentically telling their story, not in a way where they're shelling it or like pushing it, but just sharing it. And then when they show their opinion on other things and conversations, you kind of get to see them outside of just the experience they share, but how they are as a person. And then you connect with them more and then you buy their work. Um, so I think that's like a good way to wrap it up for people to, I know there's a lot of people in here who are thinking like, how do I price things if I haven't broken a one ETH barrier or a two ETH or five ETH or 10 ETH barrier? I'm not on super rare. Um, it's like, just get involved with the community, keep creating every day, keep following your heart, but you have to come and like talk on Twitter and expand and go through the growing pains of trying to build up a network. And one day, you won't know when it'll be, but it'll just fall into place. And then you'll look back and be like, oh, now it made sense. But until you get there, it's frustrating. And there's a lot of people who are in the same places as you, and you're not alone. So that's where I would wrap it up from. Yeah, thank you, Deez, for real, for your time. Yeah, Appreciate good night, guys. Thanks. Sorry, good yeah, morning. Thank, thank you, everybody. That's a four and a half hour long space. Yeah, we killed it. Yo, wow. um, everyone killed it on this stage. Like, dude, that was crazy. Like, thank you, everybody, for hanging out. That was that's an intense conversation and not easy to talk about. We've been talking about it for a year now. So <laughs> for quite literally. Y'all, like, thank yeah. you. I'm sure we'll talk about it more. Like, that's just going to be the last time we talk about it either. Oh, yeah. God, I hope and not. And thank you, everybody <laughs> who's listening in the audience, too, like spending your time here. I've seen a lot of people here the whole time. So that's amazing. Yeah, I think, yeah, but I think we all settled on. I think we all settled on like we all just vibe, dude. 
we all just vibe on prices and value and that's dope like i think everybody kind of agreed on the stage there was no argument it was beautiful this was a really beautiful space like i really want to thank you Dees, for like hosting this shit because it's not easy thank you Dees. no Thanks, thank Dees. you i mean it, this is impossible without everybody in here so thank you everybody and have a great night and we'll talk tomorrow Good night, everybody. Thanks, guys. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of D Spaces. If you enjoyed it, make sure to catch future live spaces with D's on Twitter and to subscribe to iTunes and Spotify. We'll catch you in the next episode.